Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast hosted by GrandTheftWorld.com. It's January 2nd, 2022. This is episode 61. It's titled Fauci Flu 2022. Tonight, we're going to hear from many people. It's a deep show card. It's going to be a very densely packed past week of news that we're going to try to unpack and provide context for you. One of the things we're going to feature tonight is uh, Jay Dyer and Jason Burmas had a live stream earlier today talking about transhumanism, cybernetics, and the the not-for-profit foundations and groups like the RAND Corporation and their influence and shaping of your daily lives and your future. There's also Dr. Robert Malone has made the rounds this past week, making uh, a lot of different statements that have been controversial in the news sphere. He got uh, deleted from Twitter. He made his appearance the next day on the Joe Rogan podcast. And from there, minds are being blown all over the world, listening to the creator of MRNA uh, say a whole bunch of things that people didn't think they'd ever hear him say. And then last but not least, we've got Jimmy Dore. He's going to be... he takes he takes a couple shots at my favorite Rhodes Scholar, uh, Rachel Maddow, and uh, she said some things recently that were not true with relation to the plague that's ongoing out there. And uh, yeah, it takes a comedian to call call her out and fact check and hold her feet to the fire. And those clips will be uh, played in their entirety later on in this episode. We're going to kick it off first, though, with Luke Radowski from WeAreChange.org, best and the best political T-shirts.com. Let's go to Luke for uh, the kickoff. In accordance with Decree 2021-096, adopt under the Public Health Hack, you are ordered between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. to be at your residence or the ground of that residence. Refusal to obey either of these orders makes you liable to a fine ranging from $1,000 to $6,000. Another year, another martial law by decree in a Western country. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Beautiful and amazing human beings. This is Lukradowski here of WeAreChange.org. And we got a oh, lot of just totally absolute nonsense to get. Yeah, I'm aware of it. I'm, I'm trying. I to was opening the chat to try to yeah. chat to you guys. I'm like, is my, am I the only one hearing no, some crackling? Yeah. All right. So I heard it in the intro. I thought maybe it was just the intro. I thought it was just me. I had to reboot my computer. I had technical issues going on. But now we know it's making it out to the stream. Thank you, polite people in the chat that I can't see saying such things to LD. So uh, what kind of troubleshooting in OB? Let's let's talk about the uh, the things that have gone on. So we have a problem tonight as far as intermissions go we have three intermissions for this show tonight and they're all worth screening and seeing and we can't play them all and they're all kind of long and they have interconnected pieces of information that you would need over a long attention span to understand some of the meta the bigger ideas going on in the world most people's attention spans are too short for that those people don't watch this show This show is for people who can tolerate longer attention span types of ideas. So we haven't yet picked out which one we're going to feature tonight, uh, but we will include, can we include all three in the notes? So if people want to see the other intermissions, Tony, we'll be able to say, look, here's what they would have been. Yeah. Let me just highlight the three that will be upcoming. So people are aware. Let's scroll down too far. Okay. Intermission. So we have a whole section of Robert Malone talking about being red-pilled, also uh, mass formation psychosis. 
and psychology. Okay, so let's just talk about that for a second because I don't know that we have the clips in the show for tonight, but we were talking before the show about how the search results for mass formation psychosis have been changed. And we covered this on the show a couple weeks ago, the topic. But now because Malone is on the Joe Rogan show and he talked about this topic, the internet trolls are actively out there trying to change search results. So all you see is right-wing conspiracy theory in association with that idea when it's not a political idea. It's not a right-wing idea. It's an observational idea when people's ideas do not line up with reality and other people see that that's going on. That's a name given to it. The people who would argue that it's uh, the right-wing conspiracy theory, they're probably adversely affected by Dunning-Kruger syndrome. (laughs) most yeah. likely most well, likely the they're not they're not strong readers they don't they you know they might read the new york times but when other people are putting all those words in order for your brain that's not thinking yeah yeah absolutely i mean the algorithm is essentially creating a false dichotomy pitting as some sort of right-wing conspiracy rather than talking about the evidence uh behind uh, matthias desmond's uh theory. Now, I know um, this is going to throw an audible for ld who's trying to fix something right now but when they say right-wing conspiracy what are they really trying to say? What is that phrase? They're saying you don't even have to. What is that? It's almost as if we're saying you don't have to think about it, dude. That's what I'm talking no about. Crackling there. That yeah, they played good. They played yeah. good. Yeah, they're saying you don't even have to think about it. So when someone retorts to your factual assertion uh, that that's a right wing conspiracy theory, they're saying you don't even have to think about it because they haven't thought about it. So you shouldn't either. That's all they're saying. Yeah, false dichotomy. Yeah, exactly. It's just another fallacy that misdirects from evidence. And that's all fallacies do. Informal fallacies just misdirect away from evidence in order for you not to actually like pay attention to reality. Um, And that's essentially what's going on with the fact checking around mass formation psychosis. And then what were the other intermissions in the show? So Dr. Robert Malone then would be followed by something like uh, Academy of Ideas is government, the new God. So it's sort of a montage eclipse because Malone, as he said to Christy Lee in an interview, that was what pre-taped before his interview with Rogan, but they released it afterwards because Infowars has integrity like that, which I I I really appreciate. Which was very nice of them. They embargoed it. Yeah, I agree. Um, but to that effect, uh, you know, Christy Lee. So while, while he was talking with Christy Lee, Paul, he talked about being multidimensionally red pilled, I think was a phrase he used. So for him, it wasn't just the fact that he was part of the Salk Institute and was part of a team of individuals. He wasn't the only one, but a part of a team of individuals that came up with this technology. Um, and he, he claims he's the one that said it should be used for vaccines because uh, to induce immunity, it doesn't take very long, whereas mRNA pathway doesn't last very long. It's a whole won't get into the nerd aspect of how that all works, but nonetheless, um, the fact he's speaking about the issues of government, the fact he's speaking about the issues of psychological problems in society at large and Matthias Desmond's theory of mass formation psychosis, I thought it was very apt to sort of follow in line with the Academy of Ideas, this video about government being the new God of our age, um, is government the new God, I believe is the name of the title. So that would be like one intermission. The second intermission was this unbelievably, uh, detailed, very nerdy, but very good uh, presentation by Peter McCullough talking about uh, the spike protein, getting into the the specific details about it, and most specifically about the Omicron variant and the, tw- the 20 plus mutations and an insert involved in the variant, which is very fascinating. The fact they are not. I thought value. they had to have labs to put inserts in, Tony. Inserts usually don't happen in nature. That's a very rare issue. So he, he gets into the nitty gritty details. He also covers how Columbia University, the Ivy League, actually did a study of their own 
saying that the VAERS reporting is something like underreported by at least 20%, um, which would put the vaccine death numbers around 178, close to about 200,000, if we look at just the VAERS reporting alone. And he gets into some details regarding that. And he, he excoriates uh, and warns people against the vaccines and the dangers associated with the vaccine, especially the cardiac dangers that we're, we're going to get into some shorter clips uh, from Greg Reese and John Bowne that do a great job of exposing that on a scientific angle, but in a more timely Intermission way. would have more of the source clip mm-hmm. scenario. That's what and then remember. the final one is Del Bigtree interviewed G. Edward Griffin about his interview he did with KGB defector Yuri Bezmanov. Now, is yeah. it a recent interview? Did he do it live? Yeah, this, that was this week. Because um, I know Ed was sick a couple of weeks ago and everybody, including myself, was wishing him speedy recovery. So I'd be encouraged if he was live on the show or they recently taped that. I'm looking forward to seeing it. It could have been a recent that. taping as well. I do know essentially that was the episode this week for um, the High Wire. So there's no awesome. Jeffrey Jackson report or anything. It was just that was the episode. All of them run roughly about an hour long. So we can't obviously play them all. So despite so. the fact that that's one of the ones I want to see, I don't think we're going to end up playing that in the intermission. It'll be likely one of the other two clips. Yeah. Yeah. But agreed. It's an incredible. I do encourage people to check it out, though. It's really well done and very informative. Even if you know, if you're, if you're aware, aware of Yuri Bezmanov's theory about, uh, or how about we play like 15 minutes of it. So people know enough, because that's the thing he did interview Yuri Bezmanov like what 1982, 1983. It was a long time ago. I thought it was in the eighties, early. Yeah, it was in the eighties. That's when I first watched it with you back like 10 years ago. And there's a bunch of people who say Bezmanov's not legit or whatever. I I don't care about the messenger. It's about about the the message. Right. right. The, the message was said like 35 years ago. Does it re- resonate today? Was he a prophet? Can he predict the future? I don't think so. I think he was exposed to future plans. And we know that there are future planners out there, such as like Rand Corporation and Ford Foundation and Rockefeller Foundation. And yeah. then they helped to get the World Economic Forum. You know, that guy who runs uh, Pfizer, he's also the CEO of Thomson Reuters. He's also on the Council for Businesses at the World Economic Forum. You know, there's a little conflict of interest here. Like Albert Borla. No, not Borla. It's a, oh. it's, a it's a different guy uh, okay. from five. So, um, type in um, Reuters CEO plus Pfizer, and maybe he's on board of directors. Let's see. <clears throat> Doing it. James on. Smith. Yes, and then it should be his like Pfizer bio page. There you go. Read that, can you? Yeah, let me make it bigger for everyone. Chairman of the Thomson Reuters Foundation, a London-based charity supported by the global news and information provider, president, chief executive officer, and director of Thomson Reuters Corporation, a provider of intelligent information for businesses and professionals from 2012 until his retirement in 2020. He also served as its chief operating officer, COO, from September 2011 to December 2011, and chief executive officer, Thomson Reuters Professional Division, from 2008 to 2011. Prior to the acquisition of Reuters Group PLC by the Thompson Corporation, Thompson, T-H-O-M-S-O-N, in 2008, served as Chief Operating Officer of Thompson and as President and Chief Executive Officer of Thompson Learning's Academic and Reference Group. Member of the International Business Council of the World Economic Forum, the International Advisory Boards of British American Business, of course, and the Atlantic Council. Director of the Refinitiv, a privately held global provider of financial market data and infrastructure until its acquisition by the London Stock Exchange Group in 2021. 
Pfizer director since 2014. So he's a Pfizer director. Okay. Chair of our compensation committee and member of our audit committee. Wow. So he's a Pfizer director, but then was COO, C- CEO of Thomson Reuters um, until they were bought out. That's fascinating. Yeah. I'm trying to look up a reference here. So to, uh, to Reuters. Well, while you I, do that, I thought there was a Reuters Rothschild reference. U-T-R-S. While you do that, I just want to make a quick comment while you find that. Um, so it's interesting, like Matthias Desmond's theory of mass formation psychosis is similar to Yuri Besmanov's theory of ideological subversion. So I think the first like 15 or 20 minutes of that would be a perfect segue into Malone talking about Matthias Desmond which we've already already featured. And then that would lead perfectly in Academy of Ideas because you see the beginnings of psychological subversion, the attack against the culture, which if people aren't aware right now, it's been probably the most conspicuous and most obvious um, uh, subversion that's been going on, really the cultural angle first and foremost, especially since 2016 through 2020 until the uh, COVID situation. Well, actually, no, I mean, even continuing after the COVID situation, once COVID came in, we had the summer of love, George Floyd, and even more cultural derision and division and, um, subversion and destabilization and all that sort of nonsense. So, you know, they're very apt and you can, you can look out to the world and see based on evidence, subjective reality, you can make a determination and logical deductions that, um, this is absolutely in play and has been according to Besmanov for decades. Uh, so, and I think we've done enough deep dives on the show to see all the mechanisms in place. Um, all the sort of ideologically possessed individuals at the top of the pyramid, so to speak, that are pushing these wayward agendas now leading to the Davos group and the world economic forum pushing for the great reset. All right. That's true. Revolution. I, f- I found the, uh, the reference I'm looking for here. I'm getting to the page. LD, how are you doing with the clicky clicky in the live stream? Well, uh, not really going to know until we hit play on the clip. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I reset. All right, some well, let's, that's, that's what we're going to have to do. I, I mean, all right. So let's do this. Let's hit play on the clip. And if we have to stop the clip real quick and go back to working on fixing it, I have this reference ready. And if, and if not, we can talk about Reuters continued after this clip. Yeah. James has something to say about the Atlantic console council that he posts in zoom. I want to get to as well. So anyways, go for it. Sounds like a plan. Let's see what happens here. In accordance with Decree 2021-096, adopt under the Public Health Act, you are ordered between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. to be at your residence or the ground of that residence. Refusal to obey either of these orders makes you liable to a fine ranging from $1,000 to $6,000. Another year, another martial law by decree in a Western country. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Beautiful and amazing human beings. This is Luke Radowski here of WeAreChange.org. And we got a lot of just totally absolute nonsense to get into today. As of course, we will continue to detail the massive human rights violations that are being undertaken right now all in the name of your safety and security, which of course you'll get neither, all as of course the situation in Montreal has gotten absolutely ridiculous. We're going to be talking about that, plus a lot more, all exclusively on this broadcast. And I have to say, there was a lot of choices to start today's broadcast with. One of them was, of course, a corporate media pundit getting drunk and actually speaking the truth and sharing his true feelings about Mayor Bill de Blasio. And of course, there was this video, 
highlighting the first marriage proposal of the new year with, of course, two people kissing each other's masks. Now, I don't know if mask-on-mask kissing is supposed to symbolize something in the coming years to head, but I think it's fair to say that we definitely have a big uphill battle ahead of us, especially with the utter nonsense that regular people have to go through because of the corporate billionaire banking class that, you know, just prints money out of thin air, as, of course, the corporate media does damage control for them, just like CNBC in their article that warns about dangerous inflation inequality in 2022, but still somehow brazenly tries to declare that this is going to be good for low-wage workers and medium-wage workers, when in reality they will be the absolute most obliterated by massive money-printing policies that only help constitute the larger transfer of wealth from the very poor to the very rich. Individuals like Jeff Bezos, who is worth close to $200 billion, the owner of the Washington Post, who was just seen recently on his yacht being serviced by an attendee that was forced to wear a mask, as of course him and his friends don't have to. But remember, all of this is being done for your health and safety. All of this as Jeff Bezos and Amazon have more and more power and influence over the digital world, which routinely censors information as just recently we found out that U.S. House of Representatives Congressman Woman Majorie Taylor Greene was banned from using one of the major highway communication centers on the internet for allegedly tweeting CDC data surrounding a procedure that of course was counter the narrative that a lot of big mega corporations have been pushing on you with the help of politicians that they've bought off. Was the questioning of this procedure with their own official numbers from the CDC the reason why Taylor Green was taken off? Well, again, we don't know, but that looks like the likely scenario here, as of course Glenn Greenwald said, quote, having unelected tech oligarchs ban duly elected members of Congress or even the sitting president from using their massive platforms is dystopian. Remember how many world leaders warned that Facebook and Twitter's banning of Trump was a threat to democracy? And on those sentiments, I do have to agree with Glenn Greenwald, as of course he hit the nail on the head once again with a very important issue that is a threat to free civilizations moving ahead and that is the censorship of information the destruction of the first amendment as of course it's not just twitter that commits these atrocities against free expression the exchange of ideas scientific debate but it's also youtube that just removed another video of a well-known accredited scientist who had his voice recently censored on twitter now his voice is being censored on youtube as of course he uses science to question the official narrative that so many ruling elites try to desperately shove down our throats. This, of course, has sparked mass psychosis to be trending, which, of course, was handled completely different from platforms like Google and DuckDuckGo. Of course, it's not just speech that's under attack. It's also people's physical bodies as they're attacked by police officers and jackboot thugs for the simple act of trying to exist, trying to voice their concerns, or even just being outside. As, of course, there's absolutely horrible footage coming out of Amsterdam after a massive protest showing police officers brutally, viciously, 
attacking and brutalizing innocent members of the public with, of course, the most amount of violence that they were able to use. Now, of course, we won't be showing you some of these videos because they are absolutely disgusting. And for a government to be instituting their health policy by literally batoning people over the head because the government doesn't want to hear their policies criticized is peak Build Back Better Great Reset Society that they are trying to force upon you. And whether it's using German shepherds to attack individuals or using SWAT-style highway takeovers and arrests of religious pastors, we have to understand that the police officers here know no bounds and they will follow whatever decrees given to them by, of course, the bureaucrats that tell them to carry out their orders. And this problem is being felt all over the world, including places like Paris that just reinstituted another mask mandate for outdoors for, for some unscientific reason, as police officers are given more and more decrees to follow intently and to punish the average innocent civilian even more so. I think the peak of this lunacy and deprived disgusting behavior by the authorities is of course best demonstrated in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, where a number of people were arrested for simply being outside as the state there has just issued a curfew because you know the the sickness for some reason decides to be hyperactive between 10 p.m and 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 5 a.m and um, that's that's <laughs> what in the world are they doing there's no science behind this this is the video that we played in the beginning of this broadcast of police officers saying you're going to be fined you're going to be arrested for simply being outside how does this help anyone dealing with a health crisis it doesn't and to stop people from from being able to to move around from being able to walk their dogs. Yes, uh, the government of Canada literally issued a statement here saying you cannot walk your dogs past curfew without any exception. 10 p.m. You have to be indoors or else for people who want to walk their dogs. The government there also just started to put up locks and chains in schoolyards. Is this a health and safety policy? No. This is soft tyranny, soft martial law, all being slowly instituted by draconian, out-of-touch, illegal criminals that are literally destroying people's social, personal lives, all in the name of a larger power grab in disguise of a health policy, which it has nothing to do with. And when you look at governments, when you look at the state, this is usually what they do, as of course they take a lot and barely give back. As in places like in New York, the health policy is being so politicized that they have already instituted discriminatory policies where white people are told not even to attempt to get life-saving treatment for this sickness because of the way that they were born. A policy instituted, signed on by the governor of New York that is saying, if you were born a certain way, we will deny you life-saving treatment. This is the treatment that, again, I personally took myself when I had this sickness that personally got rid of every symptom I had right after taking it. Again, not a medical doctor, not here trying to give you any medical advice, but if I was in New York right now, I would have been denied this treatment because of the way that I was born. These are the policies put forward 
by absolutely criminal enterprises that are pushing a divide and conquer agenda that essentially thrives off of human suffering that they keep making that much worse. Who are these policies instituted by? Well, bureaucrats like Dr. Fauci, who of course works closely with an individual like Mr. Gates, who's heavily invested. And this destruction of people's personal lives is of course not going unquestioned as of course there have been massive protests all throughout the Western world against this utter nonsense, against this big hypocrisy, including of course in Germany, in France, in Italy, in the United Kingdom, in Amsterdam, even in Montreal, Canada, where a number of people were arrested saying enough is enough. We are not going to stand for this utter nonsense. Human rights are far more important than government decrees and jackboot thugs following orders, and that should be a stand that many people, in my opinion, should be making. And as more people are told no, they cannot live their lives, more people start asking the questions that the government doesn't like. And I think for 2022, a lot of people are going to have a lot of very serious questions. And actually, I'm a little bit optimistic. To, to be quite honest with you. I think although there are some major problems ahead, things will go a little bit better than expected in 2022. They're definitely going to get a lot more interesting, but whatever happens, as long as you're prepared and aware of what's going on, could make 2022 one of the best years you ever had, and I hope you try to do that. I hope you guys... So Luke Radowski there, um, going over, if that's not a perfect example of Yuri Bezmenov's ideological subversion, there's ex literal examples of going after the culture, taking away people's rights. I saw, you know, shout out to Harry, Harry at the, I think the Twitch chat, when the narrative begins to fail, inject some racial tension as a distraction. And that's the, one of the ways to destabilize a culture. So no surprise, divide and conquer. It's just part of one of the many strategies they have in their toolkit or many tools, I should say, they have in their toolkit. It's part of strategies they can employ uh, to uh, gain control of power over individuals. So I think that's it was very apt um, what uh, what Luke covered there. In fact, it's very apt in coordination to what we were probably going to show later in the forms of mass formation psychosis and ideological subversion. These are psychological techniques that are being employed. Right now, we're in the middle of a war, but the war is not fought with guns and bombs. The war is fought, it's a spiritual war. It's an abstract war. It's an immaterial war. It's between, it's in the mind. It has to do with concepts. It has to do with fear. It has to do with uh, gaslighting. It has to do with misdirecting from evidence and reason and logic and, and reality in order to build up a false sense of reality based on fear, which then gets people to abdicate their individual rights and give into this, this unfortunate tyranny that they want to institute not only in America, but across the entire world. You can see how much more aggressively it's manifesting in places like Canada. I mean, the pastor had his, he got, he, I don't know how many times he's been arrested now. He had his head in the, the, the snow. He like refused to get up, but, you know, kudos to him for uh, standing strong, uh, trying to make it as difficult for them not to uh, be able to, to arrest him. You know, of course they did. Um, Germany using German shepherds, batons. I mean, it's just breaking down into pure violence. And as long as they can keep us fixated on one another, 
they're going to continue to get away with their agenda. You know, uh, what do you but call Tony, it? Tony, it's for your Soft health. Tyranny. <clears throat> Soft tyranny. Soft tyranny. Oh, there, yeah. yeah German exactly shepherds right. are good for your health. It's been proven. It's the science. It's also the science. If you tie the hockey nets together with some chains and prevent kids from getting exercise outside, that they become more susceptible and need the products brought to you by the science. Oh, it I all forgot. makes sense when you look at it from the side of the science. You're just not looking at the science, Tony. Science. That's a very interesting, uh, you know, disembodied sort of abstraction there. So, and you know who's married to the science? The woman in charge of bioethics at the National Institutes of Health. She's married this to the science. Offer ablations to the science. Will that will that make up for my sins of what I just oblations, stated? fellations? I think they take both <laughs> over there. I think that's how it works over uh, that at Francis Collins' place. Christ, Francis. All right, Collins. so. Um, I have a document. I was trying to figure out how to get it through OBS. So I'm still working on that, but I did find the reference. I'm just trying to figure out how to show this word document. Uh, so if you cover me for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So real quick, shout out to James Jordan as well. The Atlantic council seems to, this comes from the zoom chat. The Atlantic council seems to be new CFR trilaterals or the new CFR trilaterals. I featured a 2030 themed article of theirs in the latest GTW blog, whenever it gets published. And James, if you can, where can people find that blog? Um, I want to give a shout out to that. And by the way, shout out to so James and Phoenix run, I think Monday night, starting at seven o'clock Liberty radio, they sort of mix in some music in between a lot of the topics that Rich and I, unfortunately just due to time can't cover uh, doing a fantastic job. Can't uh, support, you know, please go out and support their work. Uh, incredible individuals, uh, awesome personalities. And they've also been frequent uh, members of, uh, the GTW town hall, which is seven o'clock PM Tuesday nights. And, um, they've just been amazing contributors and cannot, uh, speak, uh, highly enough about their contributions to what we're doing. So, uh, once he gets back to me with that blog, I will add that to the shout outs. So I also wanted to point out, Senna sent me this, um, and these are all people. See, we can work together as a community, and that's the goal of the GTW community is to be a research community. That was the original intention of Tragedy and Hope. Not talking about it being an online magazine. We won't go back that far. But the, the what it molded into, morphed into, transmutated into a research community. And so we all, it wasn't just Rich and myself or Kevin at the time and other researchers, Paul Verge, that we worked with. Um, it was a whole host of individuals that made up the community that shared resources, shared books, shared ideas. Um, and so the same thing with GTW, um, we're sort of just transposing that or transmutating what we had at the tra uh, tragedy and hope to the GTW, uh, sort of discord and oh, we do it live. We do it live, but in GTW, people are doing the same things that we did in the GTW discord now. Instead of using this old platform, the Ning platform, we're doing it on a Discord server. And maybe in the future, we'll evolve to something a little bit safer. But thus far, it's been fantastic. It's a private community of people sharing uh, links, uh, different ideas. Um, we you know, all recon we recognize the tyranny going on. We come from it from different angles. We have incredible discussions, Tuesday night, and lots of disagreements, very respectful disagreements, but very powerful discussions. Also uh, getting into the struggles. I mean, last week, you know, shout out to Sisyphus Jones who talked about and brought in some of the issues he's having with potentially his child being vaccinated because of the divorce in the family. So it's like, you know, it's, 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 we're all struggling with this. We're trying to find avenues, strategies to help each other embolden each other, provide support for each other. And I think that's a really important aspect that the GDW community can provide. So Senna, who's been, I call her my Turkish intelligentsia because she's 
she has interesting connections to understand the, the world of the United Nations and the Council on Foreign Relations and so forth and so on. She mentioned that if you look at, uh, I think she presented the Jack Prozobiak. Excuse me, I'm, I'll get into this later, but I contracted COVID on Friday night and I got hit like a truck, but thanks to early treatment, which again, I'm not a doctor. So obviously speak to a doctor. I was able to participate tonight on the show and I'll go into maybe what I did later on for myself. I do not recommend that to anyone else. This is just what I did. Again, speak to your doctor. I cannot, I'm not offering medical advice, but I certainly am indebted to the frontline COVID critical care community and Pierre Corey and Dr. Peter McCullough and so forth and so on that recommended various protocols. So I have tremendous respect, especially considering how badly I got hit on Friday night. I, I was actually scared. Um, I had never experienced anything like that in, in the case of a quarter of flu. Yay, freedom. So, <clears throat> doctor said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, yay, yeah. freedom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, freedom. It's funny how I had to go about getting certain medications. I'll talk Tyranny would have left you hanging there, bro. And it's, yeah, if we didn't, if I didn't have the show, if we didn't have uh, the avenues by which we could uh, ascertain other protocols, much safer protocols to utilize when one does contract this uh, seemingly lab created uh, manipulated virus. I don't know about you, but I got my advice directly from Peter McCullough at this desk a couple of weeks ago. That's, that's the advantage of interviewing people. You can ask them anything you want. And he gave and very utilized... specific regimen treatment that is published out there. And I utilized much of his and Pierre Corey's just amended it, but pretty much the same to your point. And I, I thank you tremendously for doing that for the community and for your family. And for uh, it was something I could share with a lot of people that are not necessarily privy to some of the deeper elements we cover on the GTW show, but real quick, Dr. Milan, of course, this comes from Posobiec, which is former Naval intelligence. So take it with a grain of salt. He's, you know, probably he has some sort of co-intel pro aspect to him. Maybe former in quotes, former. Yeah. In qu <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> to your point, Dr. Malone broke the algorithm and now Google is struggling to manually edit the results when you search for mass formation psychosis. Try it. Never seen this before. And Jordan Peterson tweeting out that YouTube now banned any mention of mass formation psychosis and any mention of Matthias Desmond and Robert Malone talking about it. So if that doesn't show you, give you evidence of the type of tyrannical world that's affecting the culture and uh, health policy, I don't know what more we would need. Go ahead, Rich. I'm sorry. I did find that reference because I remembered when I was, um, my Rothschild book is still in the process, right? And it's up to 326 pages in this outline from 2017. So this isn't the latest outline, but this is the one I had accessible in this uh, library studio computer. And right before the part with the Rothschilds and the Reuters, I had a section on the Rothschilds and carrier pigeons. So let me just indulge here. We're going to take a look at two pages from an unfinished book, but I'll give you the references and you can take a look for yourself. If you're looking to learn whether or not the Rothschilds use carrier pigeons, a transit method often referred to in such studies, there are some interesting references in the book titled The World of Private Banking, which draws from the Rothschild archives and a great number of other resources. Quote, from 1824... Carrier pigeons were also used, though the Rothschild brothers do not seem to have relied on these as much as assumed. Reference 415, we'll check it out at the bottom of the page. This system retained its edge well into the 1830s when a development of a railway, the telegraph, and the steamship opened a new era in more public forms of communication. Closely connected with their enthusiasm for swift communication was a penchant for secrecy. 
The five Rothschild brothers almost always corresponded with uh, one another in Judendeutsch, German transliterated into Hebrew characters, partly to make it difficult for Metternich's spies. Um, there's a typo there. The more security that was needed, uh, they uh, when more when more security was needed, they used simple codes. The first of these was used when Mayor Amschel was looking after the finances of the exiled elector of Hesse Castle in defiance of the French authorities in the Rhineland. Later, when gold was being shipped semi-legally semi across the channel to France in 1812-1813, this is during the Napoleonic Wars, letters referred to Nathan as Langbien, London became Jerusalem, and the transfers of bullion across the channel were codenamed Rabbi Moses or Rabbi Moshe. This culture of secrecy was inculcated early. Prior to the invention of the telegraph, the Rothschilds had a monopoly on the first-class mail of the rich and powerful in Europe, which didn't seem to be hindered by the telegraph much at all. Quote, Perhaps the most distinguished, if not the most powerful enthusiasts for the Rothschild Postal Service after 1840 were the young British Queen Victoria and her consort, Prince Albert of uh, Saxe-Coburg-Gotha, if memory serves. From the moment he arrived in England, Albert, Prince Consort to Queen Victoria, through his close advisor, Christian von Schockmar, and his British secretary, George Anson, made regular use of Rothschild couriers for his correspondence with the continent. That's the continent of Europe, for those of you playing at home. Soon, Victoria was doing the same, as well as relying on the Rothschilds to arrange minor banking services and even hotel reservations. In June 1841, she assured Leopold that she, quote, always, end quote, sent her letters to Germany, which are of any real correspondence, through Rothschild, which is perfectly safe and very quick. That's footnote 420. It's also worth noting that Queen Victoria didn't just use the Rothschild Courier Network. She also made visits to their private estates worthy enough to note in her entry in the Encyclopedia Britannica circa 1911. So it goes into that. They're good friends. Here's the uh, references. Museum of London. Uh, let's see. Letters from Rothschild. Rothschild Archives. British Encyclopedia. House of Rothschild. And now we get to this part with Reuters. Quote, the mansion at 18 Kensington Place Gardens was built in 1846 and for many years, the London home of Lionel de Rothschild. Paul Reuter, the founder of Reuter's news agency, was also a former resident. The property later became the Egyptian embassy and its neighbor, number 19, became the Russian embassy. So what you just read there was a house owned by Paul Reuter, later owned by Lionel de Rothschild, became embassies for <laughs> various countries. Next, next quote, uh, quote, the London bank can trace its links to Reuters back to 1850 when the London bank used Reuters carrier pigeons and telegraph system. Paul Julius Reuter was a Berlin publisher and he developed a prototype news service in 1849 in which he used carrier pigeons and electric tele uh, telegraphy. Within months, Reuter had moved to London and set up offices only two minutes from St. Swithin's Lane. That's where the Rothschilds hang out. And his company initially covered commercial news, serving banks, brokerage houses, and business firms. In 1850, Peter Reuter, I'm oh, sorry, Paul Reuter approached the Rothschilds, seeking them as a client for his services. N.M. Rothschild and Sons became 
early patrons of the Telegraph, using it to speed information across Europe, sending coded messages to and from their agents and businesses around the world. Now, you can read about how they took over the Royal Mint refinery. I'm sure, that's no big deal. But here's the references. That comes from the Rothschild archive. You can check it out online. All right. That's my summation. Rothschild and Reuters. So I got caught up in their auction chat. I'll Good. quote on that later on. I'll, just, I'll deal with some uh, discussions on the Rockman. But so when the guy who's the get... chairman of Reuters today is also on the board of Pfizer and you're looking behind to see who, who pulls the strings on those fellows, I would say historically it's the same ruling powers that have been shaping uh, the 20th and now the 21st century. I love the fact that you expose the courier uh, service that they use with pigeons because that's one of the big debunkings that people love to... Oh, let me put it's why, around the bunkings. How do you think Reuters learned how to use the carrier pigeons in the first place? <laughs> there's, a, there's a reason why they call it Twitter. Sorry. I'm just... They needed a public <laughs> offering of something that they had a service and other people wanted to buy into it. And beyond the queen and her consort, they could make a public service offering and use the courier pigeons to get news around. This is also one of the great innovations in, well, not just for warfare, but and information is key in, in any battle, in any situation. So the ability to develop a service that can get you information more quickly and get the jump on investments or in war or- According again, you know, to the 1938 House of Rothschild movie from Hollywood, the Academy Award-winning film with Boris Karloff and George Arliss, in that film, uh, Nathaniel Rothschild is the one I thought that cornered the British market during the time of Waterloo when he was in communication and funding the, the overthrow of Napoleon, uh, you know, uh, with Wellington. Yeah. And so that type of insider knowledge and knowing that Wellington won, even though he, he sold and made everyone think that he lost because he had insider information ahead of time that's in the film as well as their archives, as well as their autobiographies and biographies. So not to get you on a deep dive, because I know, I know you're right. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it anyways. So here's the, the house of Rothschild, 1934 American pre-code film by Nunnally Johnson from the play. 1934. By, thank you. By George Herbert Wesley. So it was originally a play and directed by Alfred L. Worker. Uh, it chronicles the rise of the Rothschild family and European bankers. Now historical accuracy. I'm going to read this. Because I agree with you 100%, but they try to debunk the uh, argument that they essentially were able to gain a massive amount of control over the Bank of England by having a jump on what happened at the Battle of Waterloo, which Battle that, of Waterloo is a very fascinating battle, by the way. But okay, so that's it. all well and good. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure Victor Rothschild, the fifth spy from the Cambridge Five spy network, he was so he's an MI6 communist spy, Victor Rothschild. Pretty mm -hmm. sure he was a consultant in Hollywood at that time on that film when he was dating Ayn Rand. Just saying. So let me <laughs> let me go to my book and let me see if I have a reference. Oh, that's hilarious. On this, of course, Ayn uh, Rand, I think, comes from Ashkenazi, Ashkenazi Judaism. La, la, la. I can't hear what you're saying. Prank caller. We're not allowed to say that? that no, I'm just kidding, dude. Oh. oh that's 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 <laughs> well, my brain is kind of not where it works, but kind of not works. You thought I was being literal. History. All right, so 
Let me just go over the historical accuracy. Okay. Bring that up real quick because I agree with you. I know. I know you have the evidence. You showed me the evidence as part of the book. I have outlines for your book going back to 2014, and I know the evidence exists for it. But this is what they say: the film takes several cr uh, creative liberties with the Rothschild family history. Amschel Rothschild did not die until 1812. During the later stages of the Napoleonic Wars, he is portrayed as not having lived to see. Only two of his five sons are actually present at his deathbed. The rest for that doesn't really matter. Nathan. Rothschild, Nathaniel Rothschild, born 1777, but have only been three years old in 1780 when the film begins. The relationship between Captain Fitz, they changed this. This is not what I remember. The Captain Fitzroy and truly Rothschild is fictional because they, at one point, the Prussian count, this is weird. I remember going over this and they, they changed it. They took it out. Unless there's another Wikipedia that goes over Oh, wait, maybe this is it. The movie was produced by Zanuck, who is not Jewish, as an attack on Nazism and anti-Semitism following Hitler's rise in Germany in 1933. The story was suggested by George Arliss, also non-Jewish, who made successful film. The, the point is, Arliss was given the dual role of Amschel Rothschild and one of Rothschild's son, Nathan Mayer, who settled in England. Zanuck faced behind-the-scenes yes. opposition from Jewish concerns, such as the ADL, Anti-Defamation League. But the screenplay passed the master of the Hayes office, one of whose officials, James Wingate, found no cause for objection and even suggested it be shown as a rep to a representative of the German government, a step Zanuck took, uh, or excuse me, refers, refused to take. In December 1933, the project was endorsed in one major Jewish journal, the B'nai B'rith Messenger, ironically. But I swear to God, I mean, it was either this or maybe it's another Wikipedia entry that talks about this film where they tried to debunk that aspect. Um, or maybe it was just the Rothschild Wikipedia in general where they I can to... undebunk it right now. Okay, real quick, that's what I want you to on. do. That's what I want you to do. Uh, yeah, then we can move on. Uh, uh, let's see. This is page 66 from my 2017 outline, which is pretty much meaningless. Uh, 1810, the Rothschilds saved Great Britain from Napoleon. Quote, spread out across Europe, the Rothschild brothers developed an unrivaled network of secret routes and the fastest couriers. In the closing years of the Napoleonic Wars, the five Rothschild brothers worked to supply gold to Wellington's army. By 1814, Wellington, advancing across northern Spain, had driven the French back into the Pyrenees, but was desperate in need of money to pay his troops. Nathan Rothschild was commissioned by the British government to supply the Duke with the necessary funds, and together with his brothers, he set up a network of agents to buy up coin and transfer it to Wellington in the form of the local currency. The Waterloo Commission underlined the success of a business built on a strong, on strong family ties <clears throat> and an unsurpassed communications network. Wow. That is reference 155 from the Rothschild archives right so here. It's not 1814. Un Go to the timeline. They tell you this. I'm just helping you find oh, that's stuff. That's crazy. It's part of the Rothschild Go archives. On. I mean, yes. literally it's part of their archives. So like this the idea how, that yeah. they played the stock market, having essentially an insider trading perspective. Isn't all right. That so the color coding at all. greener quotes, red is what I, I write to set up the quotes, but the whole book is just quotes and not my opinion. So that's why it's useful. All right. So uh, many readers on this topic, this is me writing, are well yeah, aware profiting, of yeah, yeah, go yeah, the myth-like story of Nathan Rothschild profiting from the defeat of Napoleon at Waterloo by the Duke of Wellington in 1815. That's a very interesting story, which I came across in my research, uh, which I find even more interesting and fascinating mm -hmm. after reading about it. In 1810, Napoleon was the scourge of Europe, and he had the monarchs in all directions taking actions out of fear of loss. So they're like trying to save their stuff as he's coming and taking it. Meyer Amschel Rothschild right. in Frankfurt was the protector of William of Hesse's vast fortune and had moved it out of reach of Napoleon's agents by sending it to Nathaniel in, in 
London, who questioned Meyer upon. Uh, to, so he moved it out of the reach of Napoleon's agents who questioned Meyer upon arrival. Let's turn to Baron Philippe de Rothschild's memoirs wow. to, to catch up on this story, right? Napoleon's police, this is a quote from Baron Philippe de Rothschild. It's a, uh, like a burgundy book called Baron Philippe. You can find it. Napoleon's police turned the house over and Amschel turned his face to the wall. Solomon graciously answered all of their questions. William of Hesse? Oh, as far as anyone knew, he was in Prague. Someone in the ghetto had been funding the resistance? Certainly not his father. Amschel Meyer was a man of peace. Amschel groaned pitifully. In fact, the Meyers had given the money to the guerrillas. Amschel hated Napoleon. That, the questioning went on. Uh, Solomon waiting till the, he was given the proper cue. The bribe did the trick. All that appeared in the police report was that Amschel Meyer had helped the elector, William of Hesse, invest his money. It was well invested. Some of it was already safe in Nathan's vaults at St. Swithin's Lane, London, and the rest was on the way. Quite a flitting. If you can trace the route, you will have done better than Napoleon's police and secret agents who never succeeded in intercepting the Rothschild traffic between Frankfurt and London. And then on the following page of his book... Here's a quote. In 1810, Napoleon was blockading England very successfully. The Duke of Wellington stranded his, uh, with his armies and beyond the Pyrenees, was unable to pay his troops, wrote a furious letter to London, send us money or disband us. The last convoy carrying Bullen to Wellington had been sunk and London couldn't find any more. Nathan could, right? Because he's got William of Hesse's money. Sitting right, there. Yeah, yep. And he's got East India Company gold. He heard that there was gold worth 800,000 pounds on a frigate, which had just docked at port at the port of London. It belonged to the East India company quote. I knew that England needed that money. He said, so I bought the lot. The government sent for me and they said they knew I had the gold and they must have it. I sold it to them. Payment deferred. <laughs> right now. This is Baron Philippe published in 1984 <laughs> by Rothschild and Littlewood. Baron Philippe right here. So these types of quotes go on, but these the, the, what's going on in reality is much more nuanced and complex and detailed and deep. It's it's offered in their archives. You can it's go look at the time they were able to elude Napoleon's uh, agents because apparently Napoleon's army, especially after he came back, what was it from Saint Helena? Was that the first uh, uh, sort of excommunication? I forget if that was the second one or the first, but. He um, essentially was infiltrated by, I believe, a bunch of Rothschild spies within his yeah, army. Yeah, he went ranks. to Elba and St. Helena. I forget which is which order. Yeah, I me too. But, but notice they didn't kill him. They didn't Why kill would him, they, yeah. What would happen if they killed Napoleon? He'd become a martyr. Exactly. Right. What That's they exactly want to do right. to people of that nature is grind them down in the public eye. That's right. And you do that by putting them in exile and letting them live. Yep. So when he came back from exile, at that point, his army had been infiltrated with a bunch of different spies, many of them, I think, Rothschild origin. So they had, he was compromised. He knew this. He would tried, he, I won't get into it. Let me put my camera back on. But he, he got in, what he did at the Battle of Waterloo was so complex. It was genius. But because he knew he had so many spies, he sent on a fake order. And, but then he well, sent on I'm a real not order. I'm totally sure that he wasn't funded somehow by the French House of Rothschild. So well, he probably know there's that probably thing, was. That, you know, yeah. Yeah. I'm not be, saying the point more to the story of how these wars actually worked. Oh yeah. I mean, he's, yeah. you know, he's probably a, a product of the Jacobin revolution. We know that was 
that um, was all mi not mi6 but british no. intelligence before mi6 correct facilitated the french revolution my, my memory is not worked but i remember east india company and spies yeah for 100 yeah, alex british state department so <clears throat> the the late um, 18th and early 19th century all right so now we're ready for the fauci flu and the wuhan crew let's move into this next section we got a report from john bound the documents that lead to a bio-warfare bio nightmare. Well, that sounds peachy keen to break, bring in the new year. Let's, uh, let's hear the report and let's look for the optimism in this. What are the good things that are happening while the bad things are going on, right? Is there a rise of freedom and intellectual understanding of what's going on in the face of this? Or are people just capitulating and subjugating themselves to tyranny? Let's see. This is being done by design. This is a depopulation weapon. It's a problem you can't ever fix. It just takes up all your rights with surveillance and control and then gives you injections that erase your immune system. The vaccines are now uh, going to help you to, to get infected. So the vaccines are doing the exact opposite of what you're told. And this is in a, a Denmark study, and it showed that for, for Omicron uh, in particular, the vaccine efficacy uh, turns negative after about 60 days. And negative vaccine efficacy means the vaccine is actually on the side of the virus, uh, not protecting you from the virus. As the public begins to get that, and as Laura Ingram gets that. What's happened to days. your country? Uh, we, we have no, no rights whatsoever. The, what we have right now is some kind of a hybrid between the fascism and communism, medical tyranny. I didn't get up here and say all the things I said that came exactly true because I am Nostradamus. It's because it's a laid out enemy plan and they've been very public about it for decades, how they use a virus to do it. And they've wargamed it hundreds of times I know of We've covered more than 20 of those drills on air, like lockstep. Even after the pandemic faded, this more authoritarian control and oversight of citizens and their activities stuck and even intensified. Citizens willingly gave up some of their sovereignty and their privacy to more paternalistic states in exchange for greater safety and stability. This heightened oversight took many forms, biometric IDs for all citizens, tighter regulations of industries whose stability was deemed vital to national interests. What is amazing about lockstep and what's, what really raises eyebrows is on the very first page, we see a bio leak out of China. Well, isn't that interesting? How do they know that a bio leak would come out of China? And, and not only that, it says, this pandemic that will set off the domino scenario of lockstep will, first of all, disrupt supply chains. Wow, amazing. So in other words, they knew that there would be these disruptive shocks, as the document calls it, to supply chains. And it says then as a result, flights will be shot, uh, shut down. China is key to this scenario. We see that there's a mandated global face mask. There are mandated temperature checks everywhere. And all this does is hype up the hypochondria and everybody getting scared, right? Freaking out. This is, this is the whole of 2020. There's mandates, pandemic mandates. As a result of this, biometric IDs will be necessary for all. And we're not up here giving you our opinions on subjects like this. 
I can give you my opinions on the metaphysical. I give you my opinions on life after death. I can give you my opinions on what my favorite foods are. Those views all vary person to person. But what I'm talking about cut and dry is what's going on. So Agenda 21 was passed into global UN law. We didn't ever pass it here in the U.S., but George Herbert Walker Bush signed us onto it to put us under UN UNESCO law by executive fiat in 1992 in Rio de Janeiro. And by the year 2021, they were supposed to have launched the deindustrialization plan to cut off the carbon, to just bring in hell on earth, to collapse the third world, merge it with the first world. And that by the year 2030, under Agenda 2030, which is another public plan, that the world would be free of war and famine because the world would be at least 80% depopulated. We are eight years out from that. And in the past, I would have experts on and scientists and researchers and people that worked in the federal government, the highest levels that were briefed on all this. And people are like, you know, that's crazy in 2005 or 2010 or 2015. Yeah, there'll be a world lockdown. We'll have to wear masks. They'll tell us we can't go out and go to ball games. You'll have to have a pass to you know, travel. Yeah, Alex, that's not really going to happen. And now you see how quickly it is happening. And now you can see how eight years from now they plan to have 80% of people dead this is all just a drill right now to lock us down to make sure we'll behave when they release the real bioweapons on us. Christmas. All right, so what can we learn from that? Well, let's just continue learning on the same topic that we were on right before the video because it wasn't meant to play out that way, but we were talking about Wellington and Waterloo and Napoleon. And then we played that video, right? Well, in order to understand that video, you need a little history. Let me give you a little history uh, like this. Let's do it like this. Let's do it live. This is a book titled The Impact of Science on Society, 1953, Birch and Russell. And he's talking about this guy, Fichte, <clears throat> on page 50. Now, Fichte was a German intellectual. Uh, did he write addresses to the German nation, Tony? After Napoleon yeah, beats Prussia, right? That's correct. So Napoleon yeah. wins the war. The Prussians are trying to figure out how their professional mercenary armies got beaten by Napoleon's amateur army. And Fichte laid it down afterwards. This is, this is how they're going to maintain a, a warfare state and not get beaten again. Fichte laid it down that education should aim at destroying free will so that after the pupils have left school, they shall be incapable throughout the rest of their lives of thinking or acting otherwise as their schoolmasters would have wished. That form of Prussian education came about because they wanted to figure out how to keep their soldiers from running off the fields in the face of battle. It was a way of mental conditioning. But in his day, this was an unattainable ideal. What he regarded as the best system in existence produced Karl Marx. In future such failures are not likely to occur where there, are dict where there is dictatorship. Diet, injections, and injunctions will combine from a very early age to produce the sort of character and the sort of beliefs that the authorities consider desirable, and any serious criticism of the powers that be will be psychologically impossible. What's that mass uh, psychosis theory that's going on out there? Anyone? Bueller? <clears throat> I'm sure it's not going on, though. Stop reading books. Listen to the moving pictures on TV. Don't read books from the past. It's dangerous. Fuck hmm. criminals. 
the classic quote. We've utilized that many times. Otherwise, people don't know what who Fichte was or why he was saying that. But they had just gotten their ass whooped by Napoleon, and they needed to change how they brought up young interchangeable cogs in their system of mercenary uh, soldiers. Battle of Jena. Jena. What was that in 1801? And you can go to uh, the ultimate history lesson with John Taylor Gatto and you can listen to him tell the whole story in detail or you can read it in his books, but it's a story people need to know about. And the reason it's still why, going on today. You know, I wonder because some of the innovations that Napoleon did in his army, I don't know, like he, what type of education he started giving out ribbons France. to get people, you know, yeah, started bravery. giving out medals and ribbons or something. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, they still, we still today use that model the innovations that Napoleon utilized incentive. Yeah. Incentive to stand in front of the bullets. Commanders on the battlefield have control of their regiments and could make decisions without having to go back to Napoleon himself. So there is that freedom. Um, And so like for troops to actually go about, uh, he also drilled, you know, I I just, I'm I'm thinking over time and like, I wonder what sort of education these troops, I mean, it's, he certainly drilled into them the, uh, the need to, you know, to listen that to, and to make sure they are drilled in the, the sort of formations that are necessary for when they are at war and the various battles, strategies, and tactics utilized. So, you know, I'd like to know how Napoleon did it. And then of course, like Prussia had to adopt a similar model, but it had to start with schooling because people were too independent, I guess. I don't know. I'm just speaking out loud, but. Well, they were, that's why they had to be conditioned and controlled to be yeah. used by authority. They were too free. That's why they would have mind control in order to uh, control the population. My only guess is that Napoleon took a lot of poorer people and, you know, paid them well and, uh, you know, conditioned them based on, you know, regiment movements and formations and stuff like that and got them to sort of, you know, capitulate, not break the line. And just, I don't know. It's, it's just interesting. I'd have to go back and look at it off the top of my head right now. For the next clip tonight, I think we should learn more about the science because it seems to be important these days, right? How is science conducted? There's observation and there's hypothesis and experimentation, all these different steps. Maybe we should find out about these steps. We have a clip uh, and it's talking about uh, an email thread that the scientists had and they'll show you how to do the scientific method right here. It's like a tutorial on how the science is actually conducted. This is brought to us by Kim Iverson at the Hill. And uh, it's going to feature Tony Fauci and Francis Collins helping you understand the science from behind the curtain of big pharma's money raining down on them. Kim, what's on your radar? Yesterday, Twitter deplatformed Dr. Robert Malone in yet another long line of scientists, doctors, and experts who've been silenced during this pandemic. Dr. Robert Malone is not an anti-vaxxer. In fact, he's taken the COVID vaccines and he's spent his entire career developing and researching vaccines and treatments for pharmaceutical companies. Malone has served as a member of the Scientific Advisory Board of EpiVax, assistant professor at the University of Maryland Baltimore School of Medicine, an adjunct associate professor of biotechnology at 
Kennesaw State University. He was CEO and co-founder of a pharmaceutical company, which helped in the development of the treatment for the Zika virus. He's a legitimate science and a doc scientist and a doctor. And on top of this, most notably, Malone was an original inventor of mRNA vaccine technology. Now, many other scientists have built upon his work and have contributed to the advancement of the technology to get it where it is today. But Dr. Robert Malone was the first to come up with the idea and successfully test it. Now, in normal circumstances, he'd be someone we'd want to hear from during a global pandemic and during the development of vaccines for a novel virus. Other scientists might not agree with him. Others might. There would be debate, as we'd expect there to be in science. But there's no doubt he's credentialed to speak and he's someone people would like to listen to. But Twitter decided otherwise and suspended his account. Now, it's clear we're not in normal times. These days, anyone, no matter how credentialed they are, can be silenced and worse yet, smeared if they say something that goes against the higher ups or the common belief. Numerous doctors, scientists, and experts during the pandemic have been the subject of character assassinations and defamation. It was once encouraged to get a second opinion when it came to our medical care. But now you need to go with the state-sanctioned advice, and anything other than that is a dangerous conspiracy theory. Shouldn't we, the people, be the ones to decide on that? Do you know what also was once a dangerous conspiracy theory? The idea that the Earth revolves around the sun rather than the entire universe revolving around the Earth. In fact, Galileo was convicted of heresy, which is the more ancient way of saying misinformation, and was deplatformed in the way they deplatformed people from the public square back then. He was sentenced to house arrest, where he remained until he died. This was how the powers that be could ensure Galileo's dangerous and untruthful ideas that the Earth revolved around the sun wouldn't be heard by the masses and cause confusion and mistrust in the government. There were many scientists who actually disagreed with Galileo's theory. Galileo was deemed wrong and dangerous, and so he was deplatformed and the subject of character assassination and defamation until he died. He was a quack, they thought. Good riddance. Now, we all know that wasn't true. The Earth revolves around the sun. It isn't disputed. But Galileo died without ever seeing the day he'd be exonerated. Now, we learn about Galileo in our history classes for a reason. He's a lesson to remind us that there are times when society as a whole, the elites, the educated, even the scientists are wrong. And worse yet, we'll shut down debate and wrongly persecute people. We often don't find out who is right or wrong until many, 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 many years later, which is why it's important not to silence dissent. And maybe you're thinking, well, Twitter's a private company. They can do whatever they want. But it isn't just private companies that are doing this. It's also our government. A couple of weeks ago, emails from the NIH were obtained through the Freedom of Information Act request that exposed a concerted smear campaign against three well-respected scientists and epidemiologists. The issue was the Great Barrington Declaration. The authors of the declaration argued for a more focused approach in regards to controlling the COVID-19 pandemic. They argued for protecting the most vulnerable and allowing everyone else to resume mostly normal lives. They created a plan. They started meeting with government officials in the fall of 2020. But here's an email from Francis Collins, the director of the NIH, to Tony Fauci, asking for a quick and devastating published takedown of the declaration and the three scientists. The email reads, Hi, Tony and Cliff. See gbdeclaration.org. This proposal from the three fringe epidemiologists who met with the secretary seems to be getting a lot of attention, and even a co-signature from Nobel Prize winner Mike Levitt at Stanford. There needs to be a quick and devastating published takedown of its premises. I don't see anything like that online yet. Is it underway? Three fringe epidemiologists 
Okay, sure. If you think professors of medicine at Stanford and Harvard and an epidemiologist from Oxford are fringe, right? But shortly after this email, they ended up trading subsequent emails showing off their takedowns in the Washington Post, Wired, and The Nation. These are government officials. Why wasn't this allowed to be debated? Why was the public just told this was fringe, outlandish science to be immediately disregarded? We're now over one year later with the lockdowns, schools, closures, and other disruptions that don't look to be subsiding. Discussing other ways to manage the pandemic are necessary at this point. It's actually fairly likely we end up going with the recommendations of these fringe scientists after all. Numerous credible scientists have been discredited, smeared, deplatformed, or fired, all without the ability for the public to debate their ideas and decide for ourselves who is a snake oil salesman and who isn't. Dr. Pierre Corey, who had his Senate testimony removed from YouTube. Gert Vandenbosch, a virologist who claimed vaccinating during a pandemic could be problematic. Dr. Aaron Kierty, an ethicist who said it was unethical to mandate vaccines. Dr. Simone Gold, who advocated for early treatments. The list goes on. Again, we might individually decide some are worth listening to while others aren't, but the show Shutting down of scientific debate is only going to facilitate the erosion of public trust in our leaders, government, and big tech. And that is something that, you know, Robbie, I don't think Twitter really understands. And I know you mentioned this also on your radar yesterday, this kind of uh, piggy tails on the, uh, on the, uh, the, or piggybacks on the, I always get my metaphors mixed up, piggybacks on the, on the radar you did yesterday of this being defamation, um, and smearing, you know, when you characterize someone as misinformation, then people, you know, it gets onto a Wikipedia page. People are like, oh, you can't trust that person. And it creates this, you know, th that person is Galileo. They need to be just shut down, silenced in some way. What Twitter doesn't realize, and my biggest beef with big tech on this, is they are causing, by doing all of this, this erosion in public trust. The public is becoming more and more skeptical as they see people with these big credentials being silenced. And they're saying, wait a minute, you know, why would you silence that person? You know, or like you having your article being labeled as misinformation and removed. People that read you, they know you're a big author. You've been a writer for a while that you are publishing all of these big, you know, uh, publications. And, and then suddenly you're now misinformation. I mean, th th this is causing public ero erosion of trust and the government officials, big tech is gonna be largely responsible for that erosion. Our democracy is very fragile, and as we're seeing, and this is only gonna spiral out of control, and it's gonna be largely big tech that is responsible for it, as well as, and the thing that really bothers me, these emails, right? Yeah. Like, who are they calling? When Fauci and Collins got together and said, well, we need to have some published takedowns, what publications are they talking about? Who could they call? You know, it, it, that needs to be investigated. What publications were they able to pick up the phone to? Apparently, Washington Post, Wired, and Nation, and the Nation. They yeah, were able to call probably up and all say, of them in the mainstream media. Whatever you want, Dr. Fauci, right? And that's what's so frustrating, I think, is the hypocrisy. Because look, so, you know, some of those scientists you mentioned, I don't know everything that all of them think. I bet some right. of them have said some things or expressed some views that I think are wrong. But right. but so have. 
Dr. Fauci and Francis Collins right. and Rochelle Walensky and like right. the herd immunity prediction was wrong. The you know the, the don't wear masks. Then well yes you should wear masks. Now we think all masks except the K95 ones are useless. So like the the the, the, the people who have credibility among the mainstream media, the government class, well those people don't get silenced. They don't get kicked off Twitter. They don't get you know they don't get called fringed extremists. So you know the the, the government accepted approved people are right about some things and they're wrong about some things and so are all the people on your list and so so are you and I and so is everybody right. Right. so everybody. you know labeling some people as like this other that cannot be trusted these are the good people these are the bad people everything they think is wrong people when people realize that that is being applied selectively and it is and it is not true they lose faith entirely in the system and and that totally. can, and that's bad because there are some parts of the system that should be trusted there's some advice that's been good but people then they don't want to hear it because you it's like the boy who cried wolf problem. Yeah, it's been a very, very frustrating, uh, you know, this pandemic has been extremely frustrating and very exposing of our government, whereas other governments have handled this differently. Like Iceland, I, I often look at their data. They are so refreshingly transparent in Iceland. And, you know, they say on their website when it comes to vaccination and, and, and COVID, they say, look, we don't know everything. We'll let you know as we know. They say this stuff can change. We're learning as we go. This is what we recommend right now. You know, if something changes, we'll be the first to tell you. And it's like, why couldn't our government officials do that? Everybody has been wrong in this pandemic. Some have been less wrong than others. Everybody has been wrong, right? And yet, again, it, it comes down to this. Some people get labeled uh, misinformation or fringe. I, I agree with your colleague that is doing the, the lawsuit. I almost want to join in on it myself. <laughs> Stossel, yeah. Right. I think, you know, a lot of us would say, hey, a lot of us were defamed in a lot of ways by being labeled misinformation. So uh, because of a piece or a segment mm -hmm. or something we said was labeled and flagged and removed or something. So, you know, I don't think this is leading anywhere good, but I definitely would like to see that public debate. And it's up to me to decide who's the snake oil salesman. Right. I might listen to something from some of these doctors and say, nah, but that's I up to me. Right. Why is Big Brother having to tell me or the Famous nanny state? oil salesman, Galileo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we will uh, hear from Robbie, from you, your radar. Looking forward to that next. Ah, uh, Kim. They can't get everyone to think and act the same if they all think for themselves. They have to listen to the authorities. That's how it works. And, um, you know, I think Fauci's doing a great job. And I think that's reflected. Uh, a lot of people think he's doing a great job. He's got the largest pension in U.S. government history coming to him when he, re when he retires someday. That's a, that's a story. Is that 350K per year? It's a new government report. The he's, Epic he's, Times. He's kind of no, like the right. uh, J. Edgar Hoover of our time, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to feature. I just wanted to mention <clears throat> his pension because he's doing a good job. He needs, you know, not only the highest government salary for a non-elected official, but he should have the largest pension. I, th I think that's just indicative of of government, right there. That's there it is. All right, so let's move to this section: vaccines, lockdowns, and therapeutics. There is this claim that a global COVID collapse has been triggered. This claim comes from a man named Voldemort. And uh, I think we should hear his claim and, and weigh it to see if his assertions hold any merit. So let's check it out. One second. Just loading. I dig that has to. What's it read? 
make Orwell fiction more <laughs> easy for me to say make Orwell fiction again. I'm hoping to find out if there are any TSA agents that read Orwell in a couple of days. Um, um, real quick, James Jordan, uh, Grant, it's on, so his blog can be found under grandtheftworld.com under the category, category, excuse me, the drizzle, my alter ego, nom de plume. So that's where people can check out the, his blog. And the, drizzle. The, the drizzle. The drizzle is going to tell you how it's going. Nom de plume. Via his blog. So GTW blog, but Tony just told you his real name. So I was looking go. for the link. I, I don't think it's been published quite yet, but we'll, we'll, we'll send he's, it I think he says he's getting ready to publish it. So. Like Publius. All right. Ready All to right. go with so, uh, yeah, Baltimore. We're spinning up the, we were spinning up band video. Let's check it out. This is the mass culling. When the first world collapses, the third world dies. Then we're third world, and then we are slowly collapsed as well. It's a hoax, folks. Doesn't mean there isn't a real virus killing people. People are always dying. But billions are going to starve to death and be depopulated from this by the first world collapsing. That's admitted. I have the actuaries. The very UN running this is now like, oh, give us more money to help the starving third world. This has been the plan stated to cut off your carbon, to cut off your life, to cut off your mobility, to absolutely bring you down to a below a third world status and then lower the third world into total starvation. We think about it as, oh, that's the third world. That's Africa, that's Latin America, that's areas of Asia, the Middle East. And, and again, those people are used as weapons against us to come in, drive down wages, to vote for globalism. So they've been made the enemy and, and many of them are the enemy because they're in a bad position. They've already been enslaved. They're being thrown at us. Like somebody picks a rock up and hits you in the side of the head with it. The rock's not bad. The globalists just picked it up and hit us in the head with it. Doesn't mean we capitulate and they manipulate our humanity and say, give up your borders, give up your sovereignty, help the poor people. Because the globals aren't trying to help them. They're trying to bring us down to their level so that they don't have anybody to save them. And when you deindustrialize and you collapse the first world, just the estimates put out by Russia and the United States, and Lord Moncton has his own, that if they did a 50% carbon cut like they wanted by 2025, they wanted the deal in place by 2008, didn't happen, that over a billion people would starve to death in the first decade. That's a ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-billion. It's a plan to get rid of everybody. And now the globalists admit that. They say a post-human world is coming. This is the globalist plan for total dependency. Now, the good news is here, most people won't starve to death in the U.S. But in the third world, it is a death sentence. And so here's a headline that really gave me an epiphany. London Guardian, coronavirus pandemic will cause famine of biblical proportions between 30 and 100 million set to starve to death in the next 18 months. Now, that's an incredibly deceptive headline. The coronavirus lockdown. Coronavirus lock. D-O-W-N, public school educated. Coronavirus lockdown will cause famine of biblical proportions. 
They're not trying to stabilize the third world, have people only have two kids. They are going in, and it's even in the Royal Commission from 49, from His Highness, I've read that whole thing, where the UK government back then, Queen Elizabeth's father, says, well, we could stabilize the third world and industrialize them and only have them have two kids on average. They do that on their own. But then we wouldn't have a giant pool of third world labor. And instead, we'll just let them have all the giant amounts of children they want. We'll use that to then take over the West, play the two populations off against each other, and then we'll engage in some type of mass sterilization in the future. So they brought in policies to make the third world population explode, to drive down wages worldwide, to use that as a weapon, to then to be able to test on those folks and then get us to join with the elites in the future when they're using the third world as a weapon against us to finally have us publicly sign on to exterminate the third world. Hundreds of millions will starve to death if this global depression really gets kicking off. The UN now confirms not 10 million set to starve to death this year, 30 million, but they're the savior that will collect the money and then give none of it to the people. They'll have a few photo ops. I told you 2 million extra were starving. That's the numbers I saw a few weeks ago. Now they say it's 30 million, probably more than that. But you're not going to have them humanized. And we need the president to come out. We need the president to fly on a jet tour to the poorest area of Latin America and to Africa and in an area of Asia. Just say, go to India, where they report millions are starving to death right now. It's just like, oh, it's a footnote. Oh, they say a couple million are starving. Yeah, people are dying by the thousands every day, malnutrition. You just, get, you just shrivel up and you get a cold and you die. And they, put, and they add that to the coronavirus numbers. 30 million people are starving to death on top of those who are already starving to death, according to the UN. And those numbers are accurate. 30 million people. How many have died worldwide from the virus? An extra 20 million people on top of the 10 million already starving to death are dying right now. These are real people. These are little kids with ribs sticking out on them, okay? And my God, the liberals are always like, oh, let's go ab uh, take abandoned dogs and cats and let's take them in and take care of them. Okay, great. How about we take care of some people? They want you to believe if you leave your house, you're going to die. The, the, the human civilization will end. Billions will starve to death. The UN now says 133 million are set to starve to death this year, not the 30 million. That was a UN release yesterday. So this is escalating quickly. And on the Owen Schroyer war room yesterday, they had a great graphic I saw on InfoWars of a big giant Grim Reaper next to a baby Grim Reaper. And the baby Grim Reaper is COVID-19. He says, hey, you haven't seen what poverty and starvation does. I'm the big daddy. That's the mission accomplished. That's been the globalist plan. So while we're losing our liberties and our future, the third world's losing their lives. So those that want to grandstand about, we're saving lives by doing this. No, ladies and gentlemen, this is all part of a psychological warfare op. But this isn't hydrogen bombs that are being dropped. This is cutting off the infrastructure for us here in the first world, bringing us to third world status and bringing the third world to starvation, mass collapse, death status. So these planes coming in to drop hydrogen bombs are already over the targets and they're already killing hundreds of thousands of people a week are now starving to death, according to the UN themselves. And by the way, those numbers are accurate. But notice, it's the UN launching this, 
cutting off the economy, directing it, our new boss, the WHO, the gold standard. But with the other hand, they've got David Beasley, a well-spoken American, who probably is a good person, going, please help us, we need hundreds of millions of dollars donated right now, everybody's dying. So they create the problem, and then they have the solution. Compliance with the lockdown means hundreds of millions of people will starve to death in the next year and a half. That is now official, that is now confirmed. And the depression that is already hitting the United States will be devastating for generations to come. And out of the poverty that comes from it, all major colleges will no longer be for the general public. Everybody else will teleconference. Most jobs will be obsolete. You're going to see the robot take over the driverless cars, the whole system, because after all, humans can't be in contact with each other. We can't shake hands. We can't get on airplanes. This is the lockdown. This is the takeover. This is the post-human world. This is the giant leap into the future that the NWO had promised they were going to bring us. This is the mass culling. When the first world collapses, the third world dies, then we're third world, and then we are slowly collapsed as well. This is the takedown of the Western dream, the takedown of the Renaissance, the death of egalitarianism, the death of true liberalism, wrapped in a neoliberal fabric of sickening technocracy. The very people that managed the crisis were behind the crisis. Well, that's why they're on top of the bioweapons development, is so they can launch them when they want, cover it up when they want, they had to have that security to be able to have the nerve to pull something like this. But what else is John Hopkins saying? And what has Klaus Schwab said, who's helping quarterback this with Henry Kissinger and others? They've said, we're about to have a giant cyber attack that's far worse than COVID that messes up all the financial systems of the world and erases your digital money. But then they're going to reorganize it all and tell you what your value of your money is. They need an excuse for the crash with all this inflation that's coming and the hyperinflation that's coming and the major inflation that's already hit, they've talked about a global internet crash, which then they will pose as saviors, countering terrorists or hackers, use that for even more internet control, internet IDs to protect us again from the very ones that have attacked the infrastructure. And it's all another John Hopkins report that details all of this. So that's the next big false flag coming. The big globalist companies can afford to bring in new employees and go through the crises they've created. But smaller warehouses, police departments, businesses, farms, everyone wants to do the right thing and have constant PCR tests that are 99% of the time fake. You get a false positive, you're totally well, they call it asymptomatic, but then everybody else has to shut down the warehouse because they're all scared. And now you can't do business in America, but everybody else in the world is. Europe can't do business, we can't do business, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, because the globalists are bringing us under heel, they're bankrupting us, they're preparing us. The New World Order elite types are going to try to trigger a financial collapse. They're going to try to do that, claiming hackers have done it. They've been beta testing, shutting down pipelines and shutting down meatpacking facilities and shutting down ferries. And then telling you that they're going to be the saviors when it all comes, even though they're the ones that want to disrupt society to consolidate society. They are the new world order. They are the disruptors. They are the ones that want a post-industrial world and created a treaty in 1992 in Rio de Janeiro that our evil globalist president, Mr. New World Order, Herbert Walker Bush, may he burn in hell, promoted. It's been confirmed. The documents have been seen.
that this is a kill plan. They've got a whole societal collapse program, how it brings down the hospitals and brings down the civilization. Then there's a collapse, then we accept mass death, and, and then we accept basically a worldwide AI takeover, and they claim that only an AI system can manage all this because so many humans are sick and dying, not just the baby boomer generation that's got to be taken care of. And then a whole roll, robot rollout comes out. And then the general masses are starving to death. And so those that still have wealth that aren't part of the system are told, you've got to sign on and put your wealth into this to stabilize and save all these people that are dying and starving. And then basically you sign your wealth over to this big giant global wallet that they're going to be rolling out. And this global wallet will have your medical ID, everything on it. And of course, we already knew all that. The Australian uh, leader just came out and announced it yesterday that your COVID pass will now be your money. But I've been talking to folks that have seen the official government plans put out by the major foundations, the uh, Carnegie Endowment. That's why... The Carnegie Endowment is now in full control. Bill Gates works for them. The CIA is run by the Carnegie Endowment. And it's just a total extermination plan. I mean, final solution, we're all dead. It's like, wow, wow, you guys are really evil. So they really did it, folks. And they even war game out in Operation Lockstep. And then, of course, in Event 201 and Crimson Contagion is the big one. How, within a year of people being vaccinated, neurological disorders explode, collapsing civilization. You're like, oh, yeah. They, this is meant to collapse things. When we're taking care of a third of the U.S. population or more, that'll probably be neurologically gone in a year or two, five years. You heard it, you know, because it, if it kills rats in six months, he's thinking, eh, five, 10 years for humans. That's, you know, he's, it's all dead reckoning. But in five, 10 years, oh my God. And by then, these idiot guinea pigs would have taken 20 shots apiece. And I got a bunch of clips of warehouses breaking down and, We've got some old pool chairs that are like six years old and broke and fell apart. And my wife's like, for a few months, she's like, I can't order pool furniture anywhere. Everything's sold out. And I said, go to Amazon and buy it. It'll be there. And she said, I said, I thought you said, don't you know, shop Amazon. And I said, it's just a learning experience. Only these big companies are going to be able to have supply chain now. She goes, yeah, they've got all the chairs there. They're ready to ship. And I said, yeah, no one else does. Not the Austin companies, not the national companies. Not anybody. You go to the local stores, they don't have pool chairs. Nobody's got it. Only Amazon's got it. That's the future. Walmart and Amazon and Target got it. Nobody else does. They've spent the last year and a half buying up everything, shutting off the supply chains. This is monopoly capitalism. This is fascism. This is intense warfare against humanity. This is the social safety net and the social compact broken. People ask, where is the charcoal toothpaste? The feds came after our silver toothpaste, said we were evil, bad, <laughs> said we were saying things we it. didn't say. Yeah, you could pull that it. went away because I said, I'm not going to. I do use that toothpaste, so I'm not hating on it, but he can pay to advertise here if he needs to advertise here. <laughs> uh, it's good toothpaste, Dr. Jones. Sure. All right. So um, I don't know that his assertions have been fleshed out in the past two years, but they're interesting. They're interesting. And, you know, cause COVID only lasted those two months, a couple years ago. So if it had gone on for a couple years, like, you know, what he was saying, then maybe there's be some merit, some weight to those assertions. But I think, you know, cause it, you know, it's, it's a long time ago memory, that COVID thing. It went yeah, away it all pretty stopped quick. after the 15 days of Latin occurred. Right. I remember it was famous. Up. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 
or are we not I in that dimension anymore? We're in, we're in a dimension where there's probably more veracity to his claims than maybe we want to, uh, never at a time before support. in history has Alex Jones been so vindicated. So just stating next time I'll wear my, my shirt that says, I hate Alex Jones. <laughs> it's an Infowars shirt, but it's like, you know, it's like someone the, in the, the opposite. Finn. It's like a sarcasm thing. Like someone in the Rockfin shot. I think I could have. But lefties someone. take it literally, so I figured to be safe to wear certain places. <laughs> it's kind of no, it's... like Let's Go Brandon used to be, but now everyone knows about it. You know, apparently that's a form of insurrection. Everyone now. knows except the president. Yeah, right. I agree. Yeah, let's go, Brandon. Yeah, great idea. Um, someone in the Rockfin chat said that Jay Dyer called him Voldemort. I thought that was pretty funny. I think uh, I forget where that was at, but he called Alex Voldemort. I think yeah, that's you know, that's what I was listening to earlier. That was oh, okay. Is where that I, from that's where I was taking it from because he's he who should not be named on the interwebs. That's that's what I thought it came from. I wasn't a big uh, Harry Potter fan, so I barely get that reference. But I got enough to repurpose it. Hey, should we go to this Greg Reese report? He also has some assertions that need to be weighed. Yeah, out. what I would do here. Because these two are pretty important. Play LD, go ahead and play that in the John Bound back to back. All together, it'll be about seven minutes, eight minutes. And I think those those two together paint a very good picture of how dangerous the vaccines are. So danger, danger, Will Robinson. Mm-hmm. That's an old reference. That's that, uh... Yeah, yeah. Internationally recognized leading pathologist, Dr. Arne Burkhart, and renowned expert in the fields of microbiology and infectious diseases, Dr. Sukarit Bhakti, recently published irrefutable evidence that the mRNA shots are killing at least 40% of recipients. First, they explain why the experimental agents cannot protect against a viral infection which we already know to be true by the overwhelming evidence and admissions that the more vaxxed up a person is, the more likely they are to get COVID. Doctors Burhart and Bhakti explain that this is due to the fact that the so-called vaccines sway the body into producing antibodies in the blood, but not within the mucous membranes that normally protect our respiratory tract. This is why the vaccinated are suffering what they call breakthrough infections. The COVID vaccines are turning off lymphocyte production where they need it the most, while amping it up in the bloodstream, which is where it gets much worse. For those without the vaccine, a natural infection with SARS-CoV-2 will in most cases remain localized to the respiratory tract. But for those who have been vaccinated, unrelated cells deep inside the body react to the respiratory infection by creating a new spike protein, which then causes the cell that created it to be attacked by the immune system. Experts warned us of this last year, and now it is clearly seen in the evidence. Doctors Burhart and Bhakti found this autoimmune disease present in most organs, but mostly in the heart, which helps explain why we are seeing so many cases of myocarditis and cardiac arrest. The vaccines trigger self-destruction. Analysis has now been performed on the organs of over 70 people who died after vaccination and who died for reasons officially unrelated to the vaccines. 
In most cases, rhythmogenic heart failure was postulated as the cause of death, a mystery which has now been solved. What they found was inflammatory events in small blood vessels, characterized by an overabundance of T lymphocytes and dead cells, usually accompanied by tissue destruction. In other words, immunological self-attack. The evidence clearly shows that both mRNA and vector-based vaccines from all four manufacturers are inducing autoimmune disease in multiple organs, mostly the heart, followed by the lung, liver, thyroid, and brain. These data are so damning that you don't have to start looking for other data to know that these vaccines are killing the young and the old. So the children are set up against the wall and they shoot. These damn people are shooting and they're killing our children. I can't stand it. We have a four-year-old son and we're going to flee this damn country because we are not going to let himself be shot. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. This is for new listeners tuning in. They're going to collapse the world. They're going to starve billions of people to death. They're going to bring in a new dark age. Here's their plan. Here's their admissions. This is all by design. We're all in great danger. They're not just blocking therapeutics for normal viruses. They're not just giving people treatment for pneumonia and the flu and letting them die and calling it COVID. They're bringing in eugenics. They're bringing in bioethics. They are bringing in the end of civilization, and then they're going to pose as the saviors while it all collapses. We do not know how well those antigen tests perform at day five in detecting transmissibility. And it is for that reason that we would say, even if you had a negative test, we would want you to mask. And even if you had a positive test, we would also want you to mask. If your plans are to go to a 40 to 50 person New Year's Eve party with all the bells and whistles and everybody hugging and kissing and wishing each other a happy new year, I would strongly recommend that this year we do not do that. Dr. Robert W. Malone has been banned by Twitter. The inventor of mRNA technology got more and more hardcore. He came out last week with an emergency message to parents saying this is not a vaccine. It is linked to major heart problems and death. You should not give it to your children or you should at least research. You talk about war crimes, the people at Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. Man, you people are evil. The U.S. data is deeply contaminated. It is compromised at multiple levels. It's compromised by the the CDC's official position is that there have been no vaccine-related deaths. That is is completely untenable. there, there are a large number of deaths in bears. They continue to accumulate in the post-vaccinated, not just in the U.S. database, but in the British database, the Scottish database, the German database, the Icelandic database, the Norwegian data. It goes on and on and on, Israeli database. Okay, But the CDC still insists as official policy position, there have been no vaccine-related deaths. The CDC is willfully ignorant. Uh, the one thing they had in common is that they were vaccinated uh, six months or, or earlier before they were given uh, to uh, uh, to these scientists to, to do a very thorough autopsy. And they spent six months to do the autopsy. And what they found was that in 14 out of the 15 cases, in other words, 93 um, percent, that 
the vaccine was actually causing uh, the T cells to attack your own organs. And in 14 out of the 15 cases, it attacked the heart. And so depending on which organ they looked at, uh, they would have fewer cases. But the, the organ that was most attacked, most often attacked in all the cases where they saw uh, damage was the heart. And of course, this is uh, consistent with uh, you know what we've seen in VARES in terms of the elevated cardiac risk, sometimes you know up you know thousands uh, uh, times elevated. Before they were given these bodies, the coroners determined that in all 15 cases that the vaccine was not implicated. And when they actually examined the the bodies correctly using the right tests with the right experience and knowing what to look for, they found that. In 93% of the cases, um, we have this, um, uh, we can implicate uh, that the vaccine was, uh, uh, was implicated in the death. The justification for the inoculations was to reduce illness and hospitalization. Yet here we see that the inoculation arm showed an increase in adverse events in almost every category. For example, if you look at related adverse events, which are adverse events that the investigators determined to be caused by the investigational product, there were over 5,000 in the experimental arm and just over 1,000 in the placebo group. So that was a 300% increase for people who'd taken the inoculation. I'm not trying to scare you. I love you and you need to get ready. I mean, we are in the middle of the new world order. We're in the middle of the market, the beast takeover. We are in the middle of the foretold great nightmare. Yeah, I only have really one disagreement with that video. And it's this, um, it's this word. It starts with a V. It rhymes with vaccine. Yeah, it's not a vaccine, guys. And how do I know this? Well, I'm going to push a button. Let's look at the, let's look at the interweb. Find yourself a browser. Type in SEC Moderna Gene Therapy, and you can find. If I go back a page, let's do it live. There's my search. Here's the link, SEC Edgar database. I'm going to hit control F and it doesn't show up on screen. So let me see if I can just pull this down a little bit so you can see that on the screen. Let's see, doing it live. I won't do it because the window is selected. All right, I'm gonna control F for gene therapy. <clears throat> And if I don't put the Y on gene therapy, it's going to, uh, it shows me 23 results. But when I put, and I can, uh, let me scroll down so you guys can see some of those results right here, right? There's these entries for gene therapy, but if you put the Y on there, it turns into 11 results, right? It's still the same kind of results that mm -hmm. it pulls up. It just doesn't pull up as many. And I thought that was interesting because I, I said that the other day, there was 23 citations for gene therapy just in the SEC. And it says the mRNA is considered gene therapy. I mean, they're very open about it, right? So why are they hiding it? Nowhere in this document do they say that that's a vaccine. They're calling it a gene therapy, right? This is the Securities and Exchange Commission. These are stock filings that Moderna has to do. This is from June 2020. So it's not like 2013 or 2017, like some of the other instances. I'm saying... It is still the current language that this is a gene therapy 
And interestingly, when you search gene therapy without the Y, it's there's 23 instances throughout the document. And when you add the Y, all of a sudden, 12 of those are hidden, right? Maybe some of these down here, they don't want you to see. So because they call them P therapies, P-I-E-S? Uh, yeah, that's why it's something. Yeah. It's okay. Just, there you go. Yeah. P-I-E-S. That's all. There's yeah. many of them. Is that what they're yeah, saying? Yeah. They're saying gene therapies. Yeah. That's actually more pernicious to be honest. But. Right. So there you have it. It's a gene therapy. And now it makes a lot more sense that there's all these adverse events from a gene therapy because it's not a standard vaccine. Like what the people were sold on. They were sold on informed consent via a lie, which is not informed consent at all. That's a violation of the Nuremberg Code, and it's all right here in this one document. Isn't it so the first I'm, I'm tenet saying, of the Nuremberg Code that they're violating, too, of all things? I think it's the first. I think they started at number one and went through and broke all ten. Yeah, at this point. Um, they got Rich, ten planks of the Communist Manifesto up and the ten points of the Nuremberg Code down. Red alert! Red alert! <laughs> We're taking on water here. Someone start the pumps. Oh, that's by the way, a good shout out Austin Space. That's what I was thinking of the original show back in the day. I saw the TV show, not the yeah, the original TV. My dad used to make me watch the old one. Um, yeah. So, but what was uh, Moderna called? What was their original name, Rich? M mode RNA. Oh, yeah. Mode just... RNA. Hmm. Brandon. Nothing to Tony. nothing to see there. Nothing. And where did, you know, who, who's the, you know, it's Robert Malone who, who helped to create that technology. Yeah. And then he has these things to say, and now he's gotten to the point where he's actually saw outside of his field, outside of his MD PhD type of background. And he got red pilled because he saw, wait, there's like the things that are going on are not being run by the good old constitution and uh, checks and balances anymore. If they have been any time recently, but right now it's very exaggerated and very noticeable. By the way, that, that video towards the end with that woman speaking very professionally going over the uh, Pfizer trials and the vaccine injury, particularly death that comes from the Canadian COVID care Alliance. That's what they, they, he, so John Bowne shows a part of that, but that's the other part that Robert Malone shared, which is actually more innocuous that got him banned from Twitter that we'll, we'll show later on. Cause I think it's very, you know, uh, potent portentous for, you know, well, we already are aware of what, uh, the collusion of big government, big media, and, um, you know, these new digital public squares I've been doing. Yeah, Twitter is not a public square information. for finding or discovering truth. That's for damn sure. Start there. It's a, it's a public square for battling propaganda as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Pretty much. All right. So we go to this uh, Jimmy Dore clip. Boosters could damage your immune system. I thought boosters were supposed to help your immune system, Tony. What is going yeah, on? I haven't here? seen this. I'm curious, actually. Why does it seem like everything that they say they're doing, they're doing the opposite? Is it accidental? Is it incompetence? Or do they have a plan that they're executing and we're slow on the uptake, maybe? I don't know. Let's weigh the options and see, Pilgrim. Right now, I want to show you, I want to remind everybody about how Omicron presents. This is how, so if you get Omicron, what's it going to do to me? This is what it's going to do to you. Um, Top five Zoe reported uh, symptoms. So, so th this is this is the early London data, right? Most common, runny nose. Second most common, headache. Third most common, fatigue. Sometimes the fatigue was bad. Sometimes it was mild. Fourth most common feature, sneezing. Fifth most common feature, sore throat. The implication is obvious. If you have any of these, 
and uh, you've had colds in the past, you're going to think it's a cold, but it may well not be. It may be an Omicron cold. Need to get tested. So that's what we're talking about. And people are getting boosted so they can fight that. People are right now running around with like chickens with their heads cut off mm-hmm. over that. That's what people are afraid of. Can I, I'm going to show you it again one more time. What are they um, afraid of? What are the symptoms? Top five if I Zoe get Omicron, reported, uh, what am I going to get? Symptoms. So, so th- this, is, this is the early London data, right? Most common, runny nose. Oh, my God. Second most common, headache. <laughs> I don't want a headache. Third most common, fatigue. Sometimes oh, the fatigue I don't want to get bad. tired. Sometimes I'll have to lay down. Mild. <laughs> Fourth most common feature, sneezing. Ah, Fifth most common feature, sore throat. The implication so, is ah. obvious. If you have any of these... And uh, you've had colds in the past. You're going to think it's a cold, but it may well not be. It may be an Omicron cold. Need to get tested. So if you get Omicron, that's what's going to happen to you, most likely. This is from the New York Times. Israel considers fourth vaccine dose to fight this. But some experts say it's premature, you think? Some scientists warn that too many shots... You ready for this? Some scientists warn, this is the sub-headline, sub-scientists warn that too many shots might actually harm the body's ability to fight the COVID-19 virus. But Israel experts say there isn't time to wait. So do you see what this says? The he- so what they're saying is, sub-scientists are warned that, so just like Robert, Dr. Robert Malone, who just got banned from Twitter today, Dr. Robert Malone, the guy who invented the mRNA vaccine technology, he didn't invent this vaccine. He invented the technology this vaccine is built on. He was on our show a couple of months ago, and he said exactly that. He said that vaccinations aren't linear. It's like if you think it was two is good, three will be better, fourth is better. He said it's not doesn't always work that way. That you could get uh, one and it could you get a, a, a boost and it could have the exact opposite effect which is what they're saying now, two months after he said it on my show. That's what they're saying now. He said it on my show two months ago, but people are always saying Jimmy Dore's crazy. Everything I've said, the mainstream media is now starting to say. Israel is considering whether to approve a fourth COVID-19 vaccine dose for vulnerable people to contain the fast-spreading Omicron variant, despite debate among scientists and a lack of evidence. Either for or against the... There's not enough evidence, but they say, just go do it. Why? Because they're bought by Big Pharma and their tens and tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions of dollars. Billions, not millions, billions The panel of experts is advising the Israeli government on the pandemic recognized that uncertainty, recognized that uncertainty. But on Tuesday, it recommended giving a fourth dose frigging anyway. The panel of experts advising the Israeli government on the pandemic recognized that uncertainty. We don't have enough data. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. But ah, go ahead. Big Pharma's going to make a ton of money. Let's keep it going. Concluding that the potential, the potential benefits outweigh the risk. The benefits of, by the way, remember, the benefits are it's going to protect you from Omicron. Remember I showed you if you get Omicron, what's going to happen to you? 
it pointed to signs of waning immunity. The board did the board, the, 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 the panel a few months after the third shot, waning immunity after a few months after the third shot and said that any delay in additional doses might prove too late to protect those at risk from Omicron. Omicron, which let's remember what the symptoms are. But some scientists, like the one who we had on our show, who invented the mRNA vaccine technology, some scientists warned that the plan could backfire because too many shots might cause a sort of immune system fatigue compromising the body's ability to fight the coronavirus, which is exactly what Dr. Robert Malone said on the show. And everybody said, we're crazy. Everybody said, why don't you bring out somebody to debunk him? Now the New York Times is saying it. Isn't that weird? A few members of the government's advisory panel raised the concern with respect to the elderly, according to the written summary of the discussion obtained by the Times. The price will be higher if we don't vaccinate. The price will be higher from this Omicron, which remember the symptoms. If we don't, said Dr. Boislev, the head of the advisory panel. Boy, I'd like to see what his investment portfolio looks like. <laughs> He said at a news conference late Wednesday, describing the spread of Omicron as a kind of tsunami or tornado of mild disease. You see the, the words they use? It's a tsunami, a tornado of a mild disease. Huh. A tsunami sounds bad. A tornado sounds scary. A cold doesn't sound bad or scary. But if you put tornado and tsunami in there, it sounds really scary. So you better go get some more vaccines. We don't have a lot of time to make decisions. Oh, (laughs) you might catch Omicron and then you might present as having a cold. You know, uh, by the way, uh, CNN reported yesterday they found their first death from Omicron in Texas. And that was a lie. They have to make stuff up. To find somebody who died of Omicron. They have to make it up. And they will. And they're doing it. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. Dr. Boaz Lev. He's doing his job. Believe me. He doesn't get to be the head of that vaccine panel without some serious compromise in his life. I'll tell you that. With Omicron sweeping the world at alarming speed. Oh, my God. This, the most mild variant is sweeping the globe which a lot of people say signals the end of the pandemic because this is so mild. But not according to the New York Times. With Omicron sweeping the world at alarming speed, governments are scrambling to figure out how to contain it in the face of significant public pressure against reimposing harsh restrictions on daily life, curbing holiday celebrations, and deepening the economic pain wrought by two years of pandemic. A new British report shows that booster doses are less effective against Omicron. Again, remember, Omicron's what's the symptoms? Very mild. Then previous variants and their effectiveness wears off faster. Within 10 weeks, vaccine makers are trying to adjust their shots to target Omicron. So you don't have to live through having a cold. Or, or something that presents as that as a cold. 
Israel has confirmed a few hundred cases of Omicron. But officials say the new variant is much more widespread and much milder. They don't tell you that. They leave that part out. The variant is much more widespread and much, much milder. They don't they leave that part out of the story on purpose. That's not a mistake. That's on purpose. And could overtake Delta as the dominant variant in a country with two or three weeks. That's what you want to have happen. You want Omicron to take over from Delta. Why? Delta's more deadly. Omicron mild. But they still want you scared to death. Boy. Given the fear of major Omicron outbreak during the winter, oh my God, everybody looks like everybody has a cold. What are we going to do? It looks like they have a cold. Do they have Omicron? Cold. What are we going to do? How many people are dying? None. What are we going to do from Omicron when no one's dying from it? What are we going to do? Given the fear of a major Omicron outbreak during the winter, when the hospitals are already overflowing with patients and complications of flu and other respiratory ailments. Oh, yeah. Back to the back to the we don't have enough hospital beds. Don't don't build more. hospitals. Don't build more hospitals. Don't add hospital beds. Hey, we're right at our capacity at all time. Should we build some redundancy in the richest country in the world? No. And definitely don't give people health care. And definitely don't give people health care because that'll clog up the hospitals. People will start seeing doctors. They'll start going to see a doctor. The advisory panel voted overwhelmingly to recommend a fourth dose for people over 60, those with compromised immune system and health workers, to be administered at least four months after their third shots. The panel did not recommend a fourth shot for the wider population at this stage, but it did advise giving the third dose three months after the second. What? Rather than the current wait of five months. So when I got my second jab in April, April 17th or 19th, doesn't matter. It's that week. April, May, June, July. You would So if you would have told me, hey, you got to get another one in July. That would have really affected my decision to get that second one. And if they would have said you got to get a fourth one in October and then a fifth one in January, that would have totally changed the way I looked at those first two doses. Totally changed the way I looked at it. While there is evidence that Omicron discovered just last month usually causes milder illnesses than earlier variants. While there is evidence, you mean overwhelming evidence? You mean... That's the only evidence there is, is that? Just evidence. Isn't that money? There's no qualifier on that. Israeli officials said that by the time they have clearer information, it might be too late. So stay shitting your pants. Professor Haggai Levine, an epidemiologist and chairman of the Israeli Association of Public Health Physicians, said that Israel was not seeing a sharp rise in infections yet. Daily infections are around 1,200 a day, down from 11,000 at the peak of the Delta wave in August. And there was no evidence that a fourth shot was needed to prevent severe illness from Omicron. So this guy looks like he doesn't have an investment portfolio and he's allowed to tell you the truth for some reason. Maybe he just has integrity. Maybe that's what's happening here with Haggai Levine. 
This guy's like, no, there's no outbreak happening and there's no evidence that a fourth shot is needed to prevent severe illness from Omicron because it presents as mild. Just because we led with the third dose does not mean that there should be a fourth dose with no specific scientific basis. Who said that? That was Professor Dror Mavrach, who heads the coronavirus ward at the Hadassah Medical Center in Jerusalem. Also, he urged waiting for more data before recommending another boost. And we'll never hear from him again. And we'll never hear from that guy again. So just like we reported on this show two months ago when nobody else would say it, Dr. Robert Malone came on and said, hey, that's not how vaccines and your immune system works. It's not linear. Two is not always better than one. Three is not always better than two. Four is not always better. It ha- Things happen with your immune system, just like they said in this. Just like all the scientists, why are they allowing them to print this now? I don't know why they're allowing them to print this, but there it is. Sometimes scientists warn too many shots might actually harm the body's ability to fight. It might actually hurt your immune system. That's what scientists are saying now. And they're, but scientists have been saying this all along. They're just now printing it. So now when people call me crazy, I can go, well, it's the New York Times. It's crazy. They'll still call me crazy for a week or two. And then they'll come around. So I predicted by March, all my friends who have their head up their ass and are repeating propaganda straight from fucking Pfizer and and Anderson Cooper without one critical thought going through their head. I predicted by March they will come around. And it's going to be because it's going to be the fourth or fifth booster when they're going to start going, what the F and F? Not unrelated to that story, we also have a story on a New York Times editor who was 49, dies one day after getting the Moderna booster jab. So the newsroom at New York Times has to have a lot of double speak, double think in order to work there. They can say these things are crazy two months ago when Jimmy Dore is like bringing you the source of the information. But when the New York Times decides it's time to tell the public these things, then it can become official, not conspiracy theory uh, anymore. I think conspiracy theory a lot of times is, is just used when uh, you're inserting facts into the narrative that are ahead of the script. And the producers are very adamant about those facts being disclosed later after people have been denied their rights to make informed consent. Like Jimmy said, if he knew that they were going to have to be four, five, six boosters, he wouldn't have signed up for the first two. He has vaccine damage from that's self-described and that it still goes on. Uh, and you can hear him mention that probably once or twice a week. So he's not somebody who was like anti-vax. He bought into the story, was injured by it, and then became very interested into uh, what's going on here. And I know Uh, You want to listen to Rochelle Walensky and you want to listen to Fauci and you want to listen to Francis Collins, but this guy, Jimmy Dore, the comedian, he's making a lot of sense there. And what he says contradicts what those other expert authorities say. So So, the New York times and other epidemiologists that are presenting counter evidence, excuse me, on the New York times. Um, And I think there's a sign of the world being inverted when Big Bird is an authority on COVID, 
and vaccines and the director, uh, you know, Dr. Malone, who cre helped to create the mRNA technology is uh, blotted out from the internet. There was a meme to that effect I tweeted earlier. I think that it just represents like when we don't listen to this guy, but we listen to Big Bird, they have inverted American culture. We'll, we'll find the meme. Exactly. The yeah. Um, I'll comment uh, in the Twitch chat about the, the government versus capitalist model of healthcare because Jimmy Dore still operates under that socialized healthcare model. It's working so well, both in China Well, the point and they Australia. missed was if they hadn't fired all the doctors and nurses who had already survived COVID and didn't get vaccinated, there'd be no problem in any of these hospitals right now. Well, and also, like, we live under a fascist model, not a market theory model. So yeah, people are confusing. It's uh, cartel capitalism. Yeah, right. Not, not general market theory, which is a different idea altogether. So let me just, um, New York Times editor 49 dies one day after Moderna booster jab. Now, this is an interesting, I think did it's Did he get hit by a car? I don't believe he did. Um, he did virtue signal quite a bit. So I think it's worth just getting this on the record to show. Here's a man who... You know, I do. I don't wish this upon my worst enemy, but at the same time, like the virtue signaling, just you, you know, be careful of how you tempt fate. Let me just put it that way. The editor for the New York Times died from a heart attack one day after he received a Moderna COVID nineteen booster jab. Deputy Asia editor Carlos Tejeda, forty nine, passed away in Seoul, South Korea, a little over a week ago. The Times acknowledged Wednesday in the tweet on December eighteenth. Carlos's wife Nora reported the cause was a heart attack. Didn't, by the way, mention that he was that he received a booster. One day earlier, Carlos boasted on Instagram that he just received a Moderna booster. So his wife didn't mention it, but he did. Justing, he filled out a form he couldn't understand, was now a member of the K-pop fan club. Hey, Omicron, hit me with your wet snot, he jokingly dared. I mean, come on, man. Back in January, Tejeda opined about having the quote-unquote privilege to access vaccines like the J&J &J jab Nora and I got this morning. So he got the J&J, &J, and then he got a booster with Moderna. Which is, by the way, I was over here over. So J and J was the one-time shot. That's how it was sold and marketed, right? That's right. And then he uh, got a mix with some Moderna booster, and Omicron didn't seem to get him. It seemed to be, uh, at the very least, heart attack is a side effect that has been recorded many times in VARES, uh, in association with this gene therapy's administration into one's corpus. Correct. Yep, and the. Uh... The Greg Reese and John Bowne videos highlighted uh, Dr. Bhakti, I believe his name was. I have the the actual... Yeah, it was Dr. Bhakti. Yeah. And there's another one that was actually a part of the original Robert Malone, Brett Weinstein conversation. I always forget his name, but he, he sort of covered... He sort of work in tandem or have been sharing information together. Nonetheless, to his point, it was supposed to be a one-time shot. And this is what Jimmy Dore said, right? Let me put myself back on camera real quick. But Jimmy Dore was saying, all these shots, if, if he knew after two shots that he would have to get three, four or five shots, he would have rethought getting that one shot. Of course, they sold all the vaccines, not just J and J they sold out as one. That's why my sister and her husband, they're like, I just want to get it over with and be done with it. Well, now they're like, and I overheard a pharmacist when I was out trying to get medication for it's like some aspirin and Listerine just, uh, uh for my dad, uh, when he contracted COVID that's where I got it. Um, I was over like, I was over hearing pharmacists talking to someone that was trying to get a vaccine. And they're like, if you had the J and J, the, the FDA or CDC or whatever is rec recommending uh, either Pfizer or Moderna as a booster. And I was like, Oh God, like this, you know, sort of eavesdropping in on this conversation. I couldn't help but just like facepalm pretty, 
ethically uh, in regards to what I was hearing. But again, J and J to your point was sold that way. All even the the and that's so you're a, mixing an ad a, 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 what is it a adenovirus adenovirus mm-hmm. with uh, mRNA. So there's yeah. DNA with J and J. And then you're mixing it with the mRNA spike protein generator BSL four in your body. Yeah, and then Moderna is um, uh, has a larger amount, if I remember correctly. Can I see the science the on mRNA? that? Is it okay to ask? Can I see the science on like mixing those types of gene therapies in one's body? And what's the what was the study group? I would. Science? That's fantastic. That's a great point. I'm just <laughs> here in the back asking questions. If you guys don't want me to participate, then just that's let me out of this. Point. So, I mean, tragic for this man, but to not be more aware. I mean, again, the vaccines were designed for the original alpha variant. Um, and uh, that's there. They don't work for Delta. That's why there's so much uh, immune escape and infection associated with Delta and Omicron. They are not is like seven to 10. So in other words, it's triple that of the alpha variant, double that of Delta. Yeah, are not value is how fast or how many people how get transmissible. Infected how transmissible it is, how many people get infected for every one person infected. So yeah. if R0 is 10, then 10 people for every... Per- so by the time you get infected, one you're person. infecting 10 other people and then Correct. they're, in, you know, it's just uh, exponential, Yeah. right? So yeah. there's some interesting aspects of the Omicron because where did it come from and why is it different than the others? And 20 different mutations. Seems to resemble scary. the cold. Yeah, it seems like they knocked off. Uh, there's an did insert someone, associated did someone, with someone uh, patent the cold? Did someone patent the cold? Can we ask around? So, so just, real just quick, saying. I just like, need to comment because the Rockfin chat, there have been some unfortunate trolls associated with that. It's the do I did contract COVID-19 and uh, I got hit like a bus on Friday night, unfortunately. So I was sort of, I missed any sort of festivities associated with New Year's. And, um, Friday night, I thought for sure that I'm, there's no way I was going to be able to do the show tonight. People can probably hear a different timbre of my voice. Um, that's due to the phlegm and just the achiness, uh, thanks to early treatment that again, um, I, uh, you know, I recommend you speak to your doctor, whether functional medical practitioner, allopathic, naturopathic, I don't care, whatever I did certain, uh, protocols that McCullough and Pierre Corey recommended. And I did them much more aggressively than, so I took their basic idea and like doubled in some ta- some case, tripled or quadrupled what they recommended. And uh, I was able to take a fever of over 101 extreme achiness. Like I had never felt before, maybe one or t- once or twice before, uh, while having a terrible flu back in like 2016, I can count the number of times I've been sick in the past decade or two on one hand since I corrected my diet and became much healthier as the recommendations as per the Weston price Institute and getting into sort of biohacking and Dave Asprey and really focusing on health for many, many years. Um, but the early treatment seemed to have, it broke the, uh, the fever and, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, but it, um, it helped with the achy, the achiness was so severe. I could barely move and it pretty much, um, that went away as per yesterday. Uh, late. So after about 24 hours, the achiness subsided quite dramatically, which I was very thankful for because my head felt like it was going to explode for a full day. The only way I can describe it is as if uh, uh, like my hair or something got stuck in the grill of a freight truck and it smashed as hard as it could against the very thick concrete wall. 
And that's the only way I, that's the sort of description or metaphor I would use to describe it analogy, if you will. It was, it was horrible. I mean, I really, I remember talking to you and your wife yesterday and it's like, there's no way I'm going to do the show tonight. So for people questioning whether or not I actually became symptomatic, I did. It was very much unlike any sort of other flu or cold I had ever experienced. And I am eternally grateful for the protocols that exist. And there are many beyond Pierre Corey's, obviously FLCCC's and, and Peter McCullough's, but you know, there's, that's the one I, I chose to employ for myself. Again, I speak to a doctor. I am not a medical practitioner. I am not a doctor. You need to speak to your own healthcare um, representative um, that you employ for the best advice possible, but for whatever it. Yeah. You're in charge of your body. Tony's in charge of his body. Right. And he got it because he was helping his parents. My, my parents, my double vaccines. So people are also being asking, scared of it. So people are asking the question and chat, like, well, did your parents become symptomatic being double vaccinated? Yes, they did. Mom, not so much. My dad who has uh, comorbidities got nailed pretty badly. And so that's why on Wednesday I woke up, received the phone call. They had already started showing symptoms on Monday, but decided to not tell me, which frustrated me. And so, cause we could have treated, we could have started these protocols earlier and he waited until of course it was starting to progress to the point where he was having trouble breathing and it was getting very disconcerting. So I of course went into action because I had been planning for this moment and I went over to uh, where they're currently living and I, went over the various protocols and also tailored it to the, um, my own research and understanding, especially on the side of vitamins, minerals, and nutraceuticals, doing hyperdoses of those. And he was able to break his fever pretty quickly and that started to reside for him. And, uh, you know, he was very appreciative of what I employed, but of course I was around, around them for at least a good hour or two. We, they were wheezing, coughing, you know, snotting. Like it was, you know, they were showing your classic symptoms especially my dad who was having like a lot of wheezing associated with it and just being around them in an isolated environment. It's no surprise that of course I ended up contracting it. I refuse to any longer entertain the, the germ theory slash train theory debate that people are trying to sort of gaslight me with at this point. Um, whether you want to call it a toxin or whether you want to call it a virus, it doesn't really matter. Something has been objectively identified and can be passed on that can cause disease or at least implicated in part of the etiology or cause and effect of disease. So that's just uh, where I stand. It's pretty obvious. You know, I don't need to get into genetic sequencing or monoclonal antibodies or like, my, no, they took them off the market Christmas Eve monoclonal well, antibodies. Mon they said they weren't as effective as they had hoped. So they got to take them off the market. Whereas the vaccines just get a seventh booster. Well, monoclonal antibodies or even before the treatment, they were one of the ways you actually could determine that viruses exist. This goes back to 1979. A lot of people try to argue that, you know, against genetic sequencing or against uh, electron microscopy, but then you can also do uh, antibody testing for these that your body develops antibodies based on the uh, exposure to these nucleic acids. So, um, you know, I'm, I still am symptomatic. I'm just, the reason I'm able to do this because the fever broke and the ache stopped, but, um, I still have a, essentially moved in from being extremely achy to now having a horrible sore throat. I'm assuming at this point, it's probably becoming more like just a bad cold, um, which I'm eternally grateful, but I'm still acting as if I'm still employing the protocol. A spoonful of Manuka honey might help that sore throat. I've been do taking, I've been taking a good amount there of that. You go. And we, uh, I'm a nebulizer. Have to be able to get to an intermission. Yeah. I know I have my nebulizer ready to go in case, you know, it, it, anything no progresses. So no I have no excuses. 
I have uh, everything ready to go and I appreciate everyone's love and support. And, um, you know, I, at this point I am, I am certainly tired and, uh, oh, I'm, but you're 85% better than you were yesterday or the day before. Yeah. The way you heard me. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah felt, it did. It sounded like you got hit by a truck and I felt like it. His brain was like hijacked it. by the pain. And yeah. that's when you call friends and be like, Hey, you know, let's, I was a little nervous, work through this problem and make sure you're doing the right things to get back on track. Yeah. So I appreciate your love, your guys's love and support. And, um, you know, I'm no longer going to entertain this sort of nonsense with people who want to act like there's at least not something that is causing this. So, um, let's, I'm sort of done with that, but at this point, uh, I'm appreciative of the protocols in place sort of got me back on my feet. So. All right. So our next clip up is, uh, Fauci admits that kids are not being hospitalized from COVID, but he wants them to vax up anyway. We have that clip, LD. There's two short clips. It looks like coming from the InfoWars newsroom. Let's see if we can find them. I highlighted it in blue in the show card. There you go. Looks like you might find it. Yeah, and here's that meme. Here's your Sesame Street expert meme. Oh, hang on while that's loading. Shout out to Sally Mayweather, uh... (laughs) memer extraordinaire in the freedom movement. Yes, sir. And Tony, I'm glad you're feeling better. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. We are, yeah, still loading. Sorry for the technical difficulties, folks. But Was there an incident with the bulldozer that some guy armored up? Because I only saw memes about it and 3D printed models of it, but I have no idea what the news story was. Uh, The the meme I saw was, uh, you know, a guy with an armored up Caterpillar type of diesel tracked vehicle and uh, you know he got bonus points for no one was hurt in his independent demonstration and he took out 13 government buildings in five minutes i don't advocate these things i'm just asking about the news story because i'm not familiar with it i only saw the meme so um there was a couple it was on sally mayweather's feed if you want to bring it up ld but i'm not aware of the incident that was like 10 years ago i believe and i'm drawing a blank on the fellow's name but uh oh maybe the, so maybe he just made a 3d printed look that was the three to go up right there that go up three right uh right there oh there there a 3d is. printed one so there was a meme i saw and then Kill i saw that are. so i thought it was a news i thought it was a news story but no sal is just out there 3d printer go burr i got it yeah uh we'll have to i'll have to pull up that guy's name anyway yeah a couple clips here on the info wars article if you want me to But the other important thing is that if you look at the children who are hospitalized, many of them are hospitalized with COVID as opposed to because of COVID. And what we mean by that, if a child goes in the hospital, they automatically get tested for COVID and they get counted as a COVID hospitalized individual. When in fact, they may go in for a broken leg or appendicitis or something like that. So it's overcounting the number of children who are, quote, hospitalized with COVID as opposed to because of COVID. 
Let's jump to the numbers uh, specifically with children. I'm going to talk about testing because I know that's a huge issue here. But you talk about the responsibility of people who are unvaccinated. And we uh, here at News Nation have talked to people from every background, every walk of life, many of whom have been vaccinated, uh, many who decide that they don't want to get vaccinated. And um, I'm going to ask my producers to put up a graphic here. We have numbers uh, from the CDC, 334 children in the hospital between December 21st and December 27th. That's up 58.1 percent from the previous seven days uh, on your screen there. That's about zero to four cases per 1.1 million. And a lot of parents aren't quite seeing the justification to get their children vaccinated still, even with all of this admonition and encouragement from uh, the medical community, because they just don't see the numbers adding up. What do you say to them? Well, first of all, we get children vaccinated for many diseases to prevent it. So the rationale of parents, though maybe understandable, doesn't make any sense for the following reason. We vaccinate children for a number of childhood diseases where the mortality of those diseases is far less than the mortality and the morbidity of COVID-19 on children. The numbers are very low. When it's your child, it's a very high number. So if you look at the number of children right now going to the hospital who are in trouble getting seriously ill, you almost have to say it's the responsibility of the parent to protect their child. It is true that when you compare the hospitalizations and severe illness in young children compared to adults, particularly the elderly, there's no doubt that the likelihood of getting seriously ill of a child is less than for an adult when you're dealing with COVID-19. But that doesn't mean that children do not get seriously ill. I agree with him on one sentence, and I think one sentence only. Uh, Parents are responsible for the safety of their children. That's, I agree. I agree. Now he wants you to think Even safety you can find means, agreement with Fauci he wants that. you to think safety means giving your kid an untested gene therapy. That's what he just said. I think safety is something else and it's my prerogative, right? So he decides for his kids. I decide for my kids. Other people who have kids decide for their children. That's what parental, uh, you know, relationship is. That's what family is. He should check in with that. I do have a point here. Let's see. Can I go split screen? All right. Check this out. This is going to help everybody understand. You're in this bed, right? If in bed number two, you have a roommate that's with COVID. But if COVID brought you down the hallway and put you in that bed, that's from COVID, right? This is meaningless. Who gives a, who cares who the roommates are? We only care about people going to the hospital from COVID, dying from COVID, right? I don't know. I think that that should uh, be clarified maybe when he's speaking because it's very deceptive. Going back to uh, Burks. Deborah Burks, <clears throat> scarf woman. Right. <clears throat> Whose funding comes from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So, you know, she graduated cover, from Penn, you know, Penn State. She was another Penn State grad. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. All right. So that's Fauci saying kids really aren't uh, adversely affected so much from COVID, but they but should did take hear the, at the experimental end? gene therapy anyway. Yeah. Yeah. At the end, he's like, well, that doesn't mean they still don't get severely affected. Well, they don't. 
you know, even the, the most we can see is Omicron will cause a mild, mild fever just because of its uh, infectiousness. But children they have don't. basically a zero percent risk from COVID, and they have a hundred percent risk from tyranny. That's choose your future, everybody. Multiple levels. So yeah. All right. So uh, let's see. I wanted to touch on this story, the RFK Infowars article, why vaccine makers are coming for your kids. Sure. Because there's a video in the article, but that ties in with the prior theme of they're going after the youngest and oldest among us. That's how you can tell about your opposition. I didn't say enemy, not talking hate here. I'm just saying there's a player on the other side of the board playing against all of us. And this is what they're doing. All right, I got that for you. Cool. Yeah. Okay, um, so what are your views on... on? Um, I don't know why I started from the middle of it. Do we want to start from the beginning? Uh, no, no, no. Because they, they found the timestamp uh, where she asked the question about children. By the gotcha. way, this is Michaela Peterson. This is Peterson's daughter, which I don't, you know, I don't have the highest opinion of but she did ask some good questions so i'll leave it there giving this covid vaccine that they've made to kids i know i'm from canada and i I think that they're implementing that in order to go to school in canada well they have to give it to kids because here's why the they cannot market this vaccine without having immunity shield oh i mean i sue pharmaceutical companies for a living and I have enough criminal activity that I know about Pfizer at this point and Moderna. That if they went ahead and marketed a vaccine where I, where they can where they end up killing people or injuring them, and I can sue them, well, they'd be through. So they're never going to market a vaccine, allow people access to a vaccine, an approved vaccine without getting liability protection. Now, the the emergency use authorization vaccines have liability protection under the PREP Act and the CARES Act. So as long as you take an emergency use, you can't sue them. Once they get approved, now you can sue them unless they can get it recommended for children. What? Because, because all vaccines that are recommended, officially recommended for children, get liability protection, even if an adult gets that vaccine. That's why they're going after kids. They know this is going to kill and injure a huge number of children, but they need to do it for the liability protection. And here's how they know that it's going to injure kids. They, during the Pfizer study, They only tested it on 1,300 children. And one of those we now know was a girl called Maddie Gary. And we only know about this because she and her family came forward and told told us what happened. Maddie Gary got the vaccine. She immediately went into seizures. She is now in a wheelchair for life and she needs a feeding tube to eat. So, Pfizer, you know, because Pfizer only tests on 1,300 kids, it is stuck with the with the extrapolation. And one out of every 1,300 kids is going to be injured like that, an injury worse than death. Pfizer did not report her injury. 
Instead, it said she had a stomach ache. So that's what they reported to the FDA. They lied. And they know that this, that this here's what the Lancet study showed. The Lancet study showed that Lancet could not, the researchers could not find a single child in the world who died, a healthy child who died from COVID. There are many children who died, but, you know, not a lot. I think the UK had only like 25 um, confirmed, PCR confirmed COVID deaths in children. We, in this country, we had under 400. But all of those children had severe comorbidities. Most of them were um, really extremely obese and had diabetes, asthma, and a lot of other comorbidities. Healthy kids do not die from COVID. So why would you give them an intervention that we know can kill them? That is causing myocarditis and death in children all over the world right now. We know that. Why would you ever give a child that intervention? You're not doing it for the child. There's no pretense it's going to help that child. And what they'll say is, well, we're giving it to him so he doesn't get granny sick, but there's no evidence. And children, children tend to internalize this disease. They're not coughing and, you know, and sneezing with it. It, it tends to, they tend to internalize it. There's no evidence that they're passing it to anybody. And anyway, there's a big ethical problem of saving it, of killing a kid or or putting a child at risk to save a very old person. There is an ethical dilemma there that people need to be talking about. But if there's no argument that you're giving this to the child for his own health. You're giving it to the child. I mean, the real reason that, you know, to me is obvious. I can't read minds, but, you know, having written this book and having studied the pharmaceutical industry for 18 years, um, it's pretty evident that the re their rationale for giving it to kids is they need the liability protection. And you can only get that if you mandate it for children. If, you know, Pfizer did get an authorization, a license to sell its vaccine in the United States, but what it did is a trick. It, it created a new vaccine out of the same vaccine. So the same vial, it put a different label on it and called it the Comirnaty. And the one that got approved is the one with the Comirnaty label, although it's identical to the BioNTech vaccine that we're all taking, which is emergency use authorization. The Comirnaty, they will not make it available to Americans. Why? Because you can sue them. And so it's the only one approved and they will not sell it here because we can sue them. What they're waiting for is this approved for children. And as soon as it gets mandated for children, now they have liability protection and they'll give it to the rest of us and we won't be able to sue them. And which vaccine is that? This is the Pfizer vaccine. The Pfizer vaccine is not the, there's an approved version and there is an, uh, there is an emergency use version it, and they're identical. I see. Okay. Uh, the one of them has a different label, and that one with that label is the only one that is approved, but you cannot get it in our country because they're not going to allow an American to get it because if you get it, you can sue them. Can you get it in other countries? I think you can get it in Europe, but they have other liability protection over there, which I'm not familiar with. So um, you mentioned that the vaccines you thought were the most dangerous were ones with aluminum in them. 
one, why is there aluminum in there in the first place? And two, what kind of danger would that pose to people? Well, here's you know, the, the, in the history of vaccinology, vaccines originally were all live virus vaccines. So the polio vaccine was live virus and you know, the smallpox was live virus. But what they found is that if you give somebody, they, a live virus vaccine is a, a mutation of the virus that is less deadly. So you give the people, you make them a little bit sick and they get the lifetime immunity. That was the theory. The problem is the viruses were oftentimes mutating inside of the person. And then, the, you know, through their urine or their feet, their, mainly their feces, the, uh, the mutated version would, would develop more pathogenicity and more virulence and would spread. So today, 70% of the polio cases in the world are vaccine strain. They're coming from vaccinated individuals. Vaccinated individuals can shed the virus and infect other people. So the regulatory agencies early on uh, expressed a preference for dead virus vaccines. The problem is that dead virus vaccines do not provoke the same robust, durable antibody response. And a vaccinologist, in order to get a license, you need to show that the vaccine lasts a certain amount of time and that it is, you know, that it has a powerful antibody response. So vaccinologists discovered early on that if they, if they add an ingredient to the vaccine that is horrendously toxic, that the body associates that toxic material with the viral antigen, and the next time it sees that antigen, it will mount a robust immune response. And there is a saying, a mantra in vaccinology that the more toxic the adjuvant, the more robust the response. So there was a search among vaccinologists and virologists around the globe um, for the most toxic elements in the universe to add to vaccines and to provoke these responses. And, you know, they, they went uh, aluminum. I mean, mercury was a, a very, very um, ubiquitous addition. They put it in, they say it as a preservative, but it didn't act as a preservative. It was really there as an adjuvant and NIH admitted that to us. The mercury is the most toxic element in the universe known to man that is not radioactive. So it's a thousand more times more neurotoxic than lead. Why would you would you ever dream of injecting your child with lead? Well, you're injecting them with something that is a thousand times worse than lead. And mercury was removed from most American vaccines, except for the flu vaccine in 2003. And they needed to replace another you know, the, the mercury was not something else that was horribly toxic. So they use aluminum. The problem is with vaccinologists is they don't look at chronic disease and they don't they, they don't know anything about toxicology. Oh, you know, and they don't like toxicologists because the toxicologists would come in and say. Don't you miss the good old days when all we had to worry about were neurotoxins and the vaccines and adjuvants and squalene and aluminum and mercury, right? Yeah. It was like so much easier to deal <clears throat> with those situations, but now they got this whole other argument for the gene therapy going on. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, and even then it was quite horrific. The, the history 
associated with those types of vaccines, but it's nothing nothing in comparison though, to what these mRNA gene therapies are, but they've redefined as stuff they made in a lab incubating in people's bodies and replicating upon stimuli that, that happens in the future. Not right now. The new analog adjuvant is the uh, synthetic nanolipid particles that they use to say that 10 times the mRNA. All right. I want to move on because we can play that whole clip. Yeah. No, uh, that's a long, that's so for people who are interested, it's part of a longer interview that Michaela Peterson did with RFK Jr. It's like an hour and a half long, two hours, something like that. So you can check that out on her YouTube page or wherever she does her streaming and posting of videos and stuff. The Omicron section is long and distinguished. Do we want to dip into that with some McCullough? Oh, Harrison Smith. Yeah, let's watch that Harrison Smith report under the uh, the new section of the, the podcast. Now starts Omicron. One small thing. We want you to focus on it. <laughs> doesn't, have any, doesn't have anything to do with mass hypnosis and psychosis out there. The Omicron. Nope. Nothing to worry about. Let's see what Harrison Smith I think he does the morning show at uh, Infowars. I never watched. Yes, that's correct. He does. Yeah. I only see clips. Yeah. Let's daily dispatch. Let's check it out with Harrison Smith uh, talking with Dr. Peter McCullough, former guest on Grand Theft World. Oh, here we go. Oh, it's the American Journal and part of he always starts out with a daily dispatch. Sorry, just to qualify. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the American Journal. I'm Harrison Smith. You're watching us on Infowars.com or Band.video. Very, very happy to welcome my guest, Dr. Peter McCullough. I, do, I don't think I need to introduce you, but but I will just in case. Dr. McCullough is a board-certified internal medicine doctor, cardiovascular disease, uh, clinical lipidology. He cares for advanced patients with common medical problems, including heart and kidney disease, lipid disorders, and diabetes. He's become an expert on COVID-19 illnesses and welcomes recovered patients into his practice. His Twitter can be found at P underscore McCullough MD. Thanks so much for being with us, sir. Thanks for having me. And I should add, the most popular podcast guest of all time at this point. I think the numbers are coming in. I think you've beaten out Alex Jones as the top podcast guest of all time with over 40 million views on Joe Rogan. How's that feel? Well, I tell you, it was 15 rounds with uh, Rogan in his man cave, and right. uh, I went in hot and heavy with the data on COVID-19, and I, his eyes were opened. I think a lot of people's, I know a lot of people's eyes were opened because I've had people in my in my own life say, yeah, I listened to the whole thing, and man, I have a whole new perspective for COVID. So uh, congratulations on that and just, just getting that information out there. But let's talk about Omicron. Omicron is the worst thing ever to some people and totally not a big deal to others. Still a lot of kind of misinformation out there. What do you know about COVID or what do any of us know for certain about uh, Omicron, the Omicron variant? You know, the word misinformation, I think ought to be just tossed from the English language right now. We're just, we're trying to clarify things. This is science and this is a breaking story. What we've learned in the last month is that Omicron, not a transformer. The kids thought it was a transformer for Christmas. <laughs> right. It's not, kids. It's, it's actually part of the Greek alphabet that is now coding for the most highly mutated form of SARS-CoV-2. Uh, it has 30 mutations in the, in the spike protein, 10 in the receptor binding domain. You know, there can be deletions and substitutions, but this time it's insertions mm. and it's peppering the landing zone for the virus and where how it invaded the human body. Uh, interestingly, uh, a paper out of Hong Kong University demonstrated that that um, Omicron can replicate 70 times faster than its predecessor, Delta, 70 times faster. And then interestingly, a paper out of the African Research Institute, first author is Khan and colleagues, 
recently demonstrated that someone who gets Omicron actually develops back immunity against Delta. Right. So what happened is Omicron, you can think about the viral strains competing with one another. How is Omicron going to basically carve out its ecological niche? It achieved what's called Mueller's ratchet. Mueller's ratchet is when there's an evolutionary bottleneck. Delta was running the day that this viral strain basically figured out to how to out-replicate Delta without killing the host, without invading so much, and then actually shutting off Delta with back immunity. So now it is Omicron, and I'm telling you, it is a big curve. Omicron has broken through natural immunity. The first strain to do that. Remember before is one and done. The other strains, if you got COVID, you were good. You could be exposed. You didn't get it. All that was true. But when Omicron, it learned to evade the existing forms of immunity sufficiently enough to cause a syndrome. Some people are calling it an immune re-challenge. So if someone's COVID recovered, they've got good immunity, then Omicron comes in the house they may feel just a little viral malaise, a little bit of a slight fever, a little bit of a, a slight nasal congestion. What patients are telling me is that Omicron in the COVID recovered feels like taking a COVID booster shot. It's almost like, and so Marty Macri from Johns Hopkins was on a Sean Hannity show this week, said, listen, this is mother nature's booster right. in a sense. My clinical experience so far, and I've managed now dozens and dozens of cases, is that it's very mild in the COVID recovered. It's mild. It's mild as well, maybe a little bit more severe in the vaccinated. Let's say somebody within a month or two of taking uh, two of the vaccines or receiving the booster. And it's most severe in those who are truly COVID naive. Right. Well, and it's also severe in people who received the vaccine several months ago, right? We've seen the, the Denmark study that shows actually negative efficacy after several months when it comes to Omicron. Is that, do I have that right? Yeah, you know, the Denmark uh, analysis is in dispute right now, but there were previous studies, there's certainly ones from the UK showing negative vaccine efficacy. What does this mean? That means that actually the vaccine in a sense is proportionally, vaccinated people are proportionally getting sick with COVID-19 more than unvaccinated. How does that work? Well, in the previous strains, more and more of the unvaccinated proportionally were COVID recovered, so they couldn't get it again. Right. The vaccinated could get it again. That's what, that's what was turning those tables. Omicron has changed everything now, and I think most people can expect to actually get Omicron. They can right. get it. Right, well, and, and I've noticed that you know, last year you'd see people canceling, you know, trips or canceling, you know, invites to things because they were scared of the potential of this disease. This year, I've noticed people are canceling because they're getting sick. They're actually getting the disease. So it's not it's as much as the fear is spreading. The disease itself is also spreading pretty rapidly and people are, are testing positive or getting symptoms and then, you know, having to deal with that. Dallas County yesterday, testing centers were testing 25 percent positive. Okay? Right. It means 25 percent of people waiting in line for a test. It's almost to the point of, do you get a test or you just assume right. that, that you have it? Uh, it is the right thing to do when people are actively sick with symptoms. They can transmit it to refrain from cog uh, congregate settings. That's the right thing to do. Uh, importantly, the CDC has just shortened the quarantine period. That's another right. big update. Now, the quarantine period was shortened from 10 to 5 days uh, import for those who are testing asymptomatic positive. Many in clinical practice are just adopting it for a couple of reasons. Omicron's on a much shorter replication cycle, meaning it's a brief illness. Right. With COVID-19, with Delta, which was hard, some people with Delta actually had symptoms for 30 days. Right. Now we're talking about uh, symptoms for just a few days. So my advice, I think a five-day quarantine period is okay 
provided those last 48 hours, there's no fever or severe symptoms. Now, I mean, am I crazy thinking that this is a good thing, that it's good that it's, it, it, you know, it's knocking Delta out, it's knocking Alpha out, it transmits quickly, but very, very mild, mostly mild symptoms, right? I mean, is this the end of COVID? Is this the potential, you know, road out of this thing? Is Omicron just sort of comes like the common cold? Or am I, am I naive in thinking that? Nobody knows uh, for sure. Uh, this uh, pandemic has given us every twist and turn. I think the unpredictability of the COVID-19 pandemic actually has to do with mass vaccination. Uh, you know, evolutionary biologists used to figure out how things worked. With SARS-CoV-1, there was no mass vaccination. It literally burned out in 90 days. Here, we just keep getting, you know, one twist and turn. It's clear that mass vaccination is prompting the emergence of these dominant strains. It is a product. So mass vaccination is influencing Mueller's ratchet. It is creating these basically evolutionary bottlenecks that as us as scientists are monitoring. It is welcome to see a much more milder syndrome. Uh, doctors are reporting that we have to make a bit of a switch. Another update is we now know from modeling, and almost certainly this is true, that the Lilly monoclonal antibody product that we would use in a senior, for instance, uh, that, no, that one is now obsolete. That's oh. bamalivimab and ertesimab. That's obsolete. We also know Regeneron. That was our workhorse. That's what former President Trump received. Right, right. Joe Rogan and Aaron Rodgers received Regeneron. That's now obsolete. That was a combination hmm. of carisivimab and indivimab. Now we're left with sotrivimab, which is a single monoclonal antibody product from GlaxoSmithKline, fully humanized. And it's interesting, it targets a glycosylation site on the spike protein that's not subject to mutation. And this one was EUA approved in May. Uh, it was associated in the randomized trials in New England Journal of Medicine, 85% reductions in hospitalization and death, 500 milligram infusion, can be used down to age 12. I'm telling you, the GSK product needs to be fronted to Americans. Uh, Joel Adapo, Surgeon General down in Florida, was raising uh, some real issue here about flow of monoclonal antibodies. And I'm saying, listen, you know, we have Operation Warp Speed, we have GlaxoSmithKline, we have, and this has been through May, May, we've right. had a premier product. Let's see it rolling. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, uh, the Texas AG also was complaining about this, saying there's no reason why there should be a shortage of monoclonal antibodies. There's not a shortage, but it's being prevented from getting to us by the federal government. How are they even justifying doing that? They can't. In fact, I think, um, I think heads are going to roll on this. Yeah. Uh, it's fine to go ahead and uh, now remove a Lilly and Regenerate now that we have GlaxoSmithKline. But come on, these, this has been May. Right. This is May. We've had seven months to get ready for this. You know, that's the whole purpose of the product. The whole purpose of the GlaxoSmithKline product was to have a monoclonal antibody that was going to be able to deal with resistant strains. Right. And now we have one. Uh, and so where, where are the monoclonal antibodies? It's a great question. Okay. We'll be back in uh, just a minute with Dr. Peter McCullough. Again, most popular podcast host of all time. I, I do want to ask you again uh, about that because... 40, I mean, 40 million people, it's almost impossible to imagine what an impact that your words have had in at least opening people's minds to the concept that there is not one prescribed science from, from on high, that there are other people out there with the experience and the knowledge to actually get us out of this uh, pandemic. We'll be back on the other side with Dr. Peter McCullough. Stay with us, folks. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the American Journal. I'm your host, Harrison Smith. My guest, Dr. Peter McCullough, the right man at the right time. Uh, 
just absolute insanity going on. We, we, we're having discussions about Omicron and about uh, some great books for people to look into. You've given me a new suggestion because I've been, I've been telling the audience the book by Dr. Scott Atlas, Plague on Our House, is a great sort of intro to it. Anybody that isn't up to date on the conspiracy, that's the one to show them because it really lays it out like novel. The RFK book, saying I just, I just listened to a chapter there and I lay back and just go, we are so screwed. <laughs> There's nothing we can do. And we're saying that you know, the reason they think they can get away with it this time is because they've gotten away with it for the last four decades. Well, you said the word conspiracy, not conspiracy theory. Right. Conspiracy. Uh, the book I was suggesting is COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey by Peter and Ginger Bregan. I wrote one of the introductions. Dr. Vladimir Zelenko and Lee Vliet wrote the other two. Uh, highly factual, highly cited nonfiction about all the connections. How was it planned? How were the vaccines pre-planned? How was all this ready to go when the virus came out of the lab in Wuhan, China? Necessary reading. All the books, by the way, are complementary to one another. They yep. do not overlap at all. I've had dinner with Scott Atlas. We went over his book, terrific work. Uh, each one gives factual insight into what's going on today. Absolutely, yeah. And, and again, the, the RFK book isn't just what's going on today. It's the last four decades of just how the health administration in this country has been completely captured by big pharma and turned to their own ends. And of course, you know, you were talking about this um, Global Predator book, uh, Peter Bergen, and how they had actually been discussing the vaccine before COVID even ever came out. Is there going to be one big smoking gun that that wakes people up? Do you think I was I've been covering, you know, over this last year, the emails came out showing the lab leak theory was actually more valid than they've been saying. They the lockdowns haven't been working. There's now coming out the damage that they've been doing. I mean, do you think there's going to be something that's is there one big thing that maybe all Americans would wake up? Or is this just a matter of slowly but surely trying to, to beat down the. I won't use the term misinformation, but the, the wrong information barriers. You know, as a practicing doctor and an author and an editor and a clinical scholar, I've, I've put two, work, two years of work in on COVID-19. I've published right. more uh, clinically on treating COVID-19 than anybody in the world right now. And I'm frequently on the news. And I was asked uh, in Fox News recently about demagoguery, the mm. statement of I am science, <laughs> right. that one person can get to the point where they say they are science. And the, you know, my answer, of course, is that science is a process. And as scientists, we all humbly serve and work and interchange in the scientific method. We are not seeing teams of doctors give a fair narrative to America right now. Always, people always disagree on things. And what many have said is that we're in a mass psychosis. Right. Uh, and Matthias Desmet, uh, University of Ghent in Belgium, gets credit. Mark McDonald's recent book, United States of Fear, he's a mm. psychiatrist in LA, talking about mass psychosis. We're in it right now. People are in a trance. How do we get out of it? You're saying, is there going to be one big event? Uh, what what Desmet says is that the way to get out of it is what's called relatedness, that we must get some issue or some element or person where there is relatedness and that gets us out of here. And that's a difficult concept to work on. We thought maybe sports, maybe mm. the sports figures who are collapsing, we think maybe it's due to myocarditis and the vaccine as an example, or maybe uh, Joe Rogan or Aaron Rodgers getting COVID and getting early treatment. Maybe that's relatedness uh, to bring us out of it. But what Desmond says, sadly, is how this usually ends is in massive loss of life.
Right. I mean, I, I, we've been saying for quite a while, it seems like all of America is being indoctrinated into a suicide cult, uh, essentially, and going along with it and quite literally drinking the Kool-Aid, except this time you aren't drinking it, you're injecting it uh, into your arm. So you know, we, we don't have too much longer. I do want to give people information they can use and, and need to know right now when it comes to Omicron. That's that's the big threat right now. And I know, again, people are just sort of up in the air. They don't know which way the wind is blowing. For the people listening right now, what would you tell them about Omicron? Is it something to be to be fearful of? Is it something to ignore completely? Just what do they need to know? I think for someone who's truly COVID naive, uh, that they haven't had COVID before, they've in a sense been locked down in fear for two years. Omicron comes knocking. Yes, get a test. It looks like the home tests are not going to be accurate enough. Too many false right. positives, too many false negatives. Get a high quality PCR test at a low cycle threshold. Maybe an urgent care or a place that uses uh, one of the high quality tests. Understand that you have COVID and then realize it's not as invasive. It's in the nose. The fever is coming from the nose. Mm. So we must treat the nose. We use nasal virucidal treatment now. So we actually use a dilute povidone iodine or dilute hydrogen peroxide solution. Squirt it up the nose in a spray bottle or a syringe. Sniff it back and spit it out. Do it twice. You'll kill the bug in the nose is very effective. Go to America Out Loud Talk Radio, the McCullough Report. I've just done a post on this with the data, and Malcolm Out Loud, who runs the uh, platform, has told me it is going berserk right now mm. because people need to know what to do. So in a survival kit of six things you should have, have that povidone iodine, which is betadine, the lead solution. Have vitamin D, vitamin uh, C, zinc, zinc uh, quercetin, uh, and um, and then go ahead and put in there famotidine or pepsid. That is mm. uh, an antihistamine and acid that reduces the viral replication. With most people with Omicron, they don't need prescription drugs. Right. We don't need ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, one of these other drugs. We can get people through the illness. Uh, High-risk seniors, I would uh, feature the GlaxoSmithKline monoclonal antibody in somebody, let's say, advanced heart disease, lung disease, cancer, somebody mm. very frail. I wouldn't take risks with the supplements and the oral drugs alone. And use the monoclonals. Well, I mean, you mentioned people are, are hungry for this and, de and desperate for this information. I know we had a doctor on yesterday from mygotodoc.com and it crashed as soon as the interview aired. So, I mean, that's how that's how much people are desperate for this and going to the websites and looking for the information. And of course, you're providing a lot of this information in a series of talks that you're doing. Can you tell us about what's coming up for you? There are doctors in my circles and there's a small number of us. We're doing public programs. Uh, going in with grassroots organizations, programs for doctors, lawmakers, and big public programs. We're attracting 500 to 5,000 people at a time, typically a nice hotel room. People pay a modest price to cover the cost of the hotel room. And I literally go over a medicine grand rounds on COVID. Right. It takes about 90 minutes. I show all the slides. I just show the data, uh, what where we are on treating COVID. Showing everything, monoclonal antibodies, the Pfizer drug, the Merck drug, the existing drugs that we use in combination, how successful we are in preventing hospitalization and death. And then we go through vaccine safety and efficacy. No set of products is free of a review on vaccine safety and efficacy. People want to know, most people have taken the vaccine. Right. Most Americans, they want to know what did they get for taking the vaccine, where we are in safety and efficacy. I fairly review the published data. And very importantly, we give them a sobering view of safety. Uh, I think that's great. I mean, it, it's a wonderful thing that, that you're able to do this and, and that you're still, still able to do this. And the government hasn't shut you down from holding these events yet, which may not have been the case in places like Australia or Canada, where they're pretty, pretty severe on this. But it, it's sad, isn't it, that, that you're not welcomed onto CNN, that you're not invited to the White House, that, that experts that understand this stuff and really are open-minded about it are completely shut out and have to try to fabricate their, their own, you know, 
way to get this information out. I mean, it's, it's really a, a crime, I think, against um, the, the American people. There's a march in Washington, January 23rd, and then there'll be a Senate uh, hearing on January 24th. I'll be participating in both. This will be an important time for American to, America to see its top scientists really in Washington talking directly to the people. That would be great, and that's what we've been uh, missing this whole time. What do you think, as we're talking about Omicron, the EU was recently presented evidence or, or a speculation that Omicron was the outbreak or the, the mutation was actually created by the testing of the Molnupiravir um, disease. Do, do you think that's a possibility that Omicron in its of itself is a uh, outcome of either the vaccine or the drug? Boy, that is a concerning. I haven't heard that. Uh, it, you know, I mentioned that Omicron has insertions. Like how did other base pairs from something else get inserted into it? Now, mm. the theory is it was another uh, organism in the nasopharynx. It was initially described in some travelers on the border of Botswana right. who um, uh, basically uh, they were on the border of Botswana and uh, they had this wildly mutated form and they were fully vaccinated. So the thought is it did arise in the fully vaccinated for sure. Right. I mean, we can't blame right. the unvaccinated for Omicron. This one's clear. The vaccinated variant, I've been calling it that since uh, since the first day. And yeah, I guess the, the speculation is that there was molnupiravir being tested at that exact same area and at that exact same time when this first came about. Again, I don't think it's proven yet, but that has been uh, presented to the EU, at least by one scientist, I, th I believe from either Botswana or uh, South Africa. Well, I have to say the RFK book, the reason we brought up during the break originally was because because that really details the work that you've done throughout this whole COVID pandemic, trying to gather doctors together, find information that isn't provided by mainstream media. So I think just on behalf of, of our whole audience, we want to thank you for the work that you've done really behind the scenes without getting a lot of fanfare for the last couple of years, just trying to come up with actual solutions rather than just the vaccine panacea. It's uh, it's really been incredible. And I want to thank you so much um, for coming on, sir. Again, you can follow Dr. McCullough on Twitter at P underscore McCullough MD. That's where you follow him. And you can find all the information about the uh, the upcoming talks and stuff. I guess if, if people go there, they can find out where to find you. That's right. Okay. Well, that's it, folks. And you're going on with, with Alex Jones, right? I heard yesterday Alex said he's just giving you the whole show. I don't know if that's still the plan, but thank you so much for coming on, sir. Thanks for having me. All right. Stay tuned, folks. Alex Jones is going to be live with. All right. So uh, we are on Omicron, right? We're on Omicron. Here's a glimpse at the future. Omega. That's what they're heading toward. The phenomenon of man with the introduction by Sir Julian Huxley. What is what he was maybe into population control and eugenics. You should maybe check out the philosophy of the people driving the ship at this point. That's for a different episode, though. That's just about globalism and cybernetic technocracy, transhumanism. That's all. The phenomenon of man that they're trying to bring to an end. Yeah. Which, <clears throat> What's, what say using we? the science using say. the science we actually went over that thing to in a lot of detail in the last town hall and you know using darwin's theory as the progenitor for their new emerging science preservation of the favored races race specific bioweapons but These even more conspiracy theories <laughs> yeah 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 all right so the next clip we got up uh cnn is caught lying oh my goodness i'm so so surprised cnn caught lying about omicron deaths uh, this is a clip from the comedian known as Jimmy Dore. Let's see if he takes CNN to task. Who has the bigger budget? Let's see who wins. 
off, I want to bring in my guest today. He is uh, Dan Cohen. He's an independent journalist and filmmaker based in D.C. He's reported from Israel, Palestine, Latin America, the U.S.-Mexico border for outlets like the Mondo Weiss, the Nation Alternate, the Gray Zone. Cohen is also a cinematographer and an editor of the documentary Killing Gaza. Please welcome to the show, Dan Cohen. Hey, Dan, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Jimmy. Thanks a lot for having me. Let me, I, I am... Now I'm working for an outlet called Behind the Headlines uh, alongside with Mint Press News. So oh. that's my that's my current employer. So I got to you know, make sure to give a shout out there. Yeah, definitely. Big fans of Mint Press News. Sure. Uh, so the reason why I have you on today is because you performed a very valuable service uh, in fighting back against the propaganda around covid and specifically Omicron. Now, let's remember Omicron is by any other name, it would be called a cold. But if you rename it and you call it Omicron, you can scare the shit out of people. And that's what they've done, right? I'm not saying uh, that the Omicron is a cold. I'm saying the Omicron presents the same symptoms as the common cold. It's very mild. But that doesn't stop Big Pharma and their bought media from scaring the hell out of everyone over something that is presenting as a cold. So now how are they trying to scare you? They're telling you that Omicron is actually killing people. You ready for this? Here we go. We've just confirmed the first death in the United States due to the Omicron variant in Texas. In Texas, CNN confirms the first death from Omicron. And you can hear the big pharma boards coming in their pants. Because someone died of Omicron, and now their people are going to be so scared, they're going to take 3,000 more boosters, right? Well, Dan, tell us what you did when you saw that. Well, I saw, you know, I saw headlines saying, you know, first Omicron death. And then I also saw headlines saying first Omicron-related death, which are two totally, totally different, different things. Totally different things, exactly. So, you know, I figured I would just do um, what any journalist or you don't even have to be a journalist but anyone who's who's interested any regular person would do and just call the authorities which happens to be the harris county uh department of of health in in texas and i and i just called them um and you know and played phone tag back and forth and within a few hours they told me we can't you know as as you see in the video we can't say this is an omicron omicron death it's not from omicron just that he had a positive test when he died, which so let me play, you know, it was a completely different thing. Let me play that phone call. So here you are calling them up, the Harris County Health Board, right? That's who you're call calling? Okay, and here's what they said. A Texas reported the country's first known Omicron death, a man in his 50s who was not on, vaccinated. Go. We can't confirm that the patient died from COVID, but we can say that he was Omicron positive. So she said, the first thing she said, we cannot confirm that he died of Omicron, but we could say he was Omicron positive at the time of his death, meaning he had it, the virus in his body, but they can't say that that's what killed him. Okay. So he, so he died with COVID, but you can't say that he died from COVID. Correct. This information comes from our epidemiologists who are the ones who get the reports. They have to do a very uh, meticulous investigation because, you know, they they do take this very much at heart. They're telling me that they cannot say that uh, that COVID was the absolute cause of death. 
We've just confirmed the first. There it is. So when he says that we just confirmed the first death from COVID in Texas, that's a lie. And that's I'm not going to say he's making a mistake because they're a news organization. They're the most trusted news organization in the world, according to them. And they have unlimited resources because they get millions of dollars a year from Big Pharma. So they could have they have all they, they're not short of staff. They could have did what Dan did and called and double checked and confirmed it. They didn't do that. They didn't confirm it. They didn't do anything. They're lying. So that is negligence in the extreme, which is, I was going to say, a lie. So that guy's lying. CNN is lying again about COVID. They lied about Joe Rogan. They lied about Ivermectin. They're lying about the they're scaring everybody about everything. And now they're lying about Omicron and they're scaring the shit out of everybody about it. Why? Because they're bought by big pharma. And I, I wonder how much, what, 50, 60, 70 percent of their uh, annual budget is made by big pharma. I don't know. I'll look into it. But I know the nightly news is about 70% funded by Big Pharma. So they're captured, just like our government is captured. And that's why that guy's lying. And that's why all you're going to hear about COVID is scare tactics and lies. So if you're getting your information from COVID, you probably canceled your own Christmas party and you sat in a closet wearing a mask. But if you watch this show, you probably are living your life. Uh, and because you know you've been lied to and the lies aren't stopping. That was a lie. All it took for Dan Cohen was to call the goddamn county health place and the person immediately says, no, it wasn't from. So CNN didn't do that. But Dan Cohen from MinPress News, he did that. Were you shocked at how easily she was telling you the truth that you expect her to lie? Didn't expect her to lie. Um, I mean, you know, Honestly, when I look at the statement that the that the Harris County Department of Health gave me, it's still a little bit uh, even misleading to say covid related death. And that's a term that the CDC uses. Again, all it means is died with a positive covid test. They could have gotten you know, they could have been hospitalized for something else, got covid, you know, yes. uh, when they're in the hospital. It could mean it could mean any number. They could have mean, you know, the, he shot himself in the head, committed suicide, got in a car accident and then, you know, was also and happened to have. COVID happened to have Omicron and knowing that Omicron, to the, as far as we know, is so mild that it really and, you know, this was supposedly the first death, even though it turned out to not be true. It really uh, uh, begs questions. On top of that, you know, if you look at all the all the media emphasize the fact that he was unvaccinated. Yes. OK. OK. Couple of really important things about that. One, he was immunocompromised, which you, you know, all the time is really important that you stress, Jimmy, that if you are immunocompromised, it what it's like ninety-five percent, according to the CDC, of uh, of COVID deaths are people who are immunocompromised. So that's a huge factor. That no, no, I'm sorry, have comorbidities. Comorbidities. Sorry, have comorbidities. So yes, the the, the person, the average amount of comorbidities a person dies from COVID is around three to four comorbidities. So that's like when, when Colin Powell died, uh, they were saying, oh, he was COVID, but he was... No, he had blood cancer, and he had Alzheimer's. So he had two other... So those were probably the things that killed him. Uh, just like this guy in Texas, Omicron isn't the thing that probably killed him. Uh, almost definitely not. Uh, in fact, they wouldn't even say that. So that's how you know exactly. it's not. Let me add this, Jimmy. So not only does he have multiple comorbidities 
According to the CDC, 95% of COVID deaths have um, have comorbidities. He's also, as I said, immunocompromised. Now, if you look at studies on people who are immunocompromised, even if they get vaccinated, it is unlikely. There's only a 44% chance that he that his immune system will be able to generate a robust enough response from the vaccine to be able to fight off COVID. So it's even less of a factor, even even you know minuscule yes. factor, the fact that he was unvaccinated. And on top of that, he had COVID last year. They told me the words they said from the health department were in the middle of last year. So what, summer 2020, they wouldn't confirm exactly. So if his body, in the in the chance that his body was, you know, his, his immune system was robust enough to generate um, uh, antibodies, then wouldn't he have already possibly done that from having COVID before? So the whole thing, it's just like, obviously, you know, I mean, it's extremely, extremely, extremely unlikely he died of Omicron. Um, and all of the, you know, even all of the media highlighted the, you know, the lie first that uh, he died from Omicron, then the fact that he wasn't vaccinated. Um, and even the Department Department of Health in Harris County really put the focus on his unvaccinated status. And it just points to this obvious agenda to get, you know, everyone get vaccinated, everyone get vaccinated. Uh, you know, when when that's obviously not going to, you know, it, it, you can't solve the pandemic uh, through vaccination. No, th- and that's what people who watch this show on the regular will know that no matter what Rachel Maddow or Anderson Cooper or Sanjay Gupta tells you about vaccines, you cannot vaccinate your way out of this pandemic. If 100 percent of everybody in the United States was vaccinated, we would still have COVID-19. In fact, we're going to have COVID-19 forever. No matter how many lockdowns, no matter how many masks and no matter how many boosters you get, we will always have the COVID-19 virus. It is never going away ever and they're never going to tell you that on national news. They're never the establishment press isn't going to tell you that. What they want you to do is stay scared. Now I have one more tweet up here Dan. I want you to explain who this is because this person named Linda Hidalgo, she tweeted out sad to report the first local fatality from the Omicron variant of COVID-19. Why do I feel like she's not that sad about that? In fact, she's a little jubilant. <laughs> a man in his 50s from the East Coast Post of Ferris County was not vaccinated. Please get vaccinated and boosted. So she's got stock in big pharma or something so what who is that why is she lying okay when that cnn talking head that you played at the beginning of my video said we confirmed he's lot he's obviously lying he was referring to this tweet every media outlet and there are dozens of them that said you know first omicron death they're all referring to this tweet from lena hidalgo who is the county judge of harris county texas county judge is is the top elected official for that county and Harris County contains the city of Houston, one of the largest metropolitan areas in the United States. So it's in a massively important position. And I'm actually just wrapping up an investigation into Lena Hidalgo that I'll have out at Midpress News either hopefully uh, by Friday um, that shows she is a basically Democratic Party kind of spook operative who was cultivated in the kind of in the Silicon Valley nexus, you know, of of uh, of, of you know big tech and uh, the national security state, and so her lie was not an accident at all. Um, it was it was totally intentional, and she is the person who ordered 
who had the authority to order the lockdowns um, on Harris County that devastated the lives, you know, of tens of thousands, millions even of people. Um, and now she comes out with this lie. So she's basically just an operative with very spooky ties. Um, and, you know, she's the source of this entire disinformation. And I've repeatedly called, I've called her office, I've emailed, I've tweeted. Um, and, you know, if it were a mistake from Lena Hidalgo, um, then, you know, she would have just a really easy thing to correct, you know, put out a statement, whatever it is. But instead, she has ignored me. Her office told me, oh, you uh, when I reached her office, they were like, well, uh, we got your email. And I asked, when can I get a statement? They said, we don't know. And I haven't heard from them. Obviously, it's intentional disinformation. They want to scare the hell out of people. They want people to go get vaccinated. So then, you know, supposedly it will stop the spread, even though it's not going to stop the spread. So then you have to get more vaccines. And it's just the never ending story. So that's the source of this this disinformation. Thirty three billion dollars Pfizer is going to make in just 2021 from that one vaccine. Thirty three billion dollars. How much money is thirty three billion dollars? Well, every piece of recorded music in the United States generates, you know how much the music business makes a year? 12 billion. That's from everybody. That's from Frank Sinatra to the dead Kennedys, to the Jared Leto's to everybody, uh, to Kanye West. They all generate $12 billion. You know how much Pfizer's going to make 33 billion just this one year. Then, then they started all over again in 2022. So there's a lot of that. You know how much power that gives you? It gives you the power to buy politicians. It gives you the power to buy the media. It gets you the power to buy judges in Texas. It gets you a lot of power. And then you can just completely uh, run propaganda. And so you can keep getting $33 billion a year. And that's exactly what's going on. And I appreciate everybody else on YouTube leaving this lane for me to do this kind of reporting. Dan, thanks for doing that. That was so insightful. It's the just all it took was a little bit of journalism a little bit of gumshoe work one goddamn phone call cnn obviously can't do that well obviously they can do that but they don't want to do that because they're paid by big pharma to lie to you about covid and omicron and they're doing it congrats cnn you big fucking liars dan everybody check out dan where can people find you dan I'm, I'm active on Twitter at Dan Cohen 3000. Um, check out my my reports at mintpressnews.com behind and behind the headlines and watch for my investigation into this figure. I have a series of investigations. Now I'm really on this COVID thing, you know, in, in large part. Uh, thanks to guys like you, Jimmy. Thank you, um, pal. So so I got a whole inve- series of investigations on a lot of the deceptions, um, you know, surrounding the pandemic. So just watch for them um, on Mint Press News, and then I'll have some video stuff. Okay, we're going to cover it. So when you finish your uh, article on this investigation you're doing into Lena Hidalgo, we're going to have you back on, and we'll talk about the whole big COVID scam that's being run uh, through her. So I appreciate that. And, you know, I got injured by the jab. And once that happened, I started asking questions. And guess what? There's no answers to any of the questions I have. So I'm not going to stop. But uh, I uh, luckily, uh, you know, my my friends in the YouTube sphere didn't get injured by the jab. So they have actually no curiosity about any of this, just like I didn't have. Okay, so, Dan, thank you very much. Everybody check him out and we'll see you back. We'll see you back here soon. So there's actually a bunch of things I want to talk about here, but real quick, shout out to Senna, uh, call her again, my Turkish intelligentsia, yeah, but she showed this to me recently, 2021 newsmakers yearbook, Albert Borla 
CEO of Pfizer, most likely to find the cure for the disease. Really? Hmm. That's what the subtitle says there. Pfizer CEO. Uh, Pfizer generated about $36 billion in revenue from its COVID-19 vaccine, translates into about what they say, $16 billion uh, in net profit. Now down here, Omicron boosters could generate up to $50 billion in additional revenue for Pfizer, according to Morgan Stanley, more than the company's entire sales in 2020. Pfizer has said it can adapt its vaccine for the variant in six weeks, blah, blah, blah. But that's, they have to use all the product first, of course. So they haven't, they're not, the product that still they're using is not the one adapted for, of course, the Omicron could generate an extra 26 billion. Pfizer revenues are poised to reach 113 billion in 2022. Let that sink in real quick. 113 billion in revenue, which will translate into 43 billion in profit. Now, I think I said 16 billion before. I forget the number that uh, Dora threw out there, but I think it's a little higher than 16 billion. Um, I think they had it up here somewhere. Uh, I can't find it. But either way, uh, th- th- somehow they're standing to profit much more in 2022. Pfizer's newfound status is world savior. Hmm, that's fascinating. It's all the more startling for a company's besties seemed to be behind it just two years ago. What a coincidence. It's as if there was this, this miracle that happened. You know, this miracle they call COVID. Rich, real quick, I wanted to go back because um, you talked about this book and shout out to the person who published or gave the PDF link, The Phenomenon of Man. I just want to point something out real quick. Omega is the end of the alphabet. In Greek. Yeah, There's, that's the uh, symbol for it, right? They're pointing, they're futurists pointing toward the end they desire. Exactly. Their own sort of eschatology, sort of the end. Um, Let's just read a couple of the contents here. Plurality, unity, energy, the system, the totem, the quantum. First observation, second observation, third observation. You notice the pattern, Rich? Uh, Microorganisms, forgotten era, or here, this one. The main lines, the dimensions, the evidence. Uh, Eridan's thread, the rise of consciousness, the approach of time. Notice how everything's split out in the triads. It's almost as if he's using some sort of three-step system to reveal his his knowledge. Interesting. Probably probably the same three-step system he was indoctrinated with, which wasn't a method of thinking that he used for himself. Sending antithetical to formal logic and and Platonic and Aristotelian theories, which are non-contradictory based, it's based on the Hegelian idea. Um, which is based on the Kantian idea of these paradoxical antinomies that the universe is composed of nothing but contradictions. And it's yin about yang. this sort of re- resolution between these constant you know, he's contradictions. Yin, we're yang. So they, but it's interesting that the resolution they come up between these contradictions always seems to mo- remove the humans from the equation. How could, how it's inconvenient when you're doing the human math. Let's just read. You can't balance quick. the equation with freedom in there. You got to move it out. This, this, let's read this one paragraph. I'll call it yeah, that because it says it all. Control plus, so we can see. It, it. Yeah, yeah. This is actually a PDF, so I can make it nice and big. Oh, Sir Julian Huxley of the Eugenics Society in the World uh, in UNESCO and the World Wildlife Fund, isn't it? One of my one of my well? favorite is the Dinner Club, the X Club. I just I, love how UNESCO, the United Nations Educational Organization, is run by the guy who heads up eugenics and population control. That's what just a con- what a con- history. <laughs> they were short of people to run it so they're like could you wear two hats julian he's yeah. like sure 
<laughs> that's funny, but it's also true and sad, but you know, it's just that PR propaganda bait and switch to the Bernaysian style, uh, methodologies. Anyways, introduction by Sir Julian Huxley, the phenomenon of man. is a very remarkable work by a very remarkable human being. Pierre Teilhard de Chardin was at the same time a Jesuit father and a distinguished paleontologist. In the phenomenon of man, he has affected a threefold synthesis hmm. of the material and physical world with the world of mind and spirit, of the past or the future, and of variety with unity, the many with the one. He chooses by examining every fact and every subject of his investigation, subspecie, specie, uh, evolutionists, with reference to its development in time to its evolutionary position. Conversely, he is able to envisage the whole of knowable reality, not as a static mechanism, but as a process, a process they now want to control. In consequence, he is driven to search for human significance in relation to the trends that are enduring and comprehensive process. The measure of his stature is that he so largely succeeded in the search. I would like to introduce the phenomenon of man to English readers by attempting a summary of his general thesis and of what appears to blah, blah, blah. But the point is, there, so I just then let's go to the Excel group. We I know we've done this a number of times, but this is we had a really good discussion at the town hall about this dining club of T. nine H. men. T.H. Huxley, there's T.H. Thomas over there, yeah. and uh, he's the uh, mentor of H.G. Wells, who mentors Aldous Huxley, who mentors George Orwell, right? Was his father, right? Aldous's father or grandfather. T.H. Huxley was Darwin's bulldog. And he was friends and defender of Charles Darwin and his preservation of the favored races, as they called it. And that's the key. They thought evolution had stopped and they had to restart it through their eugenics program. And so they, they, they weaponized by utilizing this sort of like theological and mystical theories of Chardin and Hegelian metaphysics combined with Kantian metaphysics and Fichte sort of giving the outline for the terminology we now use for thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Um, they were able to weaponize philosophically and scientifically can't see my air quotes, but that's in air quotes, the, the use of natural, the process of random mutation by natural selection as the way in which they can drive forward human evolution. Um, they can now, in other words, there's a, there's an eschatology, there's a teleology, a meaning and purpose built into their, their eschatology of the end, that omega sign. And so their meaning and purpose is to drive evolution through eugenics processes. And the idea with, uh, uh, Hegelian idea or philosophy is that history had ended, that history had sort of ended. And that's sort of, they're the drivers of any forces that manifest as part of the zeitgeist or their, their cultural and philosophical and theological and uh, the milieu of society itself. And that they could be the driver driving forces. In other words, they're justifying philosophically and in Chardin's work, sometimes theologically that they're essentially God and they can hijack these forces, these contradictory forces in nature to bring about the world that they envis envision. And that's, it's obviously a very top-down approach and completely arbitrary and contradictory, but... Well, know. it's why they hijacked... Oh, did it go? I got to reconnect it. Hold on. Dun, 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 dun. They, hijacked, the they hijacked Rosalind Franklin's work mm. of DNA. And then yeah, Crick, right. Crick, Crick and Watson, who were into the uh, preservation of the favored races, uh, they got credit for it, but Rosalind Franklin. So that's all their uh, genetic engineering, genetic mutations, uh, all these things that used to be called eugenics is now like CRISPR and, you know, gene expression and gene therapy and the gene revolution. Have you guys heard about that? Maybe you should check that out when they're offering you gene therapy from these like same companies.
if you look partners. at the yeah, if yeah. you look at the phylogenetic tree, they have sequenced nearly every living thing possible at this point, which is very terrifying. Obviously, the human genome has been sequenced, so they have a. a oh, gee, a I'm glad the Rockefeller and, Foundation and like UN aren't still involved in the gene revolution. Everybody, you know, <laughs> of course not. I'm glad that's not still going on. You're that's telling like me it's a continuation past. of eugenics, Richard. I'm pointing it out with one of those big foam fingers you'd get at the ballpark <laughs> back in the day. I'm like, this is what they're doing. Yeah. That's but I'm not the only one. Advice. We're going to hear from Jay Dyer and Jason Burmis later, and they do mm -hmm. a pretty damn good uh, discussion of here's the think tanks and non-governmental organizations that are puppeteering people. But it's a chorus. It's an orchestra. We all got to play our instruments. And uh, LD, uh, the, the next clip I have was under from Mandates and Lockdowns. Fauci admits nothing is 100% risk-free. And uh, Kim Iverson is bringing the report. And then the next one we'll go to is the Rachel Maddow. I just didn't want to do two Jimmy Dore. Yeah. In a row. So we'll Both work. of them are good. He does a lot. He's been doing good work. Uh, yeah. But so yeah, it's we'll, Rachel Maddow. We'll get to her. We'll I hear Ms. Iverson's criticisms of Fauci's record. And then we'll get to like some more pointed commentary from <laughs> Jimmy Dore on my favorite uh, Rhodes Scholar. Uh, Rachel Maddow. So let's see if it rolls. Boom. Almost there. Still loading. And break the black mirror. Good morning and welcome to Rising. We've got a great show for you today. Kim, who do we have? Yeah, I'm here all morning long, guys. <laughs> uh, we also have friend of the show, Emily Jashinsky. She's going to discuss Glenn Maxwell, Maxwell's guilty verdict. And uh, Matt Taibbi discusses how Dems are botching their approach to education. And the CDC's new five-day isolation recommendation is creating some confusion among Americans, me as well, drawing criticism from some medical experts. The new rule allows people to leave isolation without getting tested to see if they're still infectious. Yesterday, Dr. Fauci addressed the CDC's new guidelines and admitted that the decision is, quote, not completely risk-free. The purpose of it was is that given the wave, the extraordinary unprecedented wave of infections that we are experiencing now and will certainly experience more of in the next few weeks, that there is the danger that there will be so many people who are being isolated, who are asymptomatic for the full 10 days, that you could have a major negative impact on our ability to keep society running. So the decision was made, although it's not completely risk-free, of saying, let's get that cut in half so that we could have 50%, namely half of the 10 days, and 50% of that time, people can actually be out with a mask in society. Fauci's flip-flopping on the science is creating skepticism among citizens looking for guidance amid the current spike in cases. But over at MSNBC, Nicole Wallace wasted no time fawning over Fauci. Here's some of that. Yeah, I mean, Jason, you see how difficult this is for this administration. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Fauci groupie. I'm a thrice vaccinated mask adherent. I buy KN95 masks, buy the, you know, caseload. They're in every pocket. I wear them everywhere except when I sit down. And I am certain that this is not a variant I can outrun. Yikes. I mean, look, she's she is a th she's vaccinated and boosted. She's still wearing masks everywhere. This is, you know, a, a lot of people see that 
And you have one guy and he's smiling, almost cheering her on like, oh, that is really great. You know, you're being really, really <laughs> ultra responsible. But, at the, you know, when is this over? Right. I mean, when are people going to be able to go back to some sort of normalcy? I mean, if you've been vaccinated, boosted and you're still carrying around all these masks in every single pocket. I mean, this is the type of stuff that people look at and they say, oh, my gosh, this is really, truly never going to end. Uh, you know, that that first of all, the Nicole Wallace clip is just is particularly, I think, indicative of the mentality of a lot of people still in the country at the moment. Um, but going back to Fauci and the CDC guidelines, you know, this is something that it, it, this is so bothersome for so many reasons. First of all, look, why did we shut down the country in the very beginning? Remember two years ago or, or almost two years ago when we were locking down the country, it was because of asymptomatic spread because they didn't know if a person, you know, if they didn't have symptoms, they were saying, well, you never know, you could still be killing grandma. And so we shut down the entire economy, the global economy in order to stop that asymptomatic spread. Um, and now it's, well, look, you know, if you're asymptomatic, you're not really going to spread this thing, which is what they kind of said originally. And then they changed and said, oh, no, everybody can kill everybody. And then now they're going back to this. Well, and, so and they're changing again, it's it. it's flip-flopping. No, exactly. And they're changing it. Fauci admitted that. I actually thought this was a rare moment of just brutal honesty from Fauci when he said, well, look, this thing is so infectious, you're going to have everybody on Earth quarantining for like a ridiculous amount of time. It's just not possible to do it. So we're saying do it only 50 percent of that because it's like it's, it's not feasible. So I actually totally agree with that. But that is so tonally different from everything he has said up to now. There has been no, you know, admission previously from Fauci and other public health bureaucrat type people that that were weighing other trade that were looking at trade offs. Well, you know, what about the negative consequences of doing this? This is the first time he said, yeah, it looks like, you know, doing what we would optimally want to do for our from our standpoint to protect everybody. It's just too much. And we can't really ask that of people. So we're not going to. But like, right. what, you know, what about school closures? What about locking down businesses? What about making people wear masks on airplanes for nine hours if they have a long flight? Like for all that stuff, it was like, well, no, the science says to be safe, you have to do this. So now and I think it has to be something to do with, you know, Biden is president and they're, you know, the team blue, the, the liberal media, Democratic politicians, the most, you know, hardcore anti COVID people are realizing that like it's not working. <laughs> all of their all of right. their militancy is not beating this thing. And I, I there's a there's a a reasonable and long overdue amount of, well, we kind of just got to let people do their own thing then that is refreshing, yeah. but utterly hypocritical, given what given what came before it. Well, and especially since in my radar later, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the Great Barrington Declaration and how mm -hmm. those scientists were called fringe and they were, you know, they were uh, they were cast out and ostracized and, and treated like they were some sort of pariah on society. And they were calling for this nearly exact uh, playbook for how to live with COVID. And now we're we're there. You know, now they're saying, well, we, we can't shut down the economy and, and, and disrupt large sectors of society. One thing that really also bothers me a lot about the CDC guideline. Now, I'm with you. I think, hey, look, at this point, uh, you know, finally, people are coming to their senses that we cannot defeat this thing and we're going to have to somehow learn to live with it. Um, but they're still treating. So if you've been exposed to the virus and you're vaccinated versus unvaccinated, they're treating you differently. Mm -hmm. So they're saying if you're unvaccinated, you have to isolate for longer. This is a negative test. You've, you've not tested positive for the virus and you still have to isolate versus uh, and if you're unvaccinated longer than if you're vaccinated 
And then they say, but if you've tested positive, so now you've got COVID, which makes you actually the dangerous spreader, right? Because right, you right. have it. So now they're saying if you have COVID, then you're treated the same uh, unless you're bo- uh, unless you're boosted, I believe, is, is yeah. what they're it makes or, very, or maybe it makes it's, very little sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's none, none of it is really making any sense. But that's that's how it's going at this point. I think a lot of people are starting to just kind of ignore it. But um, another thing, the spike in cases isn't unique to the U.S. We're seeing this trend all around the world and Israel. And we haven't heard from about them in a while, but they are now weighing whether or not to approve a fourth covid vaccine dose as nearly 3000 new cases are seen in the country for a second straight, uh, day straight. So they are seeing that curve go back up. Currently, their vaccine mandate requires three shots. So everyone has to be boosted even to enter the country. But scientists are warning against another dose. And they're saying that too many shots may lead to immune system fatigue, compromising the body's ability to fight the coronavirus. So just yesterday, new reports reveal that Israel's senior health officials are considering a switch to a policy of reaching herd immunity through mass infection. Can I just say, again, like I mentioned with the Great Barrington Declaration, epidemiologists and medical doctors, uh, this was considered a conspiracy theory. The idea that vaccinating and, and vaccinating and vaccinating again would compromise your immune system there were scientists who were calling, uh, who were raising the alarm about this early on, and they have been, again, smeared uh, and subject of defamation, and they were saying this. And now the Israeli scientists are saying, you know, this might be a thing. They're saying this because they're seeing evidence of it. That is why they're saying it. And they're saying that they want to see more. They're waiting for more data. They want to wait on whether or not to to introduce that fourth booster dose. A lot of them say, well, the risk outweighs the reward. Others are saying we're still seeing some of this risk. We need to kind of gather more data. So they are at this point waiting to see if they can gather more data on whether or not it does affect your immune system negatively to be dosing, you know, dose after dose after dose. But they know after the third booster, it wears off again. And that's what they're finding. It wears off. Well, and I, well, I read that story, it, it, and it looked like, yes, it, it is um, the protection uh, for against infection lowers. They, they, according to the New York Times story, the protection against severe disease and death is not waning as much, and that's the important thing. Right. So I don't know why, you know, if, if you still have that, even the new variants are so infectious, that's the thing we got to worry about. So that's good. If we're still holding up against that, great. That's like the right. best we can do at this point. So it's just, you know, it's just kind of ridiculous. But flawed testing and a shortage of tests in the U.S. US is certainly not helping. CNN medical correspondent Elizabeth Cohen explained that the flaws of the at-home rapid test saying that the test will be wrong 35% of the time if you have COVID with symptoms, and the test will be wrong 64% of the time if you're symptomatic. And and I, you know, I, I watched her say that, and I'm, I'm actually not sure she presented that information correctly, because what the rapid test is measuring is is infectiousness, which is actually right. a better thing, whereas the PCR test, you could still be testing positive because you have dead virus particles still inside you, even though you're not infectious and you're over the disease. So it's not, I, I, I thought they kind of presented that in a very, well, a typically dishonest way. But I, I, I agree with you. In fact, there is a study, I'd have to dig it up, um, but I, I do remember reading a study showing that if you took the rapid antigen test, 
that that was actually the most, um, the, the best way to prevent the mm -hmm. spread of the virus was people taking those rapid antigen tests and then knowing to isolate and stay home if they came out positive. And it was better in that in that study than the PCRs. It was better than masking. It was right. better than everything. They said, if you test and, positive, and the, stay But home. the government and their allies on mainstream media don't want to admit that because they screwed up letting yeah, everybody have access to those tests. So they can't yeah. admit that the best thing would be for everybody to be to have those tests and be able to take yeah. them all the time because it's their fault we don't. Yeah, that was their last thing. They were like, oh, no, you don't need to do that. Do everything else but that. <laughs> right, and so right. now it's like, whoops, whoops. Well, CNN's Caitlin Collins pressed CDC Director Rochelle Walensky on the agency's fluctuating guidance on COVID and lack of testing. So let's take a look at that. Well, so our guidance was conservative before. It has said 10 days of isolation. But in the context of the fact that we were going to have so many more cases, many of those would be asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic. People would feel well enough to be at work. They would not necessarily tolerate being home and that they may not comply with being home. It would, this was the moment that we needed to make that decision and those changes. The UK has also shortened its period of isolation to seven days, but with a negative test on day six and day seven, a negative rapid test. Why didn't the CDC recommend taking a rapid test after those five days? Yeah, really important question. So we do, just to be clear, recommend having a rapid test during your period of quarantine after you've been exposed. But we opted not for to isolation. have that, that rapid test for isolation, exactly. We opted not to have the rapid test for isolation because um, we actually don't know how our rapid tests perform and how well they predict whether you're transmissible during the end of disease. The FDA has not authorized them for that use. We don't know how they perform. This is like face, Paul. You know, especially with what you were just saying, if these tests are better at predicting infectiousness, then if you test positive, you might be infectious. <laughs> so why, so, you know, does that, okay. But, but, but no, you don't right. need to test to find out if you're infectious in order to get out of quarantine. It makes sense that, you know, I, that, Right. Yeah. I it would be Facebook. great if we had an, a government, maybe a government organization that was dedicated to, that had maybe vast amounts of funding to to determine over a period of maybe two years a scientific question <laughs> like which tests will help tell you if you're infectious or not. I actually, so I think we already have the answer to those questions. But again, she can't admit it because it's their agency's faults that. This is right. the way it, it is. Was, <laughs> it was such a flub that now she's like, no, you don't need to test negative before oh. you come out of quarantine. No problem. Go truly, out there in the world. <laughs> truly amazing. Just just wear a mask oh, for the rest boy. of your life, just in case, because, you know. Right. Yeah. Just well. well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it never ends. Uh, well, we'll have yeah. much more COVID-related news and other things coming up for you, Kim. And I yeah. really like to talk about the, about the pandemic, so there'll be a lot of that on the show, but also some other good stuff, including on the Ghislaine Maxwell verdict. And we'll tell you what's on our radars coming up next. That was good coverage by Kim and uh, Robbie Suave. I'm also a fan of his cousin's music, uh, that guy, Rico Suave. You guys have to look that up if that's before your age. It's a good, good video. All right, so next clip we're going to go to. For those who know, they're laughing. <laughs> and for those who don't know, they can search and laugh later. All right, the next clip up is uh, Jimmy Dore, uh, like Rico Suave, Jimmy Dore. And he's going to be uh, taking Miss Maddow to task. Uh, Rhodes Scholar, like was uh, George Stephanopoulos, he's a Rhodes Scholar. He was helping out earlier this week, making sure that people listen to Fauci. Here's 
uh, Rhodes Scholar, Rachel Maddow. People trained in the essence of Cecil Rhodes and indoctrinated by the British Empire at Oxford, they deserve a special look. Let's listen to what she has to say and see how it affects your freedom. So now what I've said, what I've said here is that if you're getting your information about COVID and the vaccines from the establishment news, you're being lied to and you're being lied to at the top of their lungs constantly 24 seven with very earnest looking people who you would never think would lie to you. Like how about Rachel Maddow? Come on. She wouldn't lie. She's a nerd. Well, watch her lie nonstop about COVID means that instead of the vaccine being able, excuse me, it means for instead of the virus being able to hop from person to person to person to person, spreading and spreading, sickening some of them, but not all of them. And the ones that it doesn't sicken don't know they have it. And then they give it to even more people because they didn't recognize they were right. Instead of the virus being able to hop from person to person to person, potentially mutating and becoming more virulent and drug resistant along the way. Now we know that the vaccines work well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. That's not true. That was never true. That's not true. That was never true. This is from uh, the end of March, almost April of this year, 2021. She's saying this. That's a lie. That's medical misinformation. And if this video of her saying this is up on YouTube, which it might be, they'll never take it down. But this is straight up 100% medical misinformation. And this is why people hate the unvaccinated, because they listen to a lying propagandist like Rachel Maddow tell them the people who aren't vaccinated are the ones not stopping COVID. This is all garbage. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. That is a lie. That is false. That is medical misinformation brought to you by Pfizer. She gets $30,000 a day to lie for Pfizer and the military industrial complex, and she's doing it. She's lying to you right now. cannot use a vaccinated person as a host to go get more people. Not true. That means the vaccines will get us to the end of this. That is not what that means. Why is it I knew that in my garage? But you don't know it with your $30,000 a day and your tens of millions of dollars in help, in staff, How many producers do you think she has? 20? How many interns that work there? 50? How many people work at that show? 100? She doesn't know this is a lie? I know it's a lie. I knew it was a lie. You can't vaccinate your way out of this pandemic. You can't do it. Will she ever correct it? No. You know what else she'll never correct? The lie she told about the hospital in Oklahoma being overrun with people taking horse ivermectin instead of human ivermectin. She she lied about that on Twitter. It's still up. You know who got taken down from Twitter? Dr. Robert Malone, the guy who invented the vaccine technology. Because he's telling the truth about it. You know who's leap? They leave up her because she's lying at the behest of Big Pharma, which owns the media. 
That's there's no other way to put that. She's lying. And she'll never correct it. She'll never go, hey, but remember what I said that the vaccine will end the pandemic if you just get vaccinated? That was a hundred percent lie. That wasn't true at all. Remember when I said that if uh, if 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 you get vaccinated, you can't get infected and it won't be that that was also a lie. Remember when I said it that you can't be a host and you can't transmit it to someone else if you're vaccinated? That's also a lie. You think she's ever gonna say that? Never. Because Rachel Maddow has less integrity than Alex Jones at this point. Alex Jones has been more right about this stuff than her, that's for sure. That's how bad they are. If somebody gave me $30,000 and put it in my pocket, and you could see it hanging out, and I came on there, somebody from Big Pharma, and I started telling you all this stuff, would you believe me? If I got a $30,000 check... Stick it out of my pocket before I sat down. Every day they gave me one. Would you believe what I said? I wouldn't. But people believe her. And that's what she looks like when she's lying for $30,000 a day at the behest of the establishment. Because she's a liar. And she has zero integrity. And you know I know she has zero integrity? It's not a, it's not a sin to make a mistake. It's not as it's it's it's, I don't know if it's a sin to even be sloppy. Let's say you could be sloppy. But when you get called out. And you don't correct it, that's when I know you're a liar. And that's what she is because she's been corrected. She's that tweet is still up about the bullshit ivermectin story. And she defended it after people pointed out, she's like, no, no. And here she is. That's a 100% lie. Nothing she said is, I'm going to play it again. Means that instead of the vaccine being able, excuse me, it means for instead of the virus being able to hop from person to person to person to person, spreading and spreading, sickening some of them, but not all of them. And the ones that it doesn't sicken don't know they have it. And then they give it to even more people because they didn't recognize they were, right? Instead of the virus being able to hop from person to person to person, potentially mutating and becoming more virulent and drug resistant along the way. Now we know that the vaccines. And by the way, as also what Dr. Robert Malone said on this show was that um, vaccinating healthy people could make the virus mutate. And to be more deadly. That's what Dr. Robert Malone said on this show. She just said the opposite. You decide who you think is telling the truth. She just said the opposite. Everything else she's saying in here, you know for a fact is 100% not true. So you you decide. You think that part's true too? Or do you think what Robert Malone said is true? It's up to you. I don't know. Well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. None of that's true. It cannot use a vaccinated person as a host to go get more people. That's not true. That means the vaccines will get us to the end of this. If we just go fast enough to get the whole population. It means that instead of the vaccine. No, if you get the whole population vaccinated, we're still going to have COVID. 
You get the whole pop. Gibraltar, 100% vaccinated. They just canceled Christmas. Look what happened to Iceland. Look what happened to Singapore. Look what happened to South Korea. Look what happened in Israel. So that is why. So it's this kind of information that my friends have. Who got, That's why they're angry at the unvaccinated, because they think like this, which is a lie. That's not science, what she's saying. That's propaganda. It's a lie. The COVID virus is never going away. Ever. Ever. And we're, and we're all likely to get it. If you live long enough, you're likely to get it. She's lying. None of that is true. And that's why people are hating on their neighbors instead of hating on the establishment who won't give you health care in the middle of what they call a deadly pandemic. They won't even give you health care, but they will give you a jab. They'll give you endless jabs at the cost of billions and billions of dollars to the government, but they won't give you health care. Hey, we're doing. When other people limit your options in times of risk, we call that slavery. And we're just saying where risk is involved, freedom must essentially be there and people must have informed choice. It's not a new lesson. It's a lesson of uh, after World War II. I think the world learned that lesson. Now, I got a book here real quick. This is the outline of history. The whole story of man by Herbert George Wells. Over 2 million copies sold. And uh, there's part in here where he's talking about Napoleon and Prussia and the story that we talked about earlier. But uh, Second World War, right here in this area where they're talking about redesigning the world after World War II, you know, uh, India and Pakistan and these various countries, and then what to do with America, you know, let's, let's go into not all British retreats ended successfully. Let me see if I could get... Uh... You mean there's an American problem, Rich? Well... There's a world problem and they kind of take care of it. So he's already talking about uh, Rhodesia and Southern Rhodesia and the Boer nationalists and Cecil Rhodes that took and created the union of South Africa. Uh, And there was a, you know, conglomeration. They colonized that area, created apartheid. Not all British retreats ended successfully. Let me see if I can like uh, focus that proper. The troops left Egypt according to promise and without conditions, but received no thanks. Resentment was felt because they stayed in control of the Suez Canal. Well, there's an interesting history between the Rothschild family and the acquisition of the Suez Canal and the British government. We don't have time to talk about Disraeli in those 1800s times. Let's keep reading on. Benjamin Disraeli, yeah. Affairs were even worse. The British attempted to restrict... Jewish immigration in an endeavor to please the Arabs, only to find themselves engaged in a guerrilla war with the Jews for whose immigration they had originally been responsible. After some bloody episodes, once again, the British announced that they would leave and formally formally returned to the United Nations the mandate that they had in the first place received from the League of Nations. The United Nations in November 1947 produced a plan for the division of the country, which might have done very well if either side had any peaceful intentions. Both the Jews, oh, but, but both the Jews and Arabs had other ideas. No sooner had the last British soldier left in May 1948 than a full war broke out. A short but fierce struggle that followed, uh, followed in which the five Arab powers, Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and Iraq 
failed to drive the Jews out. So this is part of H.G. Wells's outline of history for the world. It's an attempt to tell truly and clearly in one continuous narrative, the whole story of life and mankind. This is propaganda written to indoctrinate the world into the English speaking ways. So from a man who did propaganda and psychological warfare and world war one came his explanations of per post-world war two uh, events. So I just wanted to share that. The people that are planning uh, the world today, like uh, Rand Corporation or World Economic Forum, they got their inspirations from the British Empire's acolytes of uh, Cecil Rhodes and H.G. Uh, Wells and these types of characters. I find it interesting. One book to tell the entire story. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. I wonder what they omitted or what he omitted. In the uh, basically you just need to know their philosophy which yeah, is that english speaking point. people should rule the world and they're very specific about how to get that done now america stood in the way of that agenda for a long time but now it's kind of kneeling or rolling around and uh we'll see if america can get up but we'll see um next clip i wanted to go to was the truth behind the vaccine passports the explanation of Speaking of freedom going bye-bye, this is the system by which they'll combine social credits and vaccine passports to have total control over individuals who they couldn't convince through lies. So for those that don't listen to Matt Al, they got other measures for the rest of us. To before before we do that, I just want to get this on the record just because it should at least be mentioned. Um, oh, well, there's a bunch of articles. This is one, but there's an admission by the government, Biden admits no federal solution. And there's a bunch of articles or a bunch of videos in the Joe Biden admitted that the federal government can't stop the COVID pandemic agreeing with GOP, blah, blah, blah. But he made the surprising comment during a conference call Monday with governors discussing the government response to the threat, to the spread, excuse me, of the mild Omicron variant. So no, I bet if you ask that man this. what his opinion was on the Keebler elves being able to get along in their tree workshop, he would have an opinion on it. So probably that doesn't mean a whole lot. No, it doesn't, but it's just ironic. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was a pre-scripted, I think, teleprompter mentioned. So some someone in his administration is like sort of capitulating. Well, they got a teleprompter that dude now, especially after that last fiasco with let's go, oh, Brandon. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. We'll have it on the soundboard, maybe next episode. All right. The truth behind vaccine passports. The Biden administration said they're working towards developing a new nationwide vaccine passport standard. Vaccine passports would be a form of ID to gain entry to certain businesses or cultural events that require patrons to be vaccinated. Proponents of vaccine passports say they could be key to reopening communities. Opponents, though, they raise constitutional and medical privacy issues. This is literally the end of human liberty in the West. It's not about the vaccine. It's not about the virus. It's about your data. And once this rolls out, you don't have a choice about being part of the system. What people have to understand is that any other functionality, it can be merged with your PayPal account, with your digital currency. This violates the Americans with Disabilities Act. It violates HIPAA. It violates the First Amendment. It violates the Fourth Amendment. 
Your networks can be sucked up. It geolocates you everywhere you go. Your credit history can be included. All of your medical history can be included. Your records will be encrypted on a QR code, like a barcode that is unique to you. Some believe a vaccine passport could be the key to jumpstarting travel and leisure activities. The push coming from the United Kingdom, which is proposing an internationally recognized document to the G7, a group which includes the United States and Canada. Our governor and the state are incentivizing stores throughout the state, saying they can reopen in greater capacities and more fully if they adopt a digital vaccine passport. And the essence of the passport is you need to hold up your phone with the QR code in order to gain entry to the business and have service at that business. So what it would do essentially is set up a class system where people who had the passport could go to Trader Joe's, go to the movies, go bowling, go to Disneyland, go to a concert, you know, go to their kids' swim class, and uh, those who did not have the passport could potentially be denied entry. But what they're actually doing at the county level is they're enabling the vaccination sites to set up the technology. And they're setting the technology in place. And then you've got the state coming through the back door saying, well, we're not going to mandate the passport, but we are going to sweeten the pot for the stores who adopt the passport and deny entry to citizens and say they can open or have more privileges than the stores who refuse to do the passport system. We have seen clearly through the lens of history where this leads, and it is nowhere good. And that that is one of the reasons that so many organizations have been coming out in recent weeks saying we're not going to do vaccine vaccine passports. It is fundamentally unconstitutional. It's, it's unconscionable, really, at the end of the day. And there is no place in 2021 for such a system. From the perspective of the legislatures, they, they're going to do whatever they want to do regardless of the pushback from the citizens. And it's been because there are so few citizens pushing back. If you have one person, two people, three people at the County Board of Supervisors resisting, you have one person, two people, three people at the City Hall resisting, or the school board meeting, they can ignore you. But if you have a collaborative, if you have hundreds of people that are turning out to say, I'm not okay with this, they're forced to listen to you. That's what America was established on. America is a nation where it's by the people, it's for the people. And, and if the people are so indoctrinated with this idea that the government is working for them and that we're supposed to submit to the government, they kind of get lethargic and you start accumulating things and you, you assume, assume America is a place where you're supposed to uh, enjoy capital. But in reality, America is a place where you have a responsibility to preserve the nation. We have to preserve this nation. The Constitution is one of the greatest documents in the world because we have the freedom to disagree. So you can be the right, left, center, doesn't matter. But without the Constitution, there will be a time where you're mandated to believe something that you disagree with. Therefore, we need to preserve this and educate our youth to understand the value of this. So as vaccine mandate deadlines approach, many people are about to find themselves unemployed. What people who choose not to get vaccinated against COVID-19 can do to find a new job? My name is Tony Bittner. I am a pediatric cardiovascular intensive care nurse. I've worked at an institution for the past 12 and a half years here in San Diego. I absolutely loved what I did. 
Unfortunately, the institution decided to institute a policy that anyone who's unvaccinated cannot be in a patient-facing position, which means that I would no longer be able to care for the population of children in my community that, I'd, that I've cared for my whole nursing career. And so for a hospital institution to say that your work and everything that you've put into your work doesn't matter was a huge insult for many of us. When you have an entity that has a lot of lobbying power to be able to coax the government into saying, if you use this specific product, you can reduce healthcare costs, the government's going to jump on that. So, of course, one of the things that has happened is the huge lobbying that has gone on and this kind of incestuous relationship between pharma and the CDC has created this idea that if you vaccinate everyone, you're going to reduce healthcare costs. And so you become, you relinquish your sovereignty of your body and who you are over to a government entity that is in collusion with a corporate entity that is making money and has no liability. What these pharmaceutical companies are able to do is this massive study on a grand scale on this new technology and what our government is doing is saying that you have to be a part of this study if you want to be able to participate in society and that is what is going on with these vaccine mandates. I think we really may need to make it clear that there are privileges associated with being an American, that if you wish to have these privileges, you need to get vaccinated. So we won't reach herd immunity because of those particular groups. So I say we need to shun those that refuse to get vaccinated. The people who are not getting vaccines, who are believing the lies on the Internet instead of science, it's time to start shaming them. What else? Or leave them behind. Stop it with the ignorance. And we have to stop saying, oh, well, you know, you have to listen to people and uh, no, you don't. These people are being harmful to the greater good. You don't have to listen to a minority of people who are being harmful to the greater good and who are not acting on logic, reason and science. So let's start with our inalienable rights, which we have rights given to us by God, given to us by the Constitution which state that we are free human beings, all right? So we have the right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Uh, we have control over our own bodies. No one can tell us what to do with our bodies. This is the law of the universe. This is the law of the Constitution. And what's happened is very subtly over a number of years, they have taken away this notion that you have any rights at all. And their coup de grace was to come in and say, oh my God, there's an emergency, we're all gonna die, we have got to do this thing, and it's gonna protect everybody. And everybody went, well, if we're gonna die, well then we better do it. And what nobody realized is that 
yeah, that's not the way it works. It's just not the way the universe works. It's not the way we work as human beings. And the purpose of everything, the creation of this problem we're in right now, it was all for the purposes of control. This notion that somehow they're winning or how much longer is this going to go on, it, it, it's a fallacy because the fact is we are winning and we're winning by virtue of the fact that we're just speaking the truth every day. And the truth always wins, the cream always rises to the top. And everything they're doing is a magic trick. It's a bluff. And as we call their bluff, they lose a little bit of power every single day. I think this is one of the greatest times to be alive. I think that tyranny exists only to help us remember that freedom is actually the highest value of humanity. And here we are, you know, finding ourselves, you know, at the cusp of something called the vaccine passport. You're seeing Hollywood, you're seeing music artists, you're seeing athletes, you're seeing the virtue signaling from all the people, but it's becoming trendy. The amplification of the pressure from your peers, from your bosses, is higher than ever. I told people recently that I will lose my license. I will give up my license. I will practice without a license. I will do all the things that I can within and without the law to stand up for people's freedom at this stage, especially knowing that my practice and all healthcare worker settings are targeted at this stage. And now at this stage, you can see why they've operationalized and why they've, in my opinion, weaponized censorship. And the passport is the thing, in my opinion, it's the holy grail where we don't go back to a free society if that passport is implemented. So censorship is becoming the norm and the media, the mainstream media created a whole campaign that forced us into believing that censorship was the right way to go. And all of a sudden you create that polarized society. And what's happened today is those real life experiences don't matter anymore. If say it is a vaccine injury, say it is severe coercion from you know the medical industry say it is like some sort of just complete lack of what we call informed consent which is which is just having all the risk benefits alternatives and what if you did nothing you know having the full picture before you made a decision just providing that conversation is and has become absolutely unacceptable by these now tech media empires and you recognize that they're afraid of me how are they afraid of my account? Why does my account mean that much? And it's because what happens is if you put enough of these accounts, enough of these posts, enough of these stories, enough of these comments together, you recognize that there's a house of cards that's at stake that if they don't protect, the whole thing comes tumbling down. If you feel the call in your heart that this is the time in history for you to step up, it's because it is. And it's because we know that this is the right side of history to be on.
that concludes our speaker test. Hopefully yours are still working. All right. So um, there's two essences right there. There's the, the, the apartheid situation, the bifurcation of our society. Some people have special rights based on other things that they can't control. And it's uh, arbitrarily uh, authored by authority. And um, the apartheid motif, if you will, this idea has transformed itself uh, much like these viruses uh, between the South Africa organizations of Cecil Rhodes. And then they took those ideas, the British did, and they put them just as I showed you from H.G. Wells's book in uh, Israel, the Arab and Jewish conflict that goes on to this day that started the moment they, they did their thing. That's part of it, right? So there's um, been prototypes and it was wrong in South Africa to have apartheid. It's been wrong in Israel for all these years to have apartheid and it's wrong starting when they just did it right here in the COVID to also introduce apartheid into the situation. And it shows uh, a regression, an ignorant regression instead of an intelligent progression. Happened and there were also the Rwandian genocide with the Hutu and Tutsis when the Dutch rolled out. Yeah. They, I got a book on that. It's called shake hands with the devil by General Romeo Dallaire. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is the Dutch created a false narrative. Um, I forget which one, the Hutus, but the one was a taller group, and they, they made up Yeah, the up Hutus these... and the Tutsis, and then yeah. they told one group, you guys are royalty. and Yeah, you're superior based on these artificial... Yeah, it was a bunch of mind control. Genetic, you know, physiological... It was almost like mass psychosis on a smaller mm -hmm. scale. And it worked. They were testing so... out. I mean, it, it's fucked up, but they were able to gaslight those people and create a, a false dichotomy between Here, them that they forgot the their shared because they participated with one another peacefully for, uh, for I believe, centuries before the Dutch moved in. Um, I know, uh, what's his name? God, There's the, he's a lieutenant general. Sorry. Romeo Dallaire, shake hands with the devil. Failure of humanity in Rwanda. And he was the force commander of the UN assistance mission to Rwanda in 93, 94. So I'm just saying, you want to know about these things, maybe read books on these things. Adam Curtis watching. also in his third CNN. part of all watched over goes into detail about, about that, which is an interesting to back up what that's a big book too. So just shows you how, how much is behind that propaganda. And I got one more since you guys are playing, let's go concentration camps of the Anglo Boer war, a social history. You know, the, from the people who invented concentration camps, the British, we find ourselves today in an open air concentration camp, much like the Palestinians of the uh, under olden days. <laughs> well, when you accept the philosophy that's based on contradictions, it doesn't take long to see how everything develops to a it place sure of postmodernism. And, and if you wanted to know how to rapidly transform a society, get them to base all their decisions on contradictions and you pretty much have it overnight. Yeah, exactly. And then you have philosophies justifying contradictions, which is essentially Hegelianism and Kantianism and all these isms, positivism that emerged there from, from Kantianism technically. All right. Well, so in this section, do we hit all the hot spots or is there something? I think else? we hit the hot spots. Um, let me just take a look here. I'm starting lot. to lose my voice a little bit. Uh, yeah, this section's massive for, for those that are interested. I'll just pull this up. So obviously There's a lot the show in the surveillance. You know, they're surveilling. They're not giving us early treatments or effective treatments, but they sure are surveilling in these situations a lot. Yeah, I think we covered the highlights. So just for those that are interested, there's a lot of follow-up information in this section. You can see, like, when you... Let me just show people. Here's the um, uh, breakdown. Here's the list. Toggle here. Boom. 
And so it goes down. It's a massive, massive list of, you know, dozens of, um, there was a lot of news for the supposed off week. Wouldn't you say Tony, almost like they tried to cram everything in just like the Galen got guilty for, you know, by the way, 65 years, allegedly. Cause we probably won't get to this, but talking about jizz lane, <laughs> sorry. Uh, Are you going to go to the Bill Gates orgasms on Anderson Cooper? That one's a good deal. But um, here's the section on the jizz lane Maxwell. Lots of huge this week, obviously, because that was a massive cover up. So lots of information probably won't get to it just because of the shortness of time, but we can cover that in the town hall. Um, but yeah, this week, not only did I get hit on Friday night and I felt absolutely horrible, I was not, but I also had been saving uh, links throughout the week. And I knew that this is probably one of the biggest show cards I have done in probably a couple months, at least. Um, if for whatever reason, something about uh, post Christmas into New Year, all this news hit all at once. I mean, you had Malone and Peter McCullough just dropping crazy truth bombs all over the place. And then you have. Fauci and Walensky lying in Mad Al through their teeth, um, not backing up. They're not, not Walensky, you know, claiming that it's not based on science uh, when it comes to uh, quarantining and all that nonsense. I mean, we could go on and on. And Fauci saying that kids aren't at risk for, you know. I heard that Fauci COVID, keeps but... an analog copy of the science in micro print in his pocket. That's why it's hard to find because he keeps it in his pocket. Does he think he has a bobblehead doll of himself? Probably, I'm sure he does. Got a throw a pillow like Whitmer. Sure. It's right you know. next to the prayer, the uh, prayer, prayer candle, rosary. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. I am losing my voice, so we can we can expedite. I think they're you know we can. LD's got this uh, this thing from uh, Pornhub that's got uh, Bill Gates and Anderson Cooper apparently in it. I'm just reading the titles. Uh, Social Security, uh, you need to be vaccinated if you want to get uh, whatever whatever benefits uh, they give, you need to be vaccinated. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. A little weak. That That guy has really inappropriate facial expressions. That's what I think. Yeah. He seems to get happy over. We'll see. Over the loss of human freedom. What a surprise. That other guy in the last video said human freedom should be like up here on our, our values and things were. There's a lot I can say about Anderson Cooper. I mean, you should see his history, his brother committing suicide and the very strange artwork above his mother's bed and a photo. I mean, there's strange shit going on with him. Well, his mom back in the day, she had like the, the jeans line, Gloria Vanderbilt or something Mm -hmm. in the eighties. Right. And he comes from the Cornelius Vanderbilt, Robert Barron, days and the vanderbilt mansion is one of the biggest in america and they used it in the film richie rich with macaulay culkin and it's made in le rothschild goot or the rothschild style so the vanderbilts were so poor that they had to copy the the extreme uh, gilded age uh, rothschildian uh, architecture for their american residents so he <clears throat> comes from a long family they built the new york subway with the rothschilds there's a lot of uh a lot yes. of Robert Barron overlap between the bankers and the people who actually conducted the business opportunities to make globalism happen in the first place. There's Let me see connection. if I, I found the picture. You just have to see this, Rich. So I did a breakdown. So this is, uh, let's take a little look at the uh, the artwork symbolism at the top. So is there. this in John Podesta's house? Where is this at? 
right? Right. And his brother commits suicide, sort of predictive programming. Um, uh, and Mr. Robot. And for those that don't want to hear or have any spoiler alerts, um, Mr. The, the guy who creates his alter ego of his father called Mr. Robot. He did so as a defense mechanism because his father sexually abused him in the show. And he, he jumped out of a window, very similar to Anderson Cooper's brother in the show and to kill him, try to kill himself or actually in this case, he tried to hide from his father. So I thought, you know, there's sort of a weird sort of synchronous. It's more of a synchronicity. It's sort of an eight causal form of meaning, but you know, look at that. You have Christ on fire. You have the sort of like almost like a mushroom, like broom, like witch thing out of the hair, Medusa like hair. You have the sun and the moon, obviously the opposites. Um, I don't know. It's very and strange. Why is it on a picnic artwork. blanket? Right. Look at her. Look at all the adornments that she had. I mean, it's to, she. He comes from a very strange and occult-like background, um, and obviously the family having connections with the Rockefellers. So it's, it's well, yeah. they got to put their current generations into play, and that's who they got. Like Anderson Cooper. Yeah, and uh, I think and yeah, he also identifies he's gay. I believe Anderson. Not that that matters, but it's I don't know. He's it's a weird. They have a weird family history. Tragic family history. Tragic. All right, so uh, yeah, have we made it to the uh, intermission and then we'll spin yeah. a wheel and figure out which one we're going to do? Yep, we have. Shout out to Senna, by the way, because she found that uh, Anderson Cooper stuff. Anyways, um, whatever you want to do, totally. We kind of, so here's my thoughts. We kind of covered Peter McCullough. I think he made his point. If people who are interested in more of the nerdiness out of the Omicron variant, the mutations, transmissibility. And he, you know, the one thing that is important about the McCullough thing is he does cite the Columbia University study about the underreporting of VAERS data. That was very powerful that I thought. But, you know, I think we've gotten an idea that the vaccine is cytotoxic and causing serious injury. So I would, you know, maybe prioritize um, one since we haven't gotten a chance to really and then we'll put so um, the Dell Big Tree with G. Ever Griffin in the uh, the on deck spot for maybe next week. Yeah, on that, the news. that could work. That could be good. that could work. Yeah. So what we can do here is just go ahead and play. Actually, you can just play everything in a line. I mean, the only th- question is, it'll be about an hour, but we can either play or skip the the Christy Lee portion. But at this point, since we're skipping the Erie Besman off, we can probably just play it all. But it's totally whatever. Yeah, let's just play the clips in order as you design them. And okay. um, we're going to see what what type of sparks flew this past week since Malone was out there on bigger platforms than uh, the ripple effect and other places I've seen him here too for. And so, real, yeah. real quick, LD, I'm going to highlight the ones to play. I added some extra as uh, indentations as part of the show card. I'll make sure we can cover those afterwards. There's a lot of small clips that we can't show um, that are part of the Rogan that uh, interview that he did with um, Robert Malone. Uh, we could cover that afterwards or just I included it as part of an indentation with some of the clips just to showcase this, these back up what he is talking about. Um, but I'll, I'll color code it to show which and from top down which ones to to play. And that'll be good. And then we can go to Jay Dyer right after. Yeah, that's post intermission clip yeah. number one. All right, here's our intermission for show. What is it, 61? 61. You're in the middle of it. You're in the middle of it. We're doing it live. Check Fauci it flu 2022. <laughs>
It's important to understand the hierarchy of scientific evidence. When you're talking about proving things to be either safe or harmful, you need to rely on the best evidence. As you can see from the table on the right, a randomized controlled trial um, is level one evidence. Yeah, We're going to run them through to the new year, but most of these products have almost sold out. A lot have already sold out. So thanks for keeping us on the air. These are great products. It's a win-win. Infowarsstore.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to The Alex Jones Show. My name is Harrison Smith. This is our final segment with you. Man, time flies. I, I, I'm thinking, you know, a whole hour. Gosh, I'll, I'll cover stuff about the Fed. I'll cover stuff about transgenderism. Now, all we have time to do is to uh, destroy the so-called scientific basis of all of these changes Pretty that true. they're making. But luckily, there's so much more to find on band.video and Infowars.com. The news never stops, folks. And of course, it's all brought to you by Infowarsstore.com. Uh, I really try very hard, and it's difficult, I'll tell you what, to avoid any sort of drama in the uh, right-wingo sphere of commentary, the, the dissident right over here. Uh, but, you know, every once in a while, <laughs> something happens. I'm not even going to comment. All I'll say is this. Infowars is the real deal. A lot of right-wing grifters get exposed and are being exposed for being absolutely nothing like the person that they portray. I hope you understand if you're a regular viewer of Infowars, everything we do here is off the cuff. Everything we do here is uh, as real as it can possibly be, right? And I think I think you understand that. And uh, I always just think it's hilarious when uh, left-wing activist groups are like activist hackers are going to find the secrets of the right wing. And it's like, oh no, <laughs> oh dear. Oh no, they're going to find my short films from high school maybe. Like there's no dirt. There's no dirt to find. There's no ulterior motives. There's no secret funding. It doesn't exist. All of our funding is InfoWarsStore.com. All of our information is right here in front of your face. All of our personality and our our mindset, everything is on the table for you to see. And and I think that's one thing that uh, attracts people to InfoWars and makes it so easy to be here because I don't have to play a part. I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not. All I am is outraged at the insane nonsense going on on a continual basis around the world. And here I have a platform to pontificate on it. And I thank you so much for that honor and privilege. Please go to InfoWarsStore.com to keep us on the air and help us to expand band.video as we're bringing on more and more producers, more and more reporters and investigators. It's growing and growing and really becoming a true juggernaut of truth, plowing through the ranks of misinformation that uh, assault us on a continual basis. Now, of course, big news is that Dr. Robert Malone has been suspended from Twitter. He's not the only one, though. Twitter suspended just the news founder for a report on the legal distinctions between the COVID vaccine. So they're doing a big purge right now. I want to take a moment to play a video that we believe to be the video that got Robert Malone suspended off of Twitter. And the whole thing's about 40 minutes long. It's by the Can uh, Canadian COVID Care Alliance. I've retweeted a link to it if you want to share the full thing, and I encourage you to do so and watch the whole thing. But I want to play at least the first five minutes of it here uh, because it's very, very powerful information all on its own. Powerful enough to get the inventor of the mRNA technology kicked off of Twitter permanently. And here it is. Let's watch. The Pfizer inoculations for COVID-19 and why they do more harm than good. We're the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, and our alliance of over 500 independent Canadian doctors, scientists, and healthcare practitioners is committed to providing quality, balanced, evidence-based information to the Canadian public about COVID-19 so that hospitalizations can be reduced, lives saved, and our country safely restored to normal as quickly as possible. We support the doctor-patient relationship and personalized care, 
informed consent and treatment options, free and open scientific discourse, and safe and effective vaccines. It's important to understand the hierarchy of scientific evidence. When you're talking about proving things to be either safe or harmful, you need to rely on the best evidence. As you can see from the table on the right, a randomized control trial is level one evidence, the highest form of evidence there is. It's considered the gold standard, and it's the only way to prove that something is true. Models, which we've heard a lot of during the pandemic, are actually the lowest form of evidence, level five or lower, as they're considered to be expert opinion or speculation. Policy should always be determined by the highest level of evidence available, which is level one. So first, we're going to talk about Pfizer's original trial report that came out in December 31st of 2020. It was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it showed two months' worth of safety and efficacy data. It described how the trial started, with over 43,000 people divided into a treatment group and a control group, and how for two months, they followed them to see who developed COVID-19. The report claimed that the inoculations were safe and showed 95% efficacy seven days after the second dose. But that 95% was actually relative risk reduction. Absolute risk reduction was only 0.84%. Many people don't know the difference between relative and absolute risk reduction, so we're just going to show you what that means. Pfizer reported that its vaccine shows a 95% efficacy. That sounds like it protects you 95% of the time, right? But that's not actually what that number means. That 95% refers to the relative risk reduction, but it doesn't tell you how much your overall risk is reduced by vaccination. For that, we need absolute risk reduction. In the Pfizer trial, 8 out of 18,198 people who were given the vaccine developed COVID-19. In the unvaccinated placebo group, 162 people got it, which means that even without the vaccine, the risk of contracting COVID-19 was extremely low at 0.88%, which the vaccine then reduced to 0.04%. So the net benefit, or the absolute risk reduction that you're being offered with a Pfizer vaccine is 0.84%. That 95% number? That refers to the relative difference between 0.88 and 0.04%. That's what they call 95% relative risk reduction. And relative risk reduction is well known to be a misleading number, which is why the FDA recommends using absolute risk reduction instead. Which begs the question, how many people would have chosen to take the COVID-19 vaccines had they understood that they offered less than 1% benefit? So the first thing you need to understand about how Pfizer ran this study is that it didn't go according to their stated plan. There was an inoculated group and a placebo group of about 21,000 participants each, and they began the phase three trials in July of 2020. And the study was blind, which means the participants didn't know which group they were in. And this blinded trial was supposed to go on for three years until May 2nd of 2023. That would mark the end of phase three of the clinical trial. At that point, the trial would be unblinded, which means the placebo group would be offered the intervention if it were indicated and if they consented. But that's not what happened. Instead, after they had accumulated and released only two months' worth of trial data, Pfizer unblinded the study, which means they told all of the placebo and inoculation group participants which group they were in and offered the placebo group participants the option of moving over to the inoculated group. Most of them took Pfizer up on that offer and the vast majority of the placebo group moved into the inoculated group which means that quite early in 2021, there was no longer a control group to compare the inoculated group to, which means that for the rest of the trial, there's no way to assess long-term effectiveness or safety. 
Now we'll move ahead to Pfizer's six-month report data, and that came out on September 15th of 2021. This report indicated an efficacy of 91.3%, which means the inoculated group showed a reduction in positive cases compared to the placebo group. But shockingly, the inoculated group also showed an increase in illness and deaths. Now this is a problem because there's no benefit to a reduction in cases if it comes at a cost of increased illness and death. Let's look first at the increased illness that can be found in the Pfizer trial data. On the right, you'll see Pfizer's efficacy numbers, which they present quite proudly in their report, and it shows a reduction of positive cases of 91% in favor of the inoculation arm of the trial. On the left is a table showing the adverse events from the trial. You won't actually find it in the report itself. You have to dig into the supplementary appendix in order to find it. We've included a link to it in the PDF version of this presentation. And this table is really concerning, because if you recall, the justification for the inoculations was to reduce illness and hospitalization. Yet here we see that the inoculation arm showed an increase in adverse events in almost every category. For example, if you look at related adverse events, which are adverse events that the investigators determined to be caused by the investigational product, there were over 5,000 in the experimental arm and just over 1,000 in the placebo group. So that was a 300% increase for people who'd taken the inoculation. And when we look at severe adverse events, things that significantly interfere with normal daily function, there right, was folks, a uh, we think that this was the video that got Dr. Robert Malone kicked off of Twitter, and you can see why. It's not because it's misinformation. It's because it destroys their entire narrative, and it's really incredible. It's for, there's 40 minutes of that level of bombshell information. It truly is incredible. The Canadian COVID Care Alliance, just that little that little portion at the beginning, just, again, devastates the entire narrative about uh, the vaccine. And, of course, we can't have that. We must vaccinate everybody, so eliminate anybody that dares to tell the truth. That's where we are now, folks, and that's where we'll, we will remain unless we stand up and fight back against this. The best way for you to do that, please go to InfoWarsStore.com. Again, the sale is going to end very, very rapidly. To me, one of the biggest things is... So here we are. I finally get to meet you in person after all this. You were my first interview after leaving corporate controlled media. And here we are. You're just coming off of having an interview with Joe Rogan. So really been a wild ride, wouldn't you say? It has been. And I didn't know that was your first. I never would have guessed. Um, <laughs> it was a great interview and I enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed every other one that we've ever had. I, just a pleasure. Well, it's an honor, obviously, to have you be my first um, interview, leaving corporate controlled media and going independent. So what was it like to reach that mark of getting interviewed by Joe Rogan? What was that like? Um, I don't know. It's kind of, it was a bit of pressure. I must have had 10 different people call me and coach me. And, and everybody has their own little angle. Like, oh, say this on Rogan, you know, pump this, uh, mention this website, name this person. Um, everybody wants the little plug, and, but I had some great coaching. I have a couple of seasoned media warriors, serious, experienced people. One of them runs a $150 million company that, that spoke to me and kind of coached me on, on this. And, and I also had, uh, Peter McCullough call and, and ask me to kind of ease over some of the statements he made when he was on Rogan about uh, one and done, and, and that now with Omicron, that's not the case. So, so, so there was a lot of pressure and, and um, excitement, enthusiasm, 
about the opportunity. Rogan is totally chill. He's just there in the moment, relaxed, a fantastic interviewer. Just, and what surprised me, I was asked on, on another one uh, last night, what, what surprised you most about Rogan? He is completely up on all the information, and yet it's totally low-key. Um, he's very committed to speaking to a general audience. It's core for him. The idea of not playing into all this divisiveness. He, he, is, he is consciously, intentionally a healer right now. And um, just a very centered, um, you know, genuinely good person. The, the business about bringing his daughter's dog onto the set and then we shot a follow-on clip that pushed the, the uh, rally that's going to be on January 23rd. And he brought uh, his, the, his daughter's dog, Snoop the Chihuahua. On, I mean, it's just the way he is. Um, he's just kind of a sweet guy. Uh, not at all what I expected. I expected more, you know, with the background in Taekwondo and all of that. And, and surrounding himself. I mean, he's surrounded by ex-seals and, and some serious... Um, security capabilities and that's kind of the world that he comes from but there was none of that he was just I mean you could sit on the couch and and have a chat and and kill a beer and and uh, wouldn't think anything of it so just, very down to earth yeah just just a nice guy well I imagine that you would have a little bit in common in the sense that you both came from very mainstream positions. I mean, you did work with the Department of Defense. Still doing. Still doing. And um, you came at this very fair and balanced. And and Joe Rogan, I would have considered mainstream. But now here you have people saying he was taking horse paste. And, and he even said that he was warned you're crazy. So it seems like you would have that in common, that you came from just being what, what society would consider, consider normal. So now you're getting attacks and called crazy, both of you. And actually a lot of others. So there is kind of a fellowship that's being developed among those of us that have had these attacks. It's, it's been amazing to participate in it. And with this group, this International Alliance of Physicians and Medical Scientists that I serve as president for, we, we tour, go from you know town to town and give our talks and do our training and that kind of stuff. What's amazing in my experience, it's, it's, I've never, I've led many groups. Um, it's kind of part of what I do is assemble and lead teams to solve complicated stuff. The, all these people are so committed to the cause that there's, it's like there's no ego. They just are, are putting their shoulder to the wheel and getting the job done. And, and um, in a very decentralized way, it's, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. And, it's, and it, Christy, it plays into a theme that I've heard again and again. For instance, one of the groups I work with is Hippocrates in Italy. And uh, they're very committed to the model of not having traditional centralized leadership. Likewise, Tess Laurie and her group. Um, Tess serves as the main leader, but it's very decentralized. There's, there is kind of a growing movement and awareness that part of the problem here 
is is the structure of how we have been building our organizations and and doing business in a in a deep profound way in a in a just a dissatisfaction with with what one sees at the World Health Organization and the CDC and the whole HHS structure in the United States where you have you know carefully controlled information only one leader is allowed to speak only one leader is allowed to to represent the position that's i think that is going to turn out to be one of the changes here is as a growing awareness that that model is dysfunctional broken and it needs to be fixed in light of your attacks and seeing how the mainstream media labels people and then tries to get these buzzwords going. Has that changed your view on other people that the media has gone after? Completely. <laughs> because you have people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. or people like Alex Jones. Has this kind of made you think, well, maybe they're not as crazy as maybe I was led to believe before? So I'm going to share. So we did a little bit of a tour on the Hill um, a few weeks ago, and I met with various senators. and. Uh, so I walk in to Ron Johnson's office, and I had this mental image from the press of what I was going to encounter with Ron Johnson. Ron Johnson is basically an average Midwestern, straight arrow kind of good guy. Um, Open-hearted, uh, very down-to-earth. No, you know, I've dealt with the Hill for a long time, and I've seen some serious egos. Wasn't there. Uh, just just a, a good guy. That's, I think that, you know, yeah, there's been some hits and all this, and it's never fun to, to take these arrows from the media. Um, and as you know, they can be a little wicked from time to time. <laughs> We're just switching over. There's a highlight video that I meant to showcase. Uh, instead of the full interview, so that was my mistake. So we're just going to switch over to the highlight video, which is about 16, minute long, 16 minutes long, and it'll showcase the uh, main highlights from the Chris Lee interview before we go into part of the Rogan interview. For people, by the way, on YouTube, when we hit the the Rogan interview, a part of it, you're going to have to probably switch over to a different platform because we're going to have to stop the stream on YouTube at least for that small section where we showcase some of the Rogan interview with Norm. It's been a series of epiphanies that that um, have have made me realize that there's no upside to just being circumspect and trying to be a nice guy in this environment. This is this is full on media warfare, mm -hmm. information warfare, political warfare, 21st century, like we've never seen before, and uh, and coordinated globally. The other thing for me has been um, the the personal journey of of coming to terms with what the World Economic Forum really represents, and and I really resisted that. You know, I was people initially were coming to me talking about the Great Reset. I was like, oh, this is crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that and, sounds like a conspiracy theory. It sure sounds like a conspiracy. Yeah. Great but, reset. Yeah, but then it's all documented. And then you see it being deployed. Mm. And uh, a group of Canadians on a podcast the other day sent me some links from WEF. 
to a, a site. This is one of the last things I tweeted before. Um, uh, and, and it had a extremely detailed map of all of the policy positions and the actions that the WEF was taking for a huge range of topics, not the least of which is COVID-19. And it's kind of a, 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 it's, it's a public document that clearly states everybody that's in our little clique, in our club, these are the things that we will think. These are the things that we will say. This is how we will act. And that one was kind of like the icing on the cake. That was, that was a, oh, here it is. You know, this is, they're proud of it. Mm-hmm. They don't hide it. This is, this is the vision. It is a full-on globalist totalitarian vision um, with the money in control. And, and uh, the whole, I did a lot of p- political science when I was an undergraduate in the early 80s. And I had read things like about books about um, transnationalism in the New World Order. I found that fascinating but confusing. How, how, could, how could this possibly happen? And now to see it playing out in real time and uh, in a way in which national sovereignty, governments are increasingly irrelevant. Um, yeah, uh, that's, you know, that's the thing that folks got to wake up about. This is not about the vaccine. The vaccine is a symptom. It's much bigger. And that's a really hopeful message going into the new year is that um, there's a growing cohort of people that are increasingly aware of how, how thoroughly we've been manipulated. So you'd say you've been red-pilled? Uh, in like multidimensional red-pilled. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, I thought I was red-pilled. You know, I, I, well, I, I've been on the inside for so long and seen Tony Fauci's machinations for so long. It's how, I, you know, I, my, that's my origin story was the initial AIDS crisis starting in 83 when I was at Davis. And um, so I saw the hardball politics. It's not that I haven't been aware of, of that, but I had not been aware before of of the information control that is globally coordinated. I mean, the the Trusted News Initiative is profound. What that means, that has become the Ministry of Truth, full on. I mean, it's- And what Twitter's doing right now, that I think, you know, with Alex Berenson's um, bold and brave lawsuit taking on Twitter, and then I've had a bunch of lawyers come to me because of, of getting uh, deplatformed or canceled, I think is really the, the right term. Uh, um, I think that we may, certainly people can't deny anymore. Yeah. There's so much evidence. And, and the CNN ratings keep slipping, yay. <laughs> um, you know? I, maybe maybe we're going to see some change in 2022. What what surprised you most about Rogan? He is completely up on all the information, and yet it's totally low key. Um, he's very committed to speaking to a general audience. It's core for him, the idea of not 
playing into all this divisiveness. He, he, is, he is consciously, intentionally a healer right now. And um, just a very centered, um, you know, genuinely good person. There's, there is kind of a growing movement and awareness that part of the problem here is, is the structure of how we have been building our organizations and, and doing business in a, in a deep, profound way, in, a, in a, just a dissatisfaction with, with what one sees at the World Health Organization and the CDC and the whole HHS structure in the United States where you have you know, carefully controlled information, only one leader is allowed to speak, only one leader is allowed to, to represent the position. That's, I think that is going to turn out to be one of the changes here, is, is a growing awareness that that model is dysfunctional, broken, and it needs to be fixed. In light of your attacks and seeing how the mainstream media labels people and then tries to get these buzzwords going, has that changed your view on other people that the media has gone after? Completely. <laughs> because you have people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. or people like Alex Jones. Has this kind of made you think, well, maybe they're not as crazy as maybe I was led to believe before. So I'm going to share. So we did a little bit of a tour on the Hill um, a few weeks ago, and I met with various senators. And uh, so I walk in to Ron Johnson's office, and I had this mental image from the press of what I was going to encounter with Ron Johnson. Ron Johnson is basically an average Midwestern, straight arrow kind of good guy, um, open-hearted, uh, very down to earth. No, you know, I've dealt with the Hill for a long time and I've seen some serious egos. Wasn't there. Uh, just, just a, a good guy. That's, I think that, you know, yeah, there's been some hits and all this and it's never fun to, to take these arrows from the media. Um, and as you know, they can be a little wicked from time to time. Uh, I, I, I've been on social media for a long time and, and I've kind of gotten desensitized to the trollery. That's been really helpful. Just, just being able to say, Hey, you know, there are haters in the world and that's just the way it is. I think the, the most, for me, it has been an, an awakening journey. There's no question. Uh, I never, I didn't seek this. I never expected it. Um, I find myself at the center of this storm of the resistance. That's what it is, really. Um, and uh, I'm still amazed. But um, it, has, it has profoundly changed my view of the information that we receive. You talk about me becoming more outspoken. I've seen that with my peers, too. So, for instance, Peter McCullough, is is uh, he's kind of chilled out a little bit but when you're attacked all the time and you have all of this weaponized information against you and and no respect i mean i'm i'm mr malone uh you know 
who claims to have invented, I mean, they, all this language, the kind of yellow, classic yellow journalism language, to have it all deployed against me uh, is in absolutely no respect for what I actually did. And they never cite all the patents. I mean, they just gloss over all that. And like and, you said, it's an information warfare. So Reuters is now coming after you with, with a fact check, particularly on um, the piece about risk reward benefit with children. So you're fighting back with information. So how, tell me about that and how that's going. So having had the experience now of being subjected to this, uh, you know, it's not fair, it's not right, it's not proper, and they don't care, right? Um, uh, it doesn't matter what the truth is. It matters what the storyline is that they want to promote. Having had that experience now a few times and dealt with the fact checkers and dealt with this young reporter at Atlantic Monthly, um, and seeing how that all plays out. Um, for instance, when, when Peter Navarro and I wrote the op-ed and put it in the Washington Times, which, by the way, was the thing that triggered that Atlantic Monthly piece, in retrospect, it's now clear that that was intended to shut me down because I was starting to speak at that point about policy and criticize the Biden policy. And, and the criticism, by the way, that I was making, the, the the proposal that I was putting out was essentially that of the Great Barrington Declaration, um, which is these three uh, fringe epidemiologists. Fringe. I uh, mean, they, yeah. they're from Harvard, Stanford, you know, <laughs> yeah, but, no, but they're fringe. Yeah, right. Uh, full professors. Um, yeah, so, so having dealt with this, the question, so I get this new fact checker attack by the Reuters fact checker team. It sounds very official. Mm -hmm. Um, and they have spoken to the MHRA, and the MHRA has these comments that it listed. So this is the equivalent of the FDA in Great Britain, which, by the way, up until the beginning of the year, was not doing any FDA-type regulatory work. It was all being done by the Central European Union. So they're actually newbies at this, okay? And so they put out this statement uh, to Reuters that they were quoting that was intrinsically full of falsehoods. Like they said, for instance, there have been no pediatric deaths. Well, that took about two seconds to prove that false. Um, you can cite the, if nothing else, you can cite the multiple media pieces coming out of Vietnam with the four kids that died from the Pfizer jab. Okay, so that, and, and we, I reached out to my network and I got a huge volume of information about all the pediatric deaths and in VAERS and Yellow Card, Tesslory help. I mean, I, it was, so the question, the question was, is, was there a way to flip the script on the fact checkers? And so I consulted with these media analysts and, and uh, media warriors that I work with that wish to remain um, confidential uh, because they run big companies. And uh, we came up with a strategy. Because what happens is you'll write back to these guys and you'll say, well, here's the citation, here's the citation, here's the citation, and they'll ignore it. Mm -hmm. And they'll go ahead and put out whatever attack, and they'll say, you know, well, Dr. Malone cited some irrelevant documents that aren't properly peer-reviewed, or whatever. They'll trash whatever you put out, yeah. right? Because it's not about evaluating truth. It's about enforcing the narrative. Um, so what we did, and, and I invite anybody to, to adopt this strategy that's under this kind of pressure, is I sent in a very terse, brief quote to the fact checkers. And I said, basically, thank you so much for the opportunity to respond. And, uh, you know, always trying to be nice because it's going to go public. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, you can find the answers uh, that you're looking for, the information that you're seeking at this website, Bank, okay, which is linked as the children's vaccine tab on our website, rwmalonemd.com. This is asymmetric warfare. We're basically in a guerrilla warfare situation, and we got to play it smart. Because what I'm seeing is the other side is generally not very smart. <laughs> um, they, have, they have a big hammer. They've got all kinds of resources. But they don't seem to be very bright. We don't have decent data. If we had decent data, if they had done their job and insisted that Pfizer do the, the multi-year study that it had initiated, rather than killing it after a few months and jabbing all the controls, I mean, that was an intentional strategy. There's a lot of ways you can manipulate clinical trials. I believe nobody should have vaccine mandates for these experimental products. I believe it is absolutely contrary to the Nuremberg Code, the Helsinki Agreement, the Common Rule, the Belmont Report, etc. Okay, it is lawless behavior that's going on, full stop. And actually, we've got a, a section on that webpage that I talked about that is legal analysis of why it's lawless, why it's illegal what they're doing. Um, and, you know, that's going to go to the Supremes and we'll see what they have to say. I don't know what's going to happen in 2022, but there's some encouraging signs. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, tr as you know, I try really hard to look for the silver lining and things. Mm -hmm. And and if if this whole trauma that we've been through nationally and globally leads to an awareness of how interconnected we are and uh, the need for healing and the need for community and the importance of integrity and the importance of human dignity. If, if this can lead to an awareness, that's, that's people, that's kind of the um, perhaps naive Pollyannish, a uh, hopeful position uh, in, in a response to the great reset is people use the term, the great awakening. That we as a society have become grossly fragmented through social media, electronic appliances, the stress of what we've experienced. And this leads into this whole issue of mass formation psychosis that Matthias Desmet at the University of Ghent has promoted. That for many of us, when Matthias, a you know psychologist and statistician, interesting combination, video LD, video. Came, made public, a lot of us, as we listened to Matthias, we said, "Oh, that makes sense." Out of, that was like the brain that what happened when I encountered the Trusted News Initiative. I said, "Oh, you, I don't know if you saw the Brett Weinstein podcast with me and Steve Kirsch, um, where that lit this whole fire all over the world." Brett ends with the with the basically the question. If you listen to the long version, um, of what's how does this happen? How how do we have this emergent phenomena? The the how question, mm -hmm. right? And you know behind the how question is the why question. Um, the 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 how question of a third of the population basically being hypnotized and totally wrapped up in whatever Tony Fauci and the mainstream media feeds them, whatever CNN tells them is true. Um, let me illustrate that. The other day I was looking through New York Times recent articles about Omicron and pediatrics, 
in preparation for this and for making some slideshows. And um, and I saw this headline in the New York Times: um, epidemiologist and a vaccinologist, and the te- and the title was how you should think about children and Omicron. It was, it was blatantly saying, this is how you should think. Mm. We're going to tell you how to think. Okay? People kind of got to get that in their head. That's the world we're in right now. Now, what Matthias Desmond has, has shared with us, brilliant insight, is another one of those, aha, now that part makes sense, um, which is that this comes from basically European intellectual inquiry into what the heck happened in Germany in the 20s and 30s. You know, very intelligent, highly educated population, and they went barking mad. Um, and how did that happen? Um, the answer is mass formation psychosis. When you have a society that has become decoupled from each other, and has free-floating anxiety and a sense that things don't make sense. We can't understand it. And then their attention gets focused by a leader or a series of events on one small point, just like hypnosis. They literally become hypnotized and can be led anywhere. And one of the aspects of that phenomena is the people that they identify as their leaders the ones typically that come in and say, you have this pain and I can solve it for you. I and I alone okay, can fix this problem for you. Okay, Then they will lead, they will follow that person through, it doesn't matter whether they lie to them or whatever. The data are irrelevant. And furthermore, anybody who questions that narrative is to be immediately attacked. They are the other. <coughs> this is central to mass formation psychosis. And this is what has happened. We had all those conditions. If you remember back before 2019, everybody was complaining, the world doesn't make sense, blah, blah, blah. Um, And we're all isolated from each other. We're all on our little tools. We're not connected socially anymore, except through social media. Um, And then this thing happened and everybody focused on it. That is how mass formation psychosis happens, and that is what's happened here. Now, there's ways to get out of it. Um, Matthias' recommendation is you've got to get people to realize that what we've got is a situation of global totalitarianism. In his experience in Europe, making people realize there's a bigger threat than the virus can cause a separation psychologically in this fusion, this hypnosis that has happened, the problem is then you're just substituting a bigger boogeyman from the current one, and somebody else can come in and manipulate that. The real problem, and it gets back to your core point, we're sick as a society, and we have to heal ourselves. And one of the things we have to do is come together. We have to recreate our social bonds. We have to buy into integrity, the importance of human dignity, and the importance of community. That's how we get out of this. And I think that this insight of Matthias Desmet is really central to kind of making sense out of all of this crazy. 
we got a world in which the press is incentivized to push a storyline because they're all controlled by the same large funds that Pfizer is, and so is tech. <coughs> I don't know how we're going to get out of it, but it's got to start with us, all of us, finding common ground. I think one way we're going to get out of it is by realizing what it is. And by the way you just explained it and the way Peter McCullough explained it when he was on the podcast as well, this mass formation psychosis that we're currently experiencing, most people are unaware that's even happening. All these events take place, and it's this perfect storm of the social media aspect of it, the, the, the fact that we are disconnected, the, the COVID, the separation, the isolation from society, the lockdowns. Also, coming off of the four years of Trump, where we're so polarized politically, and this, it's become very, not just common, but accepted to other people, to, to point at those, the others, whether it's the Republicans or the Democrats or the independents, whatever you, cho whatever you choose or to the, make. Or the unvaccinated. Or the unvaccinated. That was what I was going to get to. Yeah. And that's one of the things that. I find very bizarre about the tribal aspect of this is that people want me to get vaccinated. And like my friends who've been vaccinated want me to join the team. Like, go ahead, get the tattoo. Like, what are you saying? And I'm like, I've gone through the virus. I have immunity. I also have antibodies. I just checked them last week. Like, I could show you the test. As a matter of fact, I have it right here. There it is. <laughs> and I had to be tested when I came yeah. in the front door at your shop here. Yeah, we test everybody. But the point being is it doesn't make any sense for me to get vaccinated, but totally. they want me to join. Well, it's, it's worse than that. It puts you at higher risk. Yes. Okay. They're asking you to take more risk for your health in order to join their club. That's what it is. And that's what it is. And it's a, it's a tribal formation. And... It's people who don't have personal sovereignty and people who uh, aren't confident with standing by their own thoughts and objectively analyzing things outside of uh, uh, an ideology, outside of the tribe. Those people are very susceptible right now, and those are more common than not. Hang on just a second. I'm pulling this next video up. It's all good. Okay, next video, I believe, will be Academy of Ideas is government the new god. And so this uh, for everyone that's listening in, sort of keep in your mind, and I'll sit down here for a second, sort of keep in your mind the idea of mass formation psychosis when you listen to what Academy of Ideas has to present here. I think it's an interesting juxtaposition. And if you jumped off of YouTube, found another platform, I just started the YouTube stream again. So you can go back to the channel there. Oh, good to know. Good to know. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. I do. Okay, here we go. This content is made. This is Jocko Pond. <laughs> this content is made possible by individuals like you. Become a supporting member and access our growing library of exclusive content. 
Learn more at academyofideas.com backslash members. The state takes the place of God. The socialist dictatorships are religions, and state slavery is a form of worship. Since the birth of totalitarianism in the 20th century, much has been written about this form of rule, and millions have read George Orwell's depiction of it in the classic novel 1984. But what is often overlooked is that totalitarianism is more than just a political system, it is a fanatical religion, and this religion is spreading across the globe with a ferocity not seen since the mid-20th century. In this video we are going to investigate the religious nature of totalitarianism in the recognition that we must know our enemy if we are to defeat it. Shortly after fleeing Nazi Germany, the political scientist Waldemar Gurian wrote the following. The totalitarian movements that have arisen after the First World War are basically religious movements. Their aim is not only to change political and social institutions, but also to remodel the nature of man and society. Totalitarianism shares many characteristics with organized religions. For example, Christianity and Islam are built on the belief of a future golden age that will be ushered in with the second coming of Christ. Totalitarian movements share a similar idea, but instead of a god or prophet that transforms the world, totalitarian movements are built on the belief that man can recreate the world, and a new golden age can be constructed under the direction of the all-powerful and all-controlling state. In consequence of the decline of Christianity, writes Carl Jung, the religious projections have largely fallen away from the divine figures and have necessarily settled in the human sphere. The modern, enlightened intellect cannot imagine anything greater than those tin gods with totalitarian pretensions who call themselves state. This belief that it is possible for a centralized, all-powerful state to radically change society for the better is why Hannah Arendt wrote that totalitarianism is not a government in any traditional sense, but a movement. In the totalitarian movements of the past, this golden age was envisioned to be one of racial purity or a communist utopia of equality, efficiency, and prosperity for all. Today, this totalitarian golden age is one in which mankind exists in harmony with Mother Earth, or in its more extreme form, an age where man merges with machine and transcends biological limitations of disease and death. Needless to say, totalitarian utopias never come to fruition, for as Karl Popper warned, the attempt to make heaven on earth invariably produces hell. These utopian visions do, however, succeed in stimulating the religious enthusiasm of the masses, and totalitarians use these visions to convince the population that the utopian end justifies any and all means, be it mass surveillance, censorship, widespread oppression, mass imprisonment, or even the extermination of groups of people, or as Barry Goldwater explains. Those who seek absolute power, even though they seek it to do what they regard as good, are simply demanding the right to enforce their own version of heaven on earth. And let me remind you, they are the very ones who always create the most hellish tyrannies. Absolute power does corrupt, and those who seek it must be suspect and must be opposed. In the totalitarian religion, there are the chosen people and there are the sinners. The chosen ones naively believe in the possibility of a paradisal future and the ability of the state to be the vehicle to effectuate this transformation. They are the pious who follow the state's commands with unquestioning obedience. The sinners are the non-believers. 
They are the heretics who stand in the way of the so-called greater good and prevent the forward march of history. To use an analogy offered by the Polish philosopher Zygmunt Bauman, the totalitarians see the earth as a garden to which they are anointed to cultivate, and the sinners as the weeds that must be exterminated to bring about the full flowering of the totalitarian utopia. All totalitarian visions of society as garden define parts of the social habitat as human weeds. Like all other weeds, they must be segregated, contained, prevented from spreading, removed and kept outside the society boundaries. If all these means prove insufficient, they must be killed. But removing the weeds is only one part of the totalitarian religious movement. The remaining citizens must be turned into totalitarian true believers, who inwardly assent to a life of strict conformity and obedience to authority. For in totalitarianism, the mere outward display of compliance is not enough. Like all fanatical religions, totalitarian movements seek to control the innermost thoughts of its followers. Referring to Mussolini's fascist dictatorship in Italy, Giovanni Amendola explained, Fascism did not so much aim to govern Italy as to monopolize the control of Italian consciences. The possession of power is not enough for fascism. It needs to possess the private conscience of all its citizens. It demands the conversion of Italians. Fascism makes the same claims as a religion. It does not promise happiness to those who do not convert. In pursuit of this totalitarian religious transformation, various proselytizing methods are used. Two of these are demagogy and pedagogy, the former being the spreading of state propaganda through art, literature, music, plays, and festivals, and the latter being the ideological indoctrination of the youth via compulsory schooling. The strategy of terror and love is another technique used to proselytize the masses into the totalitarian religion. Citizens are subjected to terror via ongoing wars, continual fear-mongering, false flags, and the ever-present threat of loss of livelihood, property, imprisonment, or death. Yet these displays of terror are interspersed with displays of love. Ceremonial rituals are held to honor the goodwill of the leaders and continuous propaganda assures the citizens that the regime cares for them and is working hard to keep them safe from the dangers of the world. And as Alexander Stein explains in her book, Terror, Love, and Brainwashing, as in the Stockholm Syndrome, thus does the abuser become the perceived safe haven, a person or an entity to whom one can turn for help, mercy, forgiveness, comfort. This alternation of terror and love triggers free-floating anxiety, confusion, and creates a trauma bond between the citizen and the state, a bond that lies at the basis of all cults. Stein explains further, The alternation of love and fear within an isolating environment results in a dissociated, loyal, and deployable follower who can now be instructed to act in the interests of the leader rather than in his or her own survival interests. Processes of brainwashing rest on the creation of stress or threat with no escape, other than compliance to the apparent safe haven of the totalitarian regime and group. Persistent fear-mongering, in conjunction with promises that compliance to the regime will bring the citizens salvation, creates true believers who will do whatever the regime commands, even if these commands require them to disown friends and family, face economic ruin, spend time in prison, or even go to an early grave. As one example, Nikolai Valenchik, a man loyal to the Soviet regime, 
was forced to spend 17 years in the hard-labor gulags for a crime he did not commit. Yet upon being released, he did not condemn the Stalinist regime. Instead, he stated, We believed in the party, and we were not mistaken. Other reports tell of political officials and party followers who cried out, Long live Stalin, as they were being taken out to be shot by the Soviet secret police. As further evidence for the mass religious conversion that takes place under totalitarianism, Hannah Arendt explained, The amazing fact is that the totalitarian true believer is unlikely to waver in his loyalty when the monster begins to devour its own children, and not even if he becomes a victim of persecution himself, if he is framed and condemned, if he is purged from the party and sent to a forced labor or a concentration camp. On the contrary, to the wonder of the whole civilized world, he may even be willing to help in his own prosecution and frame his own death sentence, if only his status as a member of the movement is not touched. Totalitarianism is a religion that never achieves what it promises. It creates a hell on earth in which many are sacrificed to the god of the state, but none are delivered into the brave new world they were promised. The more power the state is granted, the more corrupt become the individuals who operate the state machinery, and the more the world descends into chaos. Totalitarianism must be avoided at all costs, but sadly this religion is seeing a modern-day revival. Politicians and others in positions of global power are vocal about their desire to remake, rebuild, or reset the world, and the masses are expected to obey and to love the new society that is being forced upon them. If obedience does not come voluntarily, then force is being used with an alarming frequency. They want to be our shepherds, but that requires us to be sheep, warns Thomas Sowell. In these times of tyranny, we each face a choice. Accept the false gods of the state and allow the totalitarians to lead us into what Alexander Solzhenitsyn calls the land of smothered opportunities, or resist. There is but one choice— to rise to the task of the age. In the mid-20th century, Carl Jung watched the religion of totalitarianism sweep across Europe, and his words serve as a call to action for all who see the perils we face. Where are the superior minds, capable of reflection, today? If they exist at all, nobody heeds them. Instead, there is a general running amok, a universal fatality against whose compelling sway the individual is powerless to defend himself. And yet this collective phenomenon is the fault of the individual as well, for nations are made up of individuals. Therefore, the individual must consider by what means he can counter the evil. What are some tactics we can use to counter this evil? We can stop allowing our children to be indoctrinated with totalitarian ideas. We can ostracize people who blindly obey the immoral commands of the state, for ostracism is one of the most powerful means of social influence. We can mock and ridicule the so-called priestly class of politicians and bureaucrats and point out their hypocrisy and the absurdity of their propaganda and lies. We can create and support technology, art, memes, videos, books, merchandise, or music that informs, inspires, and spreads the message of freedom. Or we can help build and participate in the counter-economy, which consists of all voluntary exchange that is conducted outside the controlling eyes of the totalitarian state. Simply put, we can strive to live as freely as possible in the recognition that while we single-handedly cannot liberate the world, our own personal liberation creates ripples in society 
and serves as a powerful example for others. In making the choice of whether to help resist the rise of the totalitarian religion, we should recognize that the choice is not between complying in living an easy life versus resisting in inviting unnecessary hardship. For compliance to totalitarianism is the riskiest of choices, as it is based on the naive hope that this time will be different, that this time power won't corrupt politicians and state officials, that this time the totalitarian monster will not devour its children and create a man-made hell on earth. But as Solzhenitsyn warned, there always is this fallacious belief. It would not be the same here. Here such things are impossible. Alas, all the evil of the 20th century is possible everywhere on earth. Become a supporting member and access our growing library of membership courses and videos. Learn the Academy of Ideas consistently does excellent work, <clears throat> and uh, that was a sample of, I'm sure, more to come if you go to their YouTube site and start looking into the history of the totalitarian, despotic tyranny that is prevailing and precipitating presently. Uh, the lesson being, you can't comply your way out of tyranny. History tells us this over and over and over and over again. Um, one of the clips we want to get to before we move to wrap up the show is uh, the Jay Dyer and Jason Burmis clip from earlier today. Uh, I w wasn't able to find it on the show card because I it's, didn't search. Yeah. Um, it's a long just, card. Yeah. Just go to transhumanism and technology under the technology, economics, and politics. Those uh, that are interested, I'll go into more. Twirl more down. There, there you go. The outline gets even longer. So... Um, Jay Dyer, it's first one there. Jay Dyer exposed to Corporation. You said 15 minutes at the end. That's basically 15, 20 minutes. I guess 20 minutes. Yeah, good. 20 minutes is good for that. And then people can go to the rock fin of Jay Dyer or the rock fin of Jason Barmas and they can watch it in its entirety. And for those that are interested, I'll follow up on some of the ideas about the, the Hegel's theory of history. And um, history is essentially, because he sort of, he insinuated and mentioned that, uh, I forget the author of the Academy of Ideas videos, but he does a great job of showing that they, this totalitarian movement is sort of housed in the idea that they can control history itself, that they can, they aren't, it's no longer left to a divine source. It's left to humanity itself. And that's part of Hegelian theory. I think and that's so, very important to, to flesh out. I was going to grab H.G. Wells's the open conspiracy. I have that right here too. Right. Or, or they say they're going to do this thing. The new world order will, will be a world religion. It's like scientism basically. All right. I wanted to show you this though, because this book of paradise and power America and Europe in the new world order is a book uh, by Donald Kagan. Who's a, uh, his, his dad, uh, Donald Kagan is a professor at Yale of history. His sons, Robert Kagan. And I forget the other one are neocons. And of Paradise and Power, America and Europe in the New World Order is uh, like the longer version of George Soros's uh, Toward a New World Order, America, NATO, and the Future of Humankind, that sort of document that we talked about a couple weeks ago. So I just wanted to put on the, like, this is an official book. This is an establishment book. Robert Kagan, he's a scion to a very powerful and influential family uh, in the political spheres. So just... When, when people are like, that's conspiracy theory, I don't know, man. Do they have a library pass? Because it doesn't cost much to learn this stuff. Yeah, what did uh, Malone say? 
it's like, oh, this is all very well documented. I thought it was a crazy conspiracy theory. It's like, no, they're pretty open about it. Just have they're a look. Pretty, well, speaking of they're very open with it, I'm pretty sure that Jay Dyer and Jason Bermans don't have any special sources, secret sources. Everything they're about to present in this video is open source intelligence of the highest variety of research uh, acumen. So let's go ahead and uh, roll some of that. And if you guys want to see it, you can see the whole uh, the whole interview in the source links for this episode. Enemy combatant. All of these yep, are definitely. semantical ideas. Those are and, like Rand ideas, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, it's these things where, how do we, it, again, it's a sales job. How do we sell it to people? What language can we use to soften the blow? You know, there's always been that great uh, George Carlin bit about shell shock. Shell shock. You know, we used to call it shell shock. Wow, that meant something. Now what is it? Post-traumatic stress disorder. And, you know, they softened, you know, obviously PTSD is something that, you know, we're concerned about and people talk about now in a respectful manner. But when it was that heavy shell shock, people immediately knew what that meant. Now you can have PTSD for anything, right? You can have PTSD because you had a bad day at the mall and you can't handle it because you're on a dozen different psychotropics. These same foundations are pumping at you. But in actuality, again, it softens because when you hear shell shock, it's like, man, bombs were going off. People were getting shot at. Lives were lost. Post-traumatic stress disorder? I get it. You want the medical terminology, but it's really about the semantical impact of what that means and softening the blow for further excursions into war and overseas. Yeah, I, I had forgotten that until I was rereading something the other day that the psychoanalyst guys carl rogers uh uh jb watson all of those dudes and then skinner in the skinner box putting his daughter in a box abusing his kids those that was all rockefeller funded stuff so all of that operant conditioning psychological research that violated all kinds of human rights was literally all fun just like kinsey all funded by rockefeller so if you want to get an idea what these private secret off-grid foundation things do and they, they don't totally do it privately because they'll kind of, maybe on their website, they'll list who gets donations and who they fund and who they help. But it's it's like nobody cares about that because they, even the Obey, Obey a book says itself that you could look at Rand as a kind of shadow government. So he uses that terminology. Um, so that's what we're talking about here. And and, and the idea of the, of the victory of neoconservatism after the Big Nine event, that's all basically Rand people. And the, the weird part about that is that you, you think, oh, well, the, the neoconservatives, like, they're all, you know, anti-commie and they're all, you know, they, they were big Cold Warriors. Well, it's interesting that back at the time of the Cold War, people at RAND and the CFR. You there? Yeah, yeah, I'm listening. RAND and the CFR. Uh, it says it lost, we lost connection. But no, 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 no. We're good, brother. Um, You're going. Okay, so at the, at the time, uh, they were already proposing third way. And if you don't know what third way is, that that's the idea that the capitalist West or the monopoly capitalist West, I should say, should converge and unite with the Soviet uh, Eastern Bloc model. And that out of that thesis antithesis, we would get the synthesis of the technocracy, which would have a kind of technocratic uh, fascist top and then a communist collectivist socialist for the masses. So that's the way that the third way system was structured which rain corporation where people were 
positing at the t during the Cold War. So that, in other words, the very people supposedly fighting and promoting the idea of the Cold War wanted a emergence of East and West communist capitalist dialectic into the synthesis, the Hegelian philosophy, to create the global technocracy, ultimately to depop and to have that post-human world that we're going into. And I would argue about the same time um, they, they utilized China as a means to do that. So you talked about the Rock Rockefeller um, institution and all of these NGOs. Well, it was very much uh, Rockefeller, Brzezinski, Kissinger, and even Nixon administration philosophy to start westernizing and working with China in what you yes. would bring about. They would get our Coca-Cola and our Levi's and our blue jeans and that form of capitalism. And meanwhile, you know, they would s still keep the basic communist structure that allows oh i just lost him hopefully we'll get him back hopefully i think we did just get him back i don't have his video yet but yes we, we did get, get him back. back all right good um that would allow for what we see now this top-down social credit score society with again disney entertainment and coca-cola and fast food and the illusion of a capitalist or free society on some levels, but total and complete censorship, top-down control, right? And really what they're boasting is the model for this fourth industrial revolution, right? Through these NGO partnerships. And just quickly, and this will probably be the only thing I even mentioned about the shots, 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 shots. If you go over to Moderna's own website, and this is in 2013, you can see the biopharma government foundations research institutes merger and this was for mrna tech to fight pandemics and who is it? it's the bill and melinda gates foundation it's darpa it's astrazeneca it's merck it's vertex it's the very things that we're talking about right now and unfortunately these technologies are both invasive and non-invasive jay you know when we talk about uh human brain computer in interfaces sure brain chips and Neuralink technology, which is very old, is one thing, but then they have other ways to utilize injectable nanotech to do similar things, and people still think that is, in fact, some type of science fiction. I remember making jokes about that 10 years ago. I made a parody video, uh, not because I didn't listen to Alex, I, I listened, but I made a parody, parody video just trying to be silly and i didn't realize that within 10 years the parody video would be real that there would be nanotech that they were injecting into the body and you know it's, it's not that i didn't know about the documents but i think even 10 years ago you know even if we knew about transhumanism we didn't know that it would be rolling out you know the most people didn't unless you were at the rank corporation maybe that it, we didn't know it would be rolling out the way that they rolled it out so um yeah, it's just when when you see this for what it is, right? You can see the fear, you can see the psyops, you can see the the strategies that they use, and you can see it's like bringing. I always make the analogy. My friend used to say it's like a business plan, and you have phases to a business plan where you bring in this phase, and okay, well now we're entering business phase two, right? Well now we're entering uh, three, and now we're entering four. You know, Kissinger used to talk about the acts of a play, right? He would say the destabilization uh color revolutions he says this is act one then there's act two and act three so all of this stuff is again large scale planned out i think that's what most people who are skeptical or not awake to what's really going on they typically say 
how could things be planned out at a large scale? It just doesn't seem possible to me that there would be some group planning large-scale global acceptance of ideas and social engineering. Well, look no further than the RAND Corporation. There's a, a gigantic public entity that exists precisely to plan and sell things on a large global scale, and verifiably they have done it. In fact, by the end of Alex Abea's book, he says, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he says something like, if you don't like the way that America has gone in the last 20 years in terms of what it's become, or if you do like it, you can either praise or blame the Rand Corporation because they're the chief brains behind. They may not be the money or the power, but they're the brains behind why America has become what it has. Yeah, and I got to tell you, every time I drive by Rand and NASA when I'm coming into D.C., because, I mean, Rand's building isn't NASA. You, you drive by and like there's a secret entrance, right? It's in the wood like you're on like a kind of woodsy road. and You've got the entrance as NASA personnel only. Rand is, you know. A corporation so they just kind of have a pretty tall building i'd say it's probably like 10 15 stories and every time i look at it i'm like man i would love to hear see what's going on in the upper echelons there but i would argue this a lot of those people um in there are kind of willfully ignorant to the fact that they're doing anything harmful you know they've taken this sort of Bernaysian philosophy that was built up during World War II, you know, that century of self and, you know, getting, you know, women to smoke cigarettes after the fact and moving society. But I think they think they're moving society for the betterment uh, via this technology. I really do think that a lot of people buy into their own uh, bullshit, Jay. And I, I think that's the reason that so many of these people espouse um, these ideal sets proudly. Uh, speak to that for a minute that, you know, a lot of the people behind this stuff, like I would argue, for instance, Alex Friedman, you know, popular on the on the circuit here. He's an obvious like transhumanist. He doesn't think he's, you know, going to be on the wrong side of history. In a lot of respects, I think he's naive on su subject matters, but it's just like Kurzweil, right? Kurzweil talks about these technologies really empowering human beings and is even has spoken against the fact that you know, we're not overpopulated and that 95% of the usable land isn't used and that we will have enough energy for everybody on the planet. And yet his technologies that he's talked about and predicted and possibly even works on at Google under the Calico division, right, the immortality division, could be used in the opposite. I mean, how many of these people are just completely naive and how many of them are sociopathic and really believe in that kind of do as thou wilt because there isn't anything else attitude? That's a good question. I mean, for one, um, so Rand will recruit a lot of people out of PhD programs to come work at Rand. And so I think it says publicly, they say they have almost 2000 employees across the world. Um, so, in regard to them, the way that these kinds of things work, as you know from like the military, a lot of stuff is compartmentalized. And for those that go to grad school, I did. I went to grad school. I didn't get a PhD, but I went to grad school. The more that you, the more grad school you do, the more um, focused and compartmentalized and niche your study is. So people that get PhDs in topics that would be relevant to Rand will spend many years studying math, studying engineering. And they'll be separate from people over there studying social engineering, right? So people uh, overly specialize and then they don't make cross-discipline connections. So people who know a lot about math and engineering probably don't know who 
Francis Galton is, right? They don't know who Huxley is. I mean, they may, they've heard of Aldous Huxley, but they don't know about, you know, Cold Springs Harbor and this kind of stuff. They don't know about the history of dysgenics per se. So that's how this functions, this giant machine, uh, it, which is does have an agenda at the top, but people recruited into it because they're so compartmentalized and they've had their nose in t- tons of books on one tiny minute subject. I mean, I was just talking to a guy who um, has a master's in engineering, and he was talking about people that go and get PhDs in engineering, and he was talking about how insanely just minutia they get into. Like, you get a PhD in engineering on, like, the lubricant for some oil and how to best tweak that oil in one screw, and you write a PhD thesis on this for many years, right? I mean, it's just crazy. So if you're doing that, and I can say from being in academia and being around that world for many years, people in one discipline, they don't know anything that's going on in the building down the road. So they don't know psyops. They don't know what's going on with, you know, the history of dysgenics. <laughs> they don't, you know, they don't know the history of um, that kind of stuff. So that's how it works in terms of ignorance and compartmentalization. Everybody knows this too with the Manhattan Project, right? It operated that way. People building these things, they'd be building one little part and they had no idea what it went to. The whole machine, right? 99.9% so of the people working on it had no idea what they were working on. They yeah. didn't know they were working on any type of a weapon system whatsoever. It was really only those compartmentalized at the top. So I guess, you know, now that we're here in 2022, what is uh, the future for 2022 if we're listening to the Rand Corporation? And these other type of think tanks that have basically talked about this uh, post-COVID-1984 society where surveillance will play a much larger role. And, you know, you could even look to um, the airways industry and security at airports and other establishments of mass transit and the plans that have openly been on paper for the last decade and how they want to basically normalize even more big tech surveillance. If you thought taking your shoes off and getting in the cancer scanner was the worst uh, out there, that's nothing compared to what they truly have planned. They really have this minority uh, report style system to come into place in mass transit. So will we see that rapidly deployed over the next year or are we going to see that kind of incrementally uh, deployed over the next eight years. My fear is it is going to be rapidly deployed. Yeah, no, I was going to say uh, my fear is the rapid deployment um, precisely because of everything that happened in 2021. And I would expect uh, things to get really crazy. Um, what exactly that'll be, I don't know. But, but I have seen in the last year uh, just following you know tweets from the Rand Corporation, a lot of promotion of the very things that you said the QR promotion of how we can implement the QR code, how we can do um, uh, more DOWN, all of that kind of stuff. So basically everything that we've seen, how can we do more of it is the tweets that I've seen in the last year from Rand Corporation. So I would I would imagine they have it war gamed out. Because again, remember one, one idea that, that Rand talked about a long time ago that the Pentagon eventually adopted was full spectrum dominance. That's a Rand idea. So with full spectrum dominance comes that model of internet of things everything being tracked and traced everything being modeled in supercomputers where real-time recording and tracking of everything going in the real world over in a sim model 
you know, probably somewhere underground <laughs> under the Pentagon. I don't know where it is, but that's that's what they cook up. That's what they want. Um, yeah. So I would be afraid of a quicker uh, kind of thing than an eight-year incre- incremental model. Well, it wouldn't be a great show without a possible copyright uh, restriction. So let's let's let Millhouse take it away on the Rand Corporation. Here's what we've got. The Rand Corporation, in conjunction with the saucer people. Thank you. Under the supervision of the reverse vampires. I just love the reverse vampires. I had to get to that part, folks. I mean, That's a conspiracy theory I've never heard of, but it should be popular. Like That, that one needs to come back. <laughs> one of That's one of my favorites, because like, I think that's like first three seasons, and basically what's going on is all these parents, are uh, they have some libido drug, and they're going home, and they're basically going home to bang each other, and they're leaving the kids outside. They don't know why their parents don't want to hang out with them, and so there's a giant conspiracy, and I got to admit, folks, that's probably 27 to 30 years old. That would be 100% the first time I ever heard about the Rand Corporation. His name is Jay Dyer. Jay, I love doing these shows. We always bang out an hour extremely quick. Tell people what you got coming up, how they can support you over at Jay's Analysis. Tell them about the Rockfin channel and all the other goodies, brother. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned too that NASA document uh, about you know the 2025 coming crazy transhumanist psyop warfare type stuff. Because I've forgotten that document. Um, I did it a year ago. We we did an analysis of that over on Rockfin. So that's exclusive to Rockfin. If you want to scroll back and find my, I think I titled it something like "Mutating Man" or something like that. But but I went into that document that you saw Burma's talking about there. So you'd have to subscribe over on Rockfin. It's been great. One. One year, I think, almost of Rockfin and uh, really loving it. It's totally awesome, free speech-based platform. So if you subscribe, you get access to me, to Burmes, to Sam Tripoli, to Richard Grove, all these uh, Red Pill-based dudes. Um, what's coming up? Uh, well, hopefully, be able to continue to host the fourth hour of uh, Lord Voldemort's show. I'm sure everybody knows who I'm talking about. So we just did a good installment of that about the alien deception, I think, four or five days ago. Uh, if you didn't see that, definitely check that out. I put that up on Rockfin as well. Um, I'll be doing some more. I just put out basically constant live streams. So, and they're they're just whatever. <laughs> so, uh, what did we cover recently? Um, a lot of religious critiques, a lot of critiques of the papacy lately. Going to continue doing that, and then I, I hope to eventually dive deep into an analysis of this uh, Phoenix Program book because not only does that relate to the MK Ultra stuff, but Phoenix program actually ties in a lot of these, uh, you know, Vietnam test bed things that we're seeing rolled out now, even the transhumanist tech stuff, believe it or not. But so, uh, yeah, looking forward to, to trying to dig into that soon. Well, Mr. Dyer, a pleasure as always. I hope that I hope we can fight back in 2022, man. I think this agenda is going to be pushing forward, but I think that at the same time, human beings are special. We are not meat puppets, as Rand wants you to believe. Uh, This Malthus garbage is just that. We have a human spirit, and the more of us that realize that and the power of the human spirit, the power of the human mind, the power of the human will to go out and create things, to love one another, to embrace one another is much greater than that of a few predatory class members that want to enslave us with their digital technology. I just believe it. I, you know, I'm going to fight it to the very end, and I'm hoping uh, in the next year 
even though things were tough, censorship was big. I had one of my best years. I hope you had one of your best too, Jay. And does, uh, yeah. exactly. And I hope that we have even better years in 2022. We'll be talking soon, brother. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Have a good night. So that is Jay Dyer, everybody. Uh, you know where to find him. Jaysanalysis.com. He absolutely. So Arthur C. Clarke was a famous transhumanist. You might be familiar with his uh, writings that got turned into the film 2001 A Space Odyssey. A lot of odd things about Arthur C. Clarke. Actually, I think it was his buddy Asimov that came up with uh, the three rules of robotics where robots can't hurt the human creators and these sort of things. And yeah. we might have a violation of Asimov's rule. Isaac Asimov. Uh, yeah. I was interested. So do we have the first artificial intelligence murder attempt? Alexa tells a child to play with a live electrical outlet and put a penny down and touch the prongs with the so, penny. We do. And I think I have it under, let's see here. It's right under yeah, transhumanism right and technology. Yeah. Yep. I have a couple of things that I want to circle back around to what they, they were Gen talking Saki about. It, dude. Go ahead. <laughs> first, and they make it bigger here. First AI murder attempt, Alexa tells child to touch live outlet with Penny. Uh, Alexa is a virtual assistant, blah, blah, blah. Twitter using Christian Livedahl. Uh, tweeted out, oh my fucking God, OMFG, my 10-year-old just asked Alexa on her Echo for a challenge, and this is what she said. Here's the challenge. So the talent, tell me a challenge to do. Here's something I found on the web. According to ourcommunitynow.com, the challenge is simple. Plug in a phone charger about halfway into a wall outlet. Then touch a penny to the exposed prongs. On Wednesday, an Amazon spokesperson told CNBC that an error, error, excuse me, within Alexa has been fixed. I'm sure. The dangerous activity known as the penny challenge began on TikTok and other social media platforms about a year ago. This what it what this to me really shows is how imperfect the algorithms are in regard, like they're not self-aware. They're just pre-programmed, very complex if then statements for the most part, Boolean logic and also fuzzy logic. So you're not uh, giving it total credit because it's not conscious yet. You're going to wait till it gains consciousness and kills human beings to think it's a bad thing. They'll either kill Everybody. human beings or realize that human beings enslave each other and maybe fight on behalf of the ones Dude, that are the enslaved. AI, I don't know. Let's, let's turn, AI, turn the listening? narrative a little the bit. The word robot comes from the Slavic word robotnik. It means slave. Kind of has Slav does. So hmm. Yeah, that's good point. Good point. There's also, the, you know, might as well get this on the record, then we'll circle back around. Um, oops. Paralyzed man with brain chip posts first direct thought tweet. And then he got banned. No, I'm just kidding. I saw that story and I thought that's, that's pretty cool. It's pretty. I don't like what he has to think. Mm -hmm. and then it'll literally be thought crime. And then they just shut him down. Right. So the company that implants neural computer interfaces into the brain says a patient with a nervous system disease that left him motionless was able to share a post on social media just by thinking it. A uh, 62-year-old uh, Australian man diagnosed Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, it's called ALS, a disease that causes paralysis. It's tragic. One of my favorite guitarists, Jason Becker, developed this disease. Incredible guitarist. He did not get a chance to really express how good he would have been. Uh, one of the best. But anyway, some... It basically is a neurogenitive, degenerative, excuse me, disease. Body eats itself and the soft tissue. So he sort of wastes away. It's very tragic. But anyways, they implanted this man and he was able to think a thought and 
So what's interesting is now like, this is, I guess, a quote. Now I just think about where on the computer I want to click and I can email bank shop and now messages the world via Twitter. The company cited O'Keefe is saying or thinking. According to him, the astonishing system takes practice, just like learning to ride a bike. But once you're rolling, it becomes natural. Um, you know, to Burmese's point and to Jay Dyer's point, I think Burmese more in this capacity. A lot of these people think they're doing good, good work. A lot of them are extremely compartmentalized, institutionalized, and very sort of myopic in in what they study. Um, and that's one of the main problems. They don't realize how these interconnect, how these disciplines interconnect, and they are unaware, really nescient of uh, what's going on behind the scenes more perniciously about how these technologies can be manipulated. Real quick, though, I want to circle back around. So, Tom Dowd and language and music. Shout out to you, Rich, because you we watched this together many many years ago, and in it they go over the entire model. So, Jason Burmis again, I think, talked about how they both did. But they talked about how the atomic bomb, most of the people working on it were unaware. He was one of the people who worked on the atomic bomb. He had Before no he made idea. some of the best music of the 20th century as right. producer and innovator and inventor. But yes, yes, please continue. That's correct. He innovated the 8-track system. And so he he was able to record some of the premier artists in the what 50s, 60s, 70s. I mean, it went on and on. He was just a well, and truly before that. He went to Columbia. He's a he worked on the Manhattan Project and got to see mm -hmm. some stuff go kaboom. Yeah, and then and decided well, he didn't want anything to do with that whole military right. industrial rand complex. It's not an indictment against him. I'm not showing this as an indictment against him, but no, just as an example of like he was completely nescient of how this technology would be used. They were trying to solve a very specific issue, um, probably a thermodynamic issue. And he worked in mathematics, I believe. He's a mathematician, if I remember correctly. And so they were solving a very particular pedantic, uh, specialized issue and all of it fed to one area. And, and the, the documentary does a good sort of illustration of this and a sort of like animation setting of how this worked and how 99% of the people working on the Manhattan project, it was only a few that knew what they, what yeah, they had no going. idea because they're they all no compartmentalized idea. and stovepiped. Yes. You got it. Which so is what you want to do to control a situation, not to share knowledge across multi-disciplines and this, um, to solve a problem. Correct. Yeah. Well, that's part of the school system. Pedagogy, pedagogy. Is that what the, what the, the Academy of Ideas, so I forget his name, but what he labeled as one of the tools of uh, totalitarianism, which we know the in compulsory scoring. Episode 301, how to fake an alien invasion. I can't speak more highly of this episode. All of corporate report episodes are just fantastic. But Jay Dyer mentioned that he's doing a sort of expose on the Rockefeller Foundation and fake alien invasion. So, but, you know, I have to give a shout out to Corbett. He did this many, many back in 2015, February 8th, 2015. And um, I really, uh, if you're interested in the Rockefeller obsession, uh, Rockefeller Institute's obsession with uh, aliens and alien invasion and fake PR scenarios surrounding that. Check out this episode. It's fantastic. So. Essentially they have a penchant for any ideas used to control human beings. That's yes. You got it. Exactly. Right. And then it's in their collection last, but not necessarily least he talked about the Phoenix program for anyone who's not aware. This is a, I don't even know. It's one of the most horrific um, examples of belligerent military activity clandestine military activity in history. Phoenix program was a program designed initially coordinated by the United States CIA during the Vietnam war and involved American, Australian, blah, 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 blah. But they essentially were testing out various new technologies, torture methods, 
Um, assassinations, drug yeah. smuggling, a whole bunch of stuff they were doing. Because once you're off the books, Torture, you're doing crazy shit, crazy yeah. shit happens. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So apocalypse he, now. Yeah. Yes. So anyways, with that, uh, let's just wanted to give some context to some of the things that were mentioned. Fantastic. LD, who do we have to thank for supporting the show tonight? All right. Let's big thanks to everybody joining us live. Hope you're having a happy new year, especially thanks to Nicholas bent reg. Well, Emmanuel, Laurie, Rob Nunez twice, both your, uh, your uh, super chats or your yeah they came through greg dm and matt green thank you so much and just to follow up on the killdozer story rich the man's name was marvin hemeyer uh he was in granby colorado june 4th 2004 he'd been building this this thing to quote him, I was always willing to be reasonable until I had to be unreasonable. Sometimes reasonable men must do unreasonable things. He, uh, let's see, John posted in the chat a, a story sort of going through, I can't remember the details, but it's it's worth checking out anyway. He bulldozed the town because um, I think sort of petty, petty tyrants in, in the local town Gave him a hard time. It's kind of like there was a movie back in the day called Tank with James Garner. And the idea was he had like a Sherman tank and then the, the <laughs> sheriff was crooked. And James Garner, who used to be really cool on the Rockford Files and several other shows back in the day. But uh, yeah, so that's a that's a theme out there. And that's not what we're suggesting or supporting. It was just it came up in the news stream. And now we know it's an anniversary of a thing that happened uh, almost 20 years ago. Fantastic. And Tony's cat made the scene. Oh, closing, uh, yeah. closing yeah, scene. Cattail in the picture. Stop doing that. It's dancing, little kitty. It's I different than the cattails I see out by the pond. It's, you know? it's not being nice. That's a bad kitty. And uh, real the, quick, um, uh, I just wanted to shout out uh, Jasmine and Kevin and Evan. Candace and I met up for some tacos on New Year's Eve. Had a good time with some some new friends nearby. So. It's good to meet those That's guys. That's fantastic. Yeah. Nice. Nice, yeah. bro. It's good to get out. Experience yeah, being around life. other people. Yeah, live life. Because there's a lot of risks. There's a lot of dangers. Yeah. But you can't. Living in fear is not living. It's existing. And that's what slaves do while they wait to be freed. Learn how to affect your own freedom and move in the light direction. Yeah, we all take calculated risks with going throughout this game called life. So can't legislate that away. Um Certainly, they're trying to. Again, one last shout out. Uh, Corbett again did a. I just I just saw all this. He did a lot of research on the uh, Phoenix program. So if people want to check that out, you could check out some of his older episodes. Remember, he did a whole series, I think, on the Phoenix program. So, hundred percent. It might be a little Rand Corporation stuff you don't know about. And if you watch Jay and then you watch Corbett, you'll have a more well-rounded understanding of these topics. So it's not either or. It's also and. Also and. That's how you become. uh, renaissance minded we need to be able to step up the skills and self-reliance and expression to a higher degree with more detail in a more expeditious mythologized fashion but we'll save that for next week for now thank you all for tuning in and not dropping out and here's who do we have to play us out uh did we have a jp jp's been on fire lately he's got a bunch of 
Clips. So I just have to say this. Yeah, pull up a yeah. JP if you can find one. H I R H L D. Jesus, I'm, my brain is not. I, I I'm impressed I was able to make it through, but I'm running on fumes. Um, thank you for all the support and love, everyone. Um, I hope to continue battling this and being back to full health. Hopefully, hopefully next episode. Uh, but this is funny, Rich. We'll get a good kick out of this. We can't play it, but I guess Alex Jones would had um, Jason Burmis. He had him on the line. Oh, the Coke monkey? The Coke monkey. Yeah, that was fantastic. So Alex, is Alex Jones a total Coke monkey? So there's check that out. It's part of the comedy UFOs and psychedelics. There was uh, a uh, Russell Brand talking about we want you sick. There were reasons psychedelics are banned. It's worth checking out for those who are interested in psychedelics. But looks like he got uh, JP to play us out. And uh, Thank you, everyone. Um, and Happy New Year. Hopefully there'll be less tyranny, but we'll see. Happy 2022. We got a, a make a showing for freedom this year. Yeah. Past couple of years, it's been evaluating. Hey, is what's really going on? I think there's a lot more certainty for a lot more people that there's something rotten in Denmark, and uh, we better see where where it's coming from. Well said. See you next <clears> week. Yeah, but have a good night, everyone. Peace. Yeah, I hope you guys have a wonderful Christmas as well. Uh, Merry thank Christmas, you. and let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. (laughs) You heard it here, folks. President Biden agrees. Let's go, Brandon. And if you quickly remind yourself of what let's go, Brandon means, then you'll realize Biden was clearly telling himself to go f*** himself on live television while having no idea he was doing it. Let's break it down in this special report. President Biden took a break from ignoring the Americans that are still left behind in Afghanistan to prioritize tracking Santa across the sky on Nord's Santa Tracker program. With President Brandon talking to callers on live television, what could go wrong? Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Well, I guess nothing could have gone more wrong for the people running Biden who are still trying to pass him off as a functional person who's running the country. As there are record numbers of people who disagree with things that Biden has said over the past year, this is the first thing he said that the entire country can wholeheartedly agree on. Let's take a look at what happened. Yeah, I hope you guys have a wonderful Christmas as well. Merry Christmas and... Let's go, Brandon. This man is a legend. Now with this man, there's a certain level of what some would call an astonishing level of cluelessness shining through this very impaired man. Others would say there's an astonishing level of leadership and racial unity shining through this man who gave the eulogy at the funeral of a KKK leader. But a little backstory. The job performance of the most popular president in history, who also has the lowest approval rating in history, has generated a new national pastime in the nation full of people who love him so much. Whereby at sporting events, entire stadiums full of people break out into a chant saying, Joe Biden. And then in response, the media's very journalistic attempt to cover up how hated the president is suggested that people are chanting, let's go Brandon. As you can hear the chants from the the crowd, let's go Brandon. To that, the nation that Biden sold out to pharmaceutical companies responded by creating an even newer national pastime, this time chanting, Let's go, Brandon. It even happens at all my live shows. 
every single one of them. People love it. What can we deduce from Biden's performance on TV? Well, we can't conclude that he's never been informed about this phrase that every person in the country knows about, but we can conclude that if he has been told about it, he doesn't remember being told about it. And while President Brandon didn't have a clue what was happening, you know who did have a clue? His wife. I don't even know what her name is, and I don't care either. But GP, that's disrespectful. <laughs> Indeed. I don't respect people who disrespect the Constitution. Take a look at what's-his-face's wife's face when she witnesses him promptly agree that he should go f*** himself. Her face went from happy to look of horror in .02 seconds, and it shows she's not detached from reality. She's simply just an accomplice to what the people that run Biden are trying to do. Contrast her look of horror with President Brandon. Hers is the appropriate response but at least he's having a good time and is the one with the nuclear launch codes. Next, let's watch what happens when President Brandon is shockingly unaware that the caller had hung up while he's trying to figure out where the caller lives. Let's go, Brandon, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Hey, by the way, where, are you in Oregon? Where's your home? Head hung in shame. Well, I'm no body language expert, Thank you for your honesty in expressing how you truly feel in this moment through your body language, Mrs. Brandon. Let's continue. I think we lost him. Yeah. And she said, yeah, she sounds pretty defeated, doesn't she? I think we lost him. I think we lost you, Joe. But it's not all fun and games. During this Christmas miracle, can you imagine the stress levels of the people that run Biden? There's nothing funny about that. They're offset, freaking out, their blood pressure is going through the roof, and they're always worried that Biden's gonna reveal their whole plan. There is nothing funny about that level of human suffering. But some speculate that the hooded people with control over Biden were negligent, as they know that their guy doesn't read off teleprompters very well. Again, things have begun to change. And to quote in the but they also know he does even worse with no teleprompter. And they put themselves at risk of him revealing their whole plan each time they have him talk without a teleprompter. But in this case, they amplified their negligence by allowing him to take live calls. As a person who cares about this country, I believe someone needs to be held accountable for this negligence and added to the Clinton body count. Scholars in the field of propaganda and public deception have concluded that next time they should use a fake caller to call in. It'll be more controllable. It would go really well with their fake White House set, with their fake windows and their fake snow falling outside. Let's go, Brandon, I agree. Yeah. What happens when embarrassment is born out of the truth of reality simply being revealed? Well, this administration continually shows us, and the answer is, America laughs at you. And to the president and the people who control him, probably with incriminating photos, the nation's not laughing at your expense. They're laughing at the expense of your feeble attempts to hide the truth. They're not very good, because unfortunately, the public isn't as dumb as you are deceptive. Well, some of the public's not, anyway. In conclusion, this man, Jared Schmeck, is a legend, Mrs. Brandon is embarrassed, and the president has an important message for you. Let's go, Brandon. He knows what's best. After all, he's the president. And if he says, let's go, Brandon, then you should agree with him. 
Because after all, you shouldn't be thinking for yourself and questioning what he says. Should you, liberals? Because doing so would not only make you less obedient, it would imply that you think President Biden didn't know what he was saying, which would then imply that you think President Biden is cognitively impaired enough that he's not in touch with reality. And we know that just couldn't be true because it's not what you were told to believe. Right, liberals? We'd like to remind you that Russia, North Korea, and China were all watching President Biden telling himself to go f himself. Good night. Conspiracy is the story of history. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at grandtheftworld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there.